RTE Podcasts present the RTE Players Complete Production of Ulysses by James Joyce, recorded in 1982. Episode 15, Circe, 12 a.m., 17th of June 1904, Monto, Foley Street. the Mabbot Street entrance of Night Town, before which stretches an uncobbled tram siding set with skeleton tracks, red and green will-o'-the-wisps and danger signals. Rows of flimsy houses with gaping doors, rare lamps with faint rainbow fans. Round Rabbi Yotti's halted ice gondola, stunted men and women squabble. They grab wafers between which are wedged lumps of coal and copper snow. Sucking, they scatter slowly. Children. The swan comb of the gondola, high-reared, forges on through the murk, white and blue under a lighthouse. Whistles call and answer. Wait, me love, and I'll be with you. Run behind the stable. A deaf-mute idiot with goggle eyes, his shapeless mouth dribbling, jerks past, shaken in St. Vitus' dance. A chain of children's hands imprisons him. The idiot lifts a palsied left arm and gurgles. Where's the great light? The idiot, gobbing. They release him. He jerks on. A pygmy woman swings on a rope slung between the railings, counting. A form sprawled against a dustbin and muffled by its arm and hat moves, groans, grinding, growling teeth and snores again. On a step, a gnome, totting among a rubbish tip, crouches to shoulder a sack of rags and bones. A crone standing by with a smoky oil lamp rams the last bottle in the maw of his sack. He heaves his booty, tugs askew his peak cap and hobbles off mutely. The crone makes back for her lair, swaying her lamp. A bandy child, a squat on the doorstep with a paper shuttlecock, crawls sidling after her in spurts, clutches her skirt, scrambles up, a drunken navvy grips with both hands the railings of an area, lurching heavily. At a corner, two night watch in shoulder capes, their hands upon their staff holsters, loom tall. A plate crashes. A woman screams. A child wails. Oaths of a man roar, mutter, cease. Figures wander, lurk, peer from warrens. In a room lit by a candle stuck in a bottleneck, a slut combs out the tats from the hair of a scrofulous child. Sissy Caffrey's voice, still young, sings shrill from a lane. I gave it to Molly because she was jolly, the leg of the dock, the leg of the dock. Private Carr and Private Compton, swagger sticks tight in their oxters as they march unsteadily, right about face and burst together from their mouths a volleyed fart. <laughs> Laughter of men from the lane. A horse virago retorts. Signs on your hairy arse. More power to Cavan girl. More luck to me, Cavan Cootail and Bell Torbus. She sings. I gave it to Nelly to stick in her belly. The leg of the dock, the leg of the dock. Private Carr and Private Compton turn and counter retort, their tunics blood bright in a lamp glow. 
black sockets of caps on their blonde, cropped poles. Stephen Dedalus and Lynch pass through the crowd close to the redcoats. Private Compton jerks his finger. Way for the parson! Private Carr turns and calls. What? Oh, parson! Sissy Caffrey, her voice soaring higher. Stephen, flourishing the ash plant in his left hand, chants with joy the intuit for Paschal time. Lynch, his jockey cap low on his brow, attends him, a sneer of discontent wrinkling his face. Famished snaggle tusks of an elderly board protrude from the doorway. Her voice whispering huskily. Shh! Come here till I tell you. Maidenhead inside. Stephen, Altius Aliquantulum. Et omnes ad quos pervenit aqua ista. The board spits in their trail her jet of venom. <laughs> Trinity Medicals, fallopian tube, all prick and no pence. Edie Boardman, sniffling, crouched with Bertha Supple, draws her shawl across her nostrils. Edie Boardman, bickering. And says the one, I seen you a faithful place with your square pusher, the greaser off the railway, in his come-to-bed hat. Did you, says I? That's not for you to say, says I. You never seen me in the man-trap with a married Highlander, says I. The likes of her, stag that one is, stubborn as a mule, and her walk him a two fellas the one time, kill bride the engine driver and Lance caught the lolophant. Stephen triumphaliter. Salve He flourishes his ash plant, shivering the lamp image, shattering light over the world. A liver and white spaniel on the prowl slinks after him, growling. Lynch scares it with a kick. So that... Stephen looks behind. So that gesture, not music, not odours, would be a universal language. The gift of tongues rendering visible not the lay sense, but the first entelechy, the structural rhythm. Pornosophical philotheology. Metaphysics in Mecklenburg Street. We have shrew-ridden Shakespeare and henpecked Socrates. Even the all-wiser Stagirite was bitted, bridled and mounted by a light of love. Bah! Anyway, who wants two gestures to illustrate a loaf and a jog? This movement illustrates the loaf and jog of bread and wine in Omer. Hold my stick. Damn your yellow stick. Where are we going? Letterous links. To la belle dame sans merci. Georgina Johnson. Ad deam qui letificat juventutem meam. Stephen thrusts the ash plant on him and slowly holds out his hands, his head going back till both hands are a span from his breast, downturned in planes intersecting, the fingers about to part, the left being higher. Which is the jug of bread? It skills not. That or the custom house? Illustrate thou. Here, take your crutch and walk. They pass. 
Tommy Caffrey scrambles to a gas lamp and, clasping, climbs in spasms. From the top spur, he slides down. Jackie Caffrey clasps to climb. The navvy lurches against the lamp. The twins scuttle off in the dark. The navvy, swaying, presses a forefinger against a wing of his nose and ejects from the farther nostril a long, liquid jet of snot. Shouldering the lamp, he staggers away through the crowd with his flaring cresset. Snakes of river fog creep slowly, from drains, clefts, cesspools, middens, arise on all sides stagnant fumes. A glow leaps in the south beyond the seaward reaches of the river. The navvy, staggering forward, cleaves the crowd and lurches towards the tram siding. On the farther side, under the railway bridge, Bloom appears, flushed, panting, cramming bread and chocolate into a side pocket. From Gillen's hairdresser's window, a composite portrait shows him gallant Nelson's image. A concave mirror at the side presents to him lovelorn, long-lost, lugubru buluhum. Grave Gladstone sees him level, bloom for bloom. He passes, struck by the stare of truckland Wellington. But in the convex mirror, grin unstruck, the bonnevise and fat-chuck cheek-chops of Jolly Poldy the Rickstick Stolte. At Antonio Rabaiotti's door, Bloom halts, sweated under the bright arc lamps. He disappears. In a moment, he reappears and hurries on. Fish and taters, N.G. Ah! He disappears into all houses, the pork butchers, under the downcoming roll shutter. A few moments later, he emerges from under the shutter, puffing poldy, blowing blue whom. In each hand, he holds a parcel one containing a lukewarm pig's crew bean, the other a cold sheep's trotter, sprinkled with whole pepper. He gasps, standing upright. Then, bending to one side, he presses a parcel against his rib and groans. Stitch in my side! Why did I run? He takes breath with care and goes forward slowly towards the lamp-set siding. The glow leaps again. What is that? A flasher? Searchlight. He stands at Cormac's corner, watching. Aurora Borealis. Or a steel foundry. Ah, the brigade, of course. South side, anyhow. Big blaze. Might be his house. Beggar's bush. We're safe. He hums cheerfully. London's burning, London's burning. On fire, on fire. He catches sight of the navvy lurching through the crowd at the farther side of Talbot Street. I'll miss him. Run, quick. Better cross here. He darts to cross the road. Urchins shout. Two cyclists with lighted paper lanterns a-swing swim by him, grazing him, their bells rattling. Bloom halts, erect, stung by a spasm. He looks round, darts forward suddenly. Through rising fog, a dragon sand-strewer, travelling at caution, slews heavily down upon him, its huge red headlight winking, its trolley hissing on the wire. The motorman bangs his foot gong. The brake cracks violently. Bloom, raising a policeman's white-gloved hand, blunders stiff-legged out of the track. The motorman, thrown forward, pug-nosed on the guide wheel, yells as he slides past over chains and keys. Hey! Ship breaches! Are you doing the hat trick? Bloom trick leaps to the curbstone and halts again. He brushes a mudflake from his cheek with a parceled hand. No thoroughfare. 
Close shave, that. But cured the stitch. Must take up Sandow's exercises again. On the hands, down. Insure against street accident, too. The providential. He feels his trouser pocket. Poor Mama's panacea. He'll easily catch in tracks or bootlace in a cog. Day the wheel of the Black Mariah peeled off my shoe at Leonard's corner. Third time is the charm. Shoe trick. Insolent driver, I ought to report him. Tension makes them nervous. Might be the fellow balked me this morning with that horsey woman. Same style of beauty. Quick of him all the same. The stiff walk. True words spoken in jest. That awful cramp in Lad Lane, something poisonous I ate. Emblem of luck. Why? Probably lost cattle. Mark of the beast. He closes his eyes an instant. Bit light in the head. Monthly. Or effect of the other. Brain fog fag. That tired feeling. Too much for me now. Oh. A sinister figure leans on plaited legs against O'Byrne's wall. A visage unknown, injected with dark mercury. From under a wide-leaved sombrero, the figure regards him with evil eye. Buenas noches, Senorita Blanca. Que caia es esta? Figure, impassive, raises a signal arm. Password. Shrine Mabus. <laughs> Merci. Esperanto. Sloan lad. He mutters. Gaelic League spy sent by that fire-eater. He steps forward. A sack-shouldered ragman bars his path. He steps left. Ragsack man left. I beg. He swerves, sidles, steps aside, slips past and on. Keep to the right, right, right. If there is a finger post planted by the touring club at Step Aside, who procured that public boom? I, who lost my way and contributed to the columns of the Irish cyclists, the letter headed, in darkest Step Aside. Keep, keep, keep to the right. Rags and bones at midnight. A fence, more likely. First place murderer makes for. Wash off his sins of the world. Jackie Caffrey, hunted by Tommy Caffrey, runs full tilt against Bloom. Oh! Shocked. On weak hams, he halts. Tommy and Jackie vanish. There? There. Bloom pats with parceled hands, watch, fob pocket, book pocket, purse pocket, sweets of sin... Potato soap. Beware of pickpockets. Old thieves dodge. Collide, then snatch your purse. The retriever approaches, sniffling, nose to the ground. A sprawled form sneezes. A stooped, bearded figure appears, garbed in the long caftan of an elder in Zion, and a smoking cap with magenta tassels. Horned spectacles hang down at the wings of the nose. Yellow poison streaks are on the drawn face. Rudolph. Second half crown, waste money today. I told you not go with drunken goy ever. So, you catch no money. Bloom hides the crew bean and trotter behind his back and crestfallen feels warm and cold feet meet. Ja, ich weiß, Papachi. What you making down this place? Have you no soul? With feeble vulture talons, he feels the silent face of Bloom. Are you not my son, Leopold, the grandson of Leopold? Are you not my dear son, Leopold, who left the house of his father and left the god of his fathers, Abraham and Jacob? Bloom, with precaution. I suppose so, father. Mosenthal, all that's left of him. Rudolph, severely. 
One night, they bring you home, drunk as dog, after spend your good money. What you call them running chaps. Bloom, in youth's smart blue Oxford suit, with white vest slips, narrow-shouldered, in brown alpine hat, wearing gents, sterling silver Waterbury keyless watch and double-curb Albert with seal attached, one side of him coated with stiffening mud. Harriers, father, only that once. Once! Mud, head to foot. Cut your hand open and lock jaw. They make you kaput, Leopold Leibman. You watch them, chaps. Bloom, weakly. They challenged me to a sprint. It was muddy, I slipped. Rudolph, with contempt. Goyam Natchez. Nice spectacles for your poor mother. Mama! Ellen Bloom, in pantomime dame's stringed mob cap, crinoline and bustle, widow Twanky's blouse with mutton leg sleeves buttoned behind, grey mittens and cameo brooch, her hair plaited in a crispine net, appears over the staircase banisters, a slanted candlestick in her hand, and cries out in shrill alarm. Oh, blessed Redeemer, what have they done to him? I smell him sauce. She hauls up a reef of skirt and ransacks the pouch of her striped play petticoat. A file, an Agnes Dei, a shriveled potato and a celluloid doll fall out. Good heart of Mary, where were you at all at all? Bloom, mumbling, his eyes downcast, begins to bestow his parcels in his filled pockets, but desists, muttering. A voice, sharply. Boldy. Who? He ducks and wards off a blow clumsily. At your service. He looks up. Beside her mirage of date palms, a handsome woman in Turkish costume stands before him. Opulent curves fill out her scarlet trousers and jacket slashed with gold. A wide yellow cummerbund girdles her. A white yashmak, violet in the night, covers her face, leaving free only her large dark eyes and raven hair. Molly. Wellie, Mrs. Marion from this out, my dear man, when you speak to me. Satirically. Has poor little hubby cold feet waiting so long? Bloom shifts from foot to foot. No, no, not the least little bit. He breathes in deep agitation, swallowing gulps of air. Questions, hopes, crew beans for her supper, things to tell her, excuses, desire, spellbound. A coin gleams on her forehead. On her feet are jeweled toe rings. Her ankles are linked by a slender fetter chain. Beside her, a camel, hooded with a turreting turban, waits. A silk ladder of innumerable rungs climbs to his bobbing howder. He ambles near with disgruntled hindquarters. Fiercely, she slaps his haunch, her gold curb wrist bangles angrilling, scolding him in Moorish. The camel, lifting a foreleg, plucks from a tree a large mango fruit, offers it to his mistress, blinking in his cloven hoof. Then droops his head and, grunting, with uplifted neck, fumbles to kneel. Bloom stoops his back for leapfrog. I can give you, I mean, as your business manager, uh, Mrs. Marion, if you... So you notice some change? Her hands passing slowly over her trinketed stomacher. A slow, friendly mockery in her eyes. Oh, Poldy, Poldy, you are a poor old stick in the mud. 
Go and see life. See the wide world. I was just going back for that lotion, white wax, orange flower water. Shop closes early on Thursday, but the first thing in the morning. He pats Diver's pockets. This moving kidney. Ah. He points to the south, then to the east. A cake of new, clean lemon soap arises, diffusing light and perfume. We're a capital couple. Our bloom and I. He brightens the earth. I polish the sky. The freckled face of Sweeney, the druggist, appears in the disc of the soap sun. Three and a penny, please. Yes, uh, for my wife, Mrs. Marion. Special recipe. Marion, softly. Yes, ma'am. In disdain, she saunters away, plump as a pampered powder pigeon, humming the duet from Don Giovanni. Are you sure about that volio? I mean the pronunciation. He follows, followed by the sniffing terrier. The elderly board seizes his sleeve, the bristles of her chin mold glittering. Ten shillings a maiden head. Fresh thing was never touched. Fifteen. There's no one in it. Only her old father that's dead drunk. She points. In the gap of her dark den, furtive, rain-bedraggled, Bridie Kelly stands. Hatch Street. Any good in your mind? With a squeak, she flaps her bat shawl and runs. A burly ruff pursues with booted strides. He stumbles on the steps, recovers, plunges into gloom. Weak squeaks of laughter are heard, weaker. The board, her wolf eyes shining. He's getting his pleasure. You won't get a virgin in the flash houses. Ten shillings. Don't be all night before the polis in plain clothes sees us. Sixty-seven is a bitch. Leering, Gertie McDowell limps forward. She draws from behind, ogling, and shows coyly her bloodied clout. With all my worldly goods, I thee and thou. She murmurs. You did that. I hate you. I? When? Uh, you were dreaming. I never saw you. Leave the gentleman alone, you cheat. Writing the gentleman false letters. Street walking and soliciting. Better for your mother take the strap to you at the bedpost, hussy like you. Gertie to Bloom. When you saw all the secrets of my bottom drawer... She pours his sleeve, slobbering. Dirty married man. I love you for doing that to me. She slides away, crookedly. Mrs. Breen, in man's fries overcoat with loose bellows pockets, stands in the causeway, her roguish eyes wide open, smiling in all her herbiferous buck teeth. Mr. Bloom coughs gravely. Madam, when we last had this pleasure, by letter dated the 16th inst... Mr. Bloom, you down here in the haunts of sin. I caught you nicely, scamp. Bloom, hurriedly. Uh, Not so loud, my name. Whatever do you think me? Don't give me away. Walls have ears. How do you do? It's ages since I... You're looking splendid. Absolutely it... Seasonable weather we are having this time of year. Black. Refracts heat. Shortcut home here. Interesting quarter. Rescue of fallen women. Magdalen Asylum. I am the secretary. Mrs. Breen holds up a finger. Now, don't tell a big fib. I know somebody won't like that. Oh, just wait till I see Molly. Slyly. Account for yourself this very minute or woe betide you. Bloom looks behind. She often said she'd like to visit. Slamming. The exotic, you see. 
Negro servants, too, in livery if she had money. Othello, black brute. Eugene Stratton, even the bones and corner man at the Livermore Christie's. Bohe brothers. Sweep, for that matter. Tom and Sam Bohe, coloured coons in white duck suits, scarlet socks, upstarched Sambo chokers and large scarlet asters in their buttonholes leap out. Each has his banjo slung. Their paler, smaller, negroid hands jingle the twing-twang wires. Flashing white kaffir eyes and tusks, they rattle to a breakdown in clumsy clogs, twinging, singing, back-to-back, toe-heel, heel-toe, with smack-fat clacking nigger lips. There's someone in the house with Dinah. There's someone in the house I know. There's someone in the house with Dinah. Playing on the old banjo. They whisk black masks from raw babby faces. Then, chuckling, chortling, trumming, twanging, they diddle-diddle cakewalk dance away. Bloom, with a sour, tenderish smile. A little frivol, shall we, if you are so inclined? Would you like me, perhaps, to embrace you just for a fraction of a second? Mrs. Breen screams gaily. Oh, you rock! You ought to see yourself. For old sake's sake. I only meant a square party, a mixed marriage mingling of our different little conjugials. You know I had a soft corner for you. Gloomily. It was I sent you that valentine of the dear gazelle. Glory, Alice, you do look a holy show. Killing simply. She puts out her hand inquisitively. What are you hiding behind your back? Tell us there's a dear. Bloom seizes her wrist with his free hand. Josie Powell that was. Prettiest Deb in Dublin. How time flies by. Do you remember harking back in a retrospective arrangement? Old Christmas night, Georgina Simpson's housewarming while they were playing the Irving Bishop game, finding the pin blindfold and thought reading. Subject, what is in this snuffbox? You were the lion of the night with your serio-comic recitation and you looked the part. You were always a favourite with the ladies. Bloom, squire of dames in dinner jacket with watered silk facings, Blue Masonic badge in his buttonhole, black bow and mother-of-pearl studs, a prismatic champagne glass tilted in his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ireland home and beauty. The dear dead days beyond recall, love's old sweet song. Bloom meaningfully dropping his voice. I confess I'm teapot with curiosity to find out whether some person's something is a little teapot at present. Mrs. Breen gushingly. Tremendously teapot, London's teapot, and I'm simply teapot all over me. She rubs sides with him. After the parlour mystery games and the crackers from the tree, we sat on the staircase ottoman under the mistletoe to his company. Bloom, wearing a purple Napoleon hat with an amber half moon, his fingers and thumbs passing slowly down to her soft, moist, meaty palm, which she surrenders gently. The witching hour of night. I took the splinter out of this hand carefully, slowly. Tenderly, as he slips on her finger a ruby ring. La ci darem la mano. Mrs. Breen, in a one-piece evening frock, executed in moonlight blue, a tinsel silk diadem on her brow, with her dance card fallen beside her moon-blue satin slipper, curves her palm softly. Breathing quickly. Volue non, your heart you scalding, the left hand nearest the heart. When you made your present choice, they said it was beauty, 
And the beast. I can never forgive you for that. His clenched fist at his brow. Think what it means. All you meant to me then. Hoarsely. Woman, it's breaking me. Dennis Breen, white tall-hatted with Wisdom Healy's sandwich board, shuffles past them in carpet slippers, his dull beard thrust out, muttering to right and left. Little Alf Bergen, cloaked in the pall of the Ace of Spades, dogs him to left and right, doubled in laughter. Alf Bergen points, jeering at the sandwich boards. You pay up! Mrs Breen, to Bloom. I jinx below stairs. She gives him the glad eye. Why didn't you kiss the spot to make it well? You wanted to. Bloom, shocked. Molly's best friend, could you? Mrs Breen, her pulpy tongue between her lips, offers a pigeon kiss. The answer is a lemon. Have you a little present for me there? Bloom, off-handedly. Uh, kosher, a snack for supper. The home without potted meat is incomplete. I was at Lear, Mrs. Banman Palmer, trenchant exponent of Shakespeare. Unfortunately, threw away the programme. Rattling good place round there for pig's feet. Feel. Richie Golding, three ladies' hats pinned on his head, appears weighted to one side by the black legal bag of Collis and Ward, on which a skull and crossbones are painted in white lime wash. He opens it and shows it full of polonies, kippered herrings, Findon haddies and tight-packed pills. Richie. Best value in job. Bald Pat, bothered beetle, stands on the curbstone, folding his napkin, waiting to wait. Pat advances with a tilted dish of spill-spilling gravy. Steak and kidney... Bottle of lager. <laughs> wait till I wait. Good God, I never eat in all. With hanging head, he marches doggedly forward. The navvy, lurching by, gores him with his flaming pronghorn. Richie, with a cry of pain, his hand to his back. Ah, bright lights. Bloom points to the navvy. A spy. Don't attract attention. I hate stupid crowds. I am not on pleasure bent. I am in a grave predicament. Humbugging and deluthering as per usual with your cock and bull story. I want to tell you a little secret about how I came to be here. But you must never tell, not even Molly. I have a most particular reason. Mrs. Breen, all agog. Oh, not for worlds. Let's walk on, shall us? Let's. The board makes an unheeded sign. Bloom walks on with Mrs. Breen. The terrier follows, whining piteously, wagging his tail. The board. Jew man's melt. Bloom, in an oatmeal sporting suit, a sprig of woodbine in the lapel, Tony buff shirt, shepherd's plaid St. Andrew's cross scarf tie, white spats, fawn dust coat on his arm, tawny red brogues, field glasses in bandolier and a grey billycock hat. Do you remember a long, long time, years and years ago, just after Millie, marionette we called her, was weaned when we all went together to fairy house races, was it? Mrs. Breen, in smart sacks tailor-made, white velour hat and spider veil. Leopardstown. I mean Leopardstown. And Molly won seven shillings on a three-year-old named Never Tell. And coming home along by Fox Rock in that old five-seater Chandradan of a wagonette, you were in your heyday then, and you had on that new hat of white velour with a surround of mole fur, which Mrs. Hayes advised you to buy because it was marked down to 19 and 11. 
a bit of wire and an old rag of velveteen, and I lay you what you like she did it on purpose. She did, of course, the cat. Don't tell me. Nice advisor. Because it didn't suit you one quarter as well as that other ducky little Tammy toque with the bird of paradise wing in it that I admired on you, and you honestly looked just too fetching in it, though it was a pity to kill it, you cruel creature. Little mite of a thing with a heart the size of a full stop. Mrs. Breen squeezes his arm, simpers. Naughty, cruel I was. Bloom, low, secretly, ever more rapidly. And Molly was eating a sandwich of spiced beef out of Mrs. Joe Gallagher's lunch basket. Frankly, though she had her advisers or admirers, I never cared much for her style. She was... Too... Uh, yes, and Molly was laughing because Rogers and Maggot O'Reilly were mimicking a cock as we passed a farmhouse. And Marcus Tertius Moses, the tea merchant, drove past us in a gig with his daughter. Dancer Moses was her name. And the poodle in her lap bridled up. And you asked me if I ever heard or read or knew or came across... Mrs. Breen, eagerly. Yes, 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 yes. She fades from his side. Followed by the whining dog, he walks on towards Hell's Gates. In an archway, a standing woman, bent forward, her feet apart, pisses cowardly. Outside a shuttered pub, a bunch of loiterers listen to a tale which their broken-snouted gaffer rasps out with raucous humour. An armless pair of them flop, wrestling, growling, in maimed, sudden play-fight. The gaffer crouches, his voice twisted in his snout. And when Cairns came down from the scaffolding in Beaver Street, what was he out to do in the ninja? Only into the book of the porter that was there waiting on the shavings for Darwin's plasterers. <laughs> the loiterers guffaw with cleft pellets. Their paint-speckled hats wag. Spattered with size and lime of their lodges, they frisk limblessly about him. Coincidence, too. They think it funny. Anything but that. Broad daylight, trying to walk. Lucky no woman. Jeez, that's a good one. Lovers. Oh, Jay's oh, into the men's porter. Bloom passes. Cheap whores, singly, coupled, shawled, dishevelled, call from lanes, doors, corners. Are you going far, queer fella? How's your middle leg? Got a match on you. Hey, come here till I stiffen it for you. He plodges through their sump towards the lighted street beyond. From a bulge of window curtains, a gramophone rears a battered brazen trunk. In the shadow, a she-beankeeper haggles with the navvy and the two redcoats. The navvy, belching. Where's the bloody house? The she-beankeeper. Horden Street. Chilling a bottle of stilt. Respectable woman. The navvy, gripping the two redcoats, staggers forward with them. Come on, you British army! Private car behind his back. He ain't half army. Private Compton laughs. What ho! Private car to the navvy. Port the Bella Berwick's canteen. You ask for car. Just car. The navvy shouts. We are the boys of Wexford. Say, what price the sergeant major? Bennett, he's my pal. Oh, I love old Bennett. The galling chain and free our native land. He staggers forward, dragging them with him. Bloom stops at fault. The dog approaches, his tongue out lolling, panting. Wild ghost chase this. 
disorderly houses. Lord knows where they're gone. Drunks cover distance double quick. Nice mix-up seen at Westland Row. Then jump in first class with third ticket. Then too far. Train with engine behind. Might have taken me to Malahide or a siding for the night or collision. Second drink does it. Once is a dose. What am I following him for? Still, he's the best of that lot. If I hadn't heard about Mrs. Beaufoy, Purifoy, I wouldn't have gone and wouldn't have met. Kismet. He'll lose that cash. Relieving officer. Good biz for cheap jacks, organs. What do you lack? Soon got, soon gone. Might have lost my life, too, with that mangong wheel-track trolley-glare juggernaut only for presence of mind. Can't always save you, though. If I had passed Trulock's window that day, two minutes later would have been shot. Absence of body. Still, if bullet only went through my coat, get damages for shock. Five hundred pounds. What was he? Kildare Street Club Toff. God help his gamekeeper. He gazes ahead, reading on the wall a scrawled chalk legend. Wet dream. And a phallic design. Odd. Molly drawing on the frosted carriage pane at Kingstown. What's that like? Gaudy dull women loll in the lighted doorways, in window embrasures, smoking bird's eye cigarettes. The odour of the six sweet weed floats towards him in slow, round, overling wreaths. The wreaths. Sweet are the sweets, sweets of sin. My spine's a bit limp. Go or turn. And this food. Eat it and get all pig-sticky. Absurd I am. Waste of money. One and eightpence too much. The retriever drives a cold, snivelling muzzle against his hand, wagging his tail. Strange how they take to me. Even that brute today. Better speak to him first. Like women, they like rencontre. Stinks like a polecat. Chacun son go. He might be mad. Fido? Uncertain in his movements. Good fellow. Gary Owen? The wolf dog sprawls on his back, wriggling obscenely with begging paws, his long black tongue lolling out. Influence of his surroundings. Give and have done with it, provided nobody. Calling encouraging words, he shambles back with a furtive poacher's tread, dogged by the setter into a dark, stale-stunk corner. He unrolls one parcel and goes to dump the crew bean softly, but holds back and feels the trotter. Sizable for threepence, but then I have it in my left hand. Calls for more effort. Why? Smaller, from want of use. Oh, let it slide, two and six. With regret, he lets unrolled crew bean and trotter slide. The mastiff mauls the bundle clumsily and guts himself with growling greed. Crunching the bones. Two rain-caped watch approach, silent, vigilant. They murmur together. Bloom of bloom, for bloom, bloom. Each lays a hand on Bloom's shoulder. First watch. Caught in the act, commit no nuisance. Bloom stammers. I am doing good to others. A covey of gulls, storm petrels, rises hungrily from Liffey Slime with Banbury cakes in their beaks. Help! 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 
the friend of man trained by kindness. He points. Bob Dolan, toppling from a high bar stool, sways over the munching spaniel. Cosa, give us the paw. Give the paw. The bulldog growls, his scruff standing, a gobbet of pig's knuckle between his molars, through which rapid scumspittle dribbles. Bob Doran falls silently into an area. Second watch. Prevention of cruelty to animals. Bloom, enthusiastically. A noble work. I scolded that tram driver on Harold's Cross Bridge for ill-using the poor horse with his harness cab. Bad French I got for my pains. Of course it was frosty in the last tram. All tales of circus life are highly demoralising. Signor Maffei, passion pale in lion tamer's costume with diamond studs in his shirt front, steps forward, holding a circus paper hoop, a curling carriage whip and a revolver with which he covers the gorging boar hound. Signor Maffei, with a sinister smile. Ladies and gentlemen, my educated greyhound. It was I broke in the bucking bronco Ajax with my patent-spiked saddle for carnivores. Lash under the belly with a knotted thong. Block, tackle, and a strangling pulley will bring your lion to heel, no matter how fractious. Even Leo Ferox there, the Libyan man-eater. A red-hot crowbar and some liniment rubbing on the burning part produced Fritz of Amsterdam, the thinking hyena. He glares. I possess the Indian sign. The glint of my eye does it with these breast sparklers. With a bewitching smile. I now introduce Mademoiselle Ruby, the pride of the ring. Come name and address. I have uh, forgotten for the moment. Ah, yes. He takes off his high-grade hat, saluting. Dr. Bloom, Leopold, dental surgeon. You have heard of Von Bloom Pasha, umpteen millions, Donnerwetter, owns half Austria, Egypt. Cousin. Prof. A card falls from inside the leather headband of Bloom's hat. Bloom, in red fez, Cuddy's dress coat with broad green sash, wearing a false badge of the Legion of Honor, picks up the card hastily and offers it. Allow me. My club is the Junior Army and Navy. Solicitors, Messrs. John Henry Menton, 27 Bachelor's Walk. First watch reads. Henry Flower, no fixed abode. Unlawfully watching and besetting. Second watch. An alibi. You are cautioned. Bloom produces from his heart pocket a crumpled yellow flower. This is the flower in question. It was given me by a man. I don't know his name. Plausibly. You know that old joke, Rose of Castile, Bloom, the change of name, Virag. He murmurs privately and confidentially. We are engaged, you see, Sergeant. Lady in the case. Love entanglement. He shoulders the second watch gently. Dash it all. It's a way we gallants have in the Navy. Uniform that does it. He turns gravely to the first watch. Still, of course, you do get your Waterloo sometimes. Drop in some evening and have a glass of old Burgundy. To the second watch, gaily. I'll introduce you, Inspector. She's game. Do it in the shake of a lamb's tail. A dark, mercurialized face appears, leading a veiled figure. The dark Mercury. The castle is looking for him. He was drummed out of the army. Martha, thick-veiled, a crimson halter round her neck, a copy of the Irish Times in her hand... In tone of reproach. 
pointing. Henry! Leopold! Leopold! Lionel! Thou lost one! Clear my name! First watch sternly. Come to the station. Bloom, scared, hats himself, steps back, then, plucking at his heart and lifting his right forearm on the square, he gives the sign and due guard of fellowcraft. No, no, worshipful master, light of love. Mistaken identity. The Lyon male, Les and Dubosc. You remember the child's fratricide case? We medical men. By striking him dead with a hatchet. I am wrongfully accused. Better one guilty escape than ninety-nine wrongfully condemned. Martha, sobbing behind her veil. Breach of promise. My real name is Peggy Griffin. He wrote to me that he was miserable. I'll tell my brother the Bechtum Rugger full back on you, heartless flirt. Bloom behind his hand. She's drunk. The woman is inebriated. He murmurs vaguely the past of Ephraim. Shit, Broilit! Second watch, tears in his eyes to Bloom. You ought to be thoroughly well ashamed of yourself. Gentlemen of the jury, let me explain. A pure mare's nest, I am a man misunderstood. I am being made a scapegoat of. I am a respectable married man without a stain on my character. I live in Eccle Street. My wife... I am the daughter of a most distinguished commander, a gallant, upstanding gentleman who... Who do you call him? Major General Brian Tweedy, one of Britain's fighting men who helped win our battles. Got his majority for the heroic defence of Rourke's Drift. Regiment. Bloom turns to the gallery. The Royal Dublins. Boys, the salt of the earth, known the world over. I think I see some old comrades in arms up there among you. The RDF with our own metropolitan police guardians of our homes, the pluckiest lads and the finest body of men as physique in the service of our sovereign. A voice. Turncoat, up the boys! Who built Joe Chamberlain? Bloom, his hand on the shoulder of the first watch. My old dad, too, was a JP. I'm as staunch a Britisher as you are, sir. I fought with the colours for king and country in the absent-minded war under General Goff in the park and was disabled at Spionkop and Bloemfontein, was mentioned in dispatches. I did all a white man good. With quiet feeling. Jim Bloodsoe. Hold her nozzle again the bank. Professional trade. Well, I follow a literary occupation. Author, journalist. In fact, we are just bringing out a collection of prize stories of which I am the inventor. Something that is an entirely new departure. I am connected with the British and Irish press. If you ring up... Miles Crawford strides out jerkily, a quill between his teeth. His scarlet beak blazes within the aureole of his straw hat. He dangles a hank of Spanish onions in one hand and holds with the other hand a telephone receiver nozzle to his ear. Miles Crawford, his cock's wattles wagging. Hello? 7784? Hello? Freeman's urinal... And weekly asswiper here. Paralyze Europe? You witch. Blue bags? Who writes? Is it Bloom? Mr. Philip Beaufoy, pale-faced, stands in the witness box, in accurate morning dress, outbreast pocket with peak of handkerchief showing, creased lavender trousers and patent boots. He carries a large portfolio labelled Matcham's Masterstrokes. Beaufoy. Drawls. No, you aren't. Not by a long shot, if I know it. I don't see it, that's all. 
No born gentleman, no one with the most rudimentary promptings of a gentleman would stoop to such particularly loathsome conduct. One of those, my lord, a plagiarist, a soapy sneak masquerading as a literateur. It's perfectly obvious that with the most inherent baseness he has cribbed some of my best-selling books. Really gorgeous stuff, a perfect gem, the love passages in which are beneath suspicion. The Beaufoy books of love and great possessions with which your lordship is doubtless familiar are a household word throughout the kingdom. Bloom murmurs with hangdog meekness. That bit about the laughing witch hand in hand, I take exception to, if I may. Beaufoy, his lip upcurled, smiled superciliously on the court. You funny ass, you. You're too beastly awfully weird for words. I don't think you need over-excessively disincommodate yourself in that regard. My literary agent, Mr. J.B. Pinker, is in attendance. I presume, my lord, we shall receive the usual witnesses' fees, shan't we? We are considerably out of pocket over this valley pressman, Johnny, this jackdaw of Reims, who has not even been to a university. Bloom, indistinctly. University of life, bad art. Beaufoy shouts. It's a damnably foul lie, showing the moral rottenness of the man. He extends his portfolio. We have here damning evidence, the corpus delicti, my lord, a specimen of my maturer work, disfigured by the hallmark of the beast. A voice from the gallery. Moses, Moses, king of the Jews, wiped his ass in the daily news. Bloom, bravely. Overdrawn! You low cad! You ought to be ducked in the horse pond, you rotter. To the court. Why, look at the man's private life, leading a quadruple existence, street angel and house devil, not fit to be mentioned in mixed society. The arch-conspirator of the age! Bloom to the court. And he, a bachelor? How? First watch. The king versus Bloom. Call the woman Driscoll. The crier. Mary Driscoll! Scullery maid! Mary Driscoll, a slipshod servant girl, approaches. She has a bucket on the crook of her arm and a scouring brush in her hand. Second watch. Another? Are you of the unfortunate class? Mary Driscoll, indignantly. I'm not a bad one. I bear a respectable character and was four months in my last place. I was in a situation, six pounds a year and my chances with Fridays out, and I had to leave owing to his carryings on. What do you tax him with? He made a certain suggestion, but I thought more of myself as poor as I am. Bloom, in house jacket of ripple cloth, flannel trousers, heelless slippers, unshaven. His hair rumpled softly. I treated you white. I gave you mementos, smart emerald garters far above your station. Incautiously, I took your part when you were accused of pilfering. There's a medium in all things. Play cricket. Mary Driscoll, excitedly. As God is looking down on me this night, if ever I laid a hand to them oysters. The offence complained of, did something happen? He surprised me in the rear of the premises, Your Honour, when the missus was out shopping one morning with a request for a safety pin. He held me, and I was discoloured in four places as a result. And he interfered twice with my clothing. She counter-assaulted, Mary Driscoll, scornfully. I had more respect for the scarn brush, so I had. I remonstrated with him, Your Lord, and he remarked, Keep it quiet. <laughs> General laughter. George Futrell, Clerk of the Crown and Peace, resonantly. Order in court. The accused will now make a bogus statement. Bloom, pleading not guilty and holding a full-blown water lily, begins a long, unintelligible speech. They would hear what counsel had to say in his stirring address to the grand jury. He was down and out, but, though branded as a black sheep, 
if he might say so, he meant to reform, to retrieve the memory of the past in a purely sisterly way and return to nature as a purely domestic animal. A seven-month child, he had been carefully brought up and nurtured by an aged, bedridden parent. There might have been lapses of an erring father, but he wanted to turn over a new leaf. And now, when at long last in sight of the whipping post, to lead a homely life in the evening of his days, permeated by the affectionate surroundings of the heaving bosom of the family. An acclimatized Britisher, he had seen that summer eve from the footplate of an engine cab of the Loop Line Railway Company, while the rain refrained from falling, glimpses, as it were, through the windows of loveful households in Dublin City and urban district, of scenes truly rural, of happiness of the better land, with Dockrell's wallpaper at one and ninepence a dozen, innocent British-born bairns lisping prayers to the sacred infant, youthful scholars grappling with their pen sums, model young ladies playing on the pianoforte, or anon, all with fervour, reciting the family rosary round the crackling yule log, while in the boreens and green lanes the colleens with their swains strolled what times the strains of the organ-toned melodeon, Britannia, metal-bound, with four acting stops and twelve-fold bellows, a sacrifice, greatest bargain ever. <laughs> Renewed laughter. He mumbles incoherently. Reporters complain that they cannot hear. Longhand and shorthand, without looking up from their notebooks. Loosen his boots! Professor McHugh, from the press table, coughs and calls. <coughs> Cough it up, man! Get it out in bits! The cross-examination proceeds re Bloom and the bucket. A large bucket. Bloom himself. Bowel trouble. In Beaver Street. Gripe, yes. Quite bad. A plasterer's bucket. By walking stiff-legged. Suffered untold misery. Deadly agony. About noon. Love or burgundy? Yes, some spinach. Crucial moment. He did not look in the bucket. Nobody. Rather a mess. Not completely. A titbit's back number. <laughs> Uproar and catcalls. Bloom, in a torn frock coat stained with whitewash, dinged silk hat sideways on his head, a strip of sticking plaster across his nose, talks inaudibly. J.J. O'Malloy in barrister's grey wig and stuff gown, speaking with a voice of pained protest. Uh, this is no place for indecent levity at the expense of an erring mortal disguised in liquor. We are not in a beer garden, nor at an Oxford rag, nor is this a travesty of justice. My client is an infant, a poor foreign immigrant who started scratch as a stowaway and is now trying to turn an honest penny. The trumped-up misdemeanor was due to a momentary aberration of heredity, brought on by hallucination. Such familiarities as the alleged guilty occurrence being quite Permitted in my client's native place, uh, the land of the pharaoh. Prima facie, 
I put it to you that there was no attempt at carnally knowing. Intimacy did not occur, and the offence complained of by Driscoll, that her virtue was solicited, was not repeated. I would deal in especial with atavism. There have been cases of shipwreck and somnambulism in my client's family. If the accused could speak, he could a tale unfold, one of the strangest that have ever been narrated between the covers of a book. He himself, my lord, is a physical wreck from Cobbler's weak chest. His submission is that he is of Mongolian extraction and irresponsible for his actions. Not all there, in fact. Bloom, barefoot, pigeon-breasted, in Lasker's vest and trousers, apologetic toes turned in, opens his tiny mole's eyes and looks about him dazedly, passing a slow hand across his forehead. Then he hitches his belt, sailor-fashion, and with a shrug of oriental obeisance, salutes the court, pointing one thumb heavenward. Him makey very muchy fine night? He begins to lilt simply. Lily poor little child, blinky pickfoot every night, pay two shilling. He is howled down. J.J. O'Malloy, hotly to the populace. This is a lone hand fight. By head is, I will not have any client of mine gagged and badgered in this fashion by a pack of cores and laughing hyenas. The mosaic code has superseded the law of the jungle. I say it, and I say it emphatically, without wishing for one moment to defeat the ends of justice. Accused was not accessory before the act, and prosecutrix has not been tampered with. The young person was treated by defendant as if she were his very own daughter. Bloom takes J.J. O'Malloy's hand and raises it to his lips. I shall call rebutting evidence to prove, up to the hilt, that the Hidden hand is again at its old game. When in doubt, persecute bloom. My client, an innately bashful man, would be the last man in the world to do anything ungentlemanly which injured modesty could object to or cast a stone at a girl who took the wrong turning when some dastard, responsible for her condition, had worked his own sweet will on her. He wants to go straight. I regard him as the whitest man I know. He is down on his luck at present, owing to the mortgaging of his extensive property at Agendeth Natem in faraway Asia Minor. Slides of which will now be shown. To Bloom. I suggest that you will do the handsome thing. A penny in the pound. The mirage of the Lake of Kinnereth. 
with blurred cattle cropping in silver haze is projected on the wall. Moses Lugatz, ferret-eyed albino, in blue dungarees, stands up in the gallery, holding in each hand an orange citron and a pork kidney. Lugatz, hoarsely. Bleib betrayer Strasse, Berlin, W. Tertin. J.J.O. Malloy steps onto a low plinth and holds the lapel of his coat with solemnity. His face lengthens, grows pale and bearded with sunken eyes, the blotches of thysis and hectic cheekbones of John F. Taylor. He applies his handkerchief to his mouth and scrutinizes the galloping tide of rose-pink blood. J.J. O'Malloy, almost voicelessly. Excuse me, I am suffering from a severe chill. Have recently come from a sick bed. A few well-chosen words. He assumes the avine head, foxy moustache, and proboscidal eloquence of Seymour Bush. When the angel's book comes to be opened, if aught that the pensive bosom has inaugurated of soul-transfigured and of soul-transfiguring deserves to live, I say... Accord the prisoner at the bar the sacred benefit of the doubt. A paper with something written on it is handed into court. Bloom, in court dress. Can give best references. Messrs. Callan, Coleman, Mr. Wisdom Healy, J.P., my old chief, Joe Cuff, Mr. V.B. Dillon, ex-Lord Mayor of Dublin. I have moved in the charmed circle of the highest queens of Dublin society. Carelessly. I was just chatting this afternoon at the Viceregal Lodge to my old pals, Sir Robert and Lady Paul, Astronomer Royal at the Levee. Sir Bob, I said. Mrs. Yelverton Barry, in low-corsaged opal ball dress and elbow-length ivory gloves, wearing a sable-trimmed brick quilted dolman, a comb of brilliance and panache of osprey in her hair. Arrest him, constable. He wrote me an anonymous letter in printer's backhand when my husband was in the north riding of Tipperary on the Munster circuit, signed James Lovebirch. He said that he had seen from the gods my peerless globes as I sat in a box of the Theatre Royal at a command performance of La Cigale. I deeply inflamed him, he said. He made improper overtures to me to misconduct myself at half-past four p.m. on the following Thursday, dancing time. He offered to send me through the post a work of fiction by Monsieur Paul de Coq entitled The Girl with the Three Pairs of Stays. Mrs. Bellingham, in cap and seal coney mantle, wrapped up to the nose, steps out of her brougham and scans through tortoiseshell quizzing glasses which she takes from inside her huge opossum muff. Also to me. Yes, I believe it is the same objectionable person. Because he closed my carriage door outside Sir Thornley Stoker's one sleety day during the cold snap of February 93, when even the grid of the waste pipe and ball stop in my bath cistern were frozen. Subsequently, he enclosed a bloom of Edelweiss, culled on the heights, as he said, in my honour. I had it examined by a botanical expert and elicited the information that it was a blossom of the homegrown potato plant, purloined from a forcing case of the model farm. Shame on him! A crowd of sluts and ragamuffins surges forward, screaming. Stop, please! Hooray there, Bluebeard! Three cheers for Ikey Bell! 
Second watch. Produces handcuffs. Here are the derbies. Mrs. Bellingham. He addressed me in several handwritings with fulsome compliments as a Venus in furs and alleged profound pity for my frostbound coachman, Barmer, while in the same breath he expressed himself as envious of his ear flaps and fleecy sheepskins and of his fortunate proximity to my person when standing behind my chair wearing my livery and the armorial bearings of the Bellingham escutcheon, a garnished sable, a buck's head, cooped or. He lauded almost extravagantly my nether extremities, my swelling calves in silk hose drawn up to the limit, and eulogized glowingly my other hidden treasures in priceless lace, which he said he could conjure up. He urged me, stating that he felt it his mission in life to urge me to defile the marriage bed, to commit adultery at the earliest possible opportunity. The Honorable Mrs. Mervyn Tallboys, in Amazon costume, hard hat, jackboots, cockspurred, Vermilion waistcoat, fawn musketeer gauntlets with braided drums, long train held up, and hunting crop, with which she strikes her welt constantly. Also me, because he saw me on the polo ground of the Phoenix Park at the match all Ireland versus the rest of Ireland. My eyes, I know, shone divinely as I watched Captain Slogger Dennehy of the Inner Skellings win the final chucker on his darling Cobb Centaur. This plebeian Don Juan observed me from behind a hackney car and sent me in double envelopes an obscene photograph, such as are sold after dark on Paris boulevards, insulting to any lady. I have it still. It represents a partially nude senorita, frail and lovely, his wife, as he solemnly assured me, taken by him from nature. Practicing illicit intercourse with a muscular torero. Evidently a blackguard. He urged me to do likewise, to misbehave, to sin with officers of the garrison. He implored me to soil his letter in an unspeakable manner, to chastise him as he richly deserves, to bestride and ride him, to give him a most vicious horse-whipping. Mrs. Bellingham. Me too. Mrs. Yelverton Barry. Me too. Several highly respectable Dublin ladies hold up in proper letters received from Bloom. The Honourable Mrs. Mervyn Tallboys stamps her jingling spurs in a sudden paroxysm of sudden fury. I will, by the God above me. I'll scourge the pigeon-livered cur as long as I can stand over him. I'll slay him alive. Bloom. His eyes closing, quails expectantly. Here? He squirms. Again? He pants, cringing. I love the danger. Very much so. I'll make it hot for you. I'll make you dance Jack Latin for that. Turn his breech well, the upstart. Write the stars and stripes on it. Disgraceful. There's no excuse for him. A married man. All these people. I meant only the spanking idea. A warm, tingling glow without effusion. Refined birching to stimulate the circulation. The Honourable Mrs. Mervyn Tallboys laughs derisively. <laughs> did you, my fine fellow? Well, by the living God, you'll get the surprise of your life now. Believe me, the most unmerciful hiding a man ever bargained for. You have lashed the dormant tigress in my nature into fury. Mrs. Bellingham shakes her muff and quizzing glasses vindictively. Make him smart, Hannah, dear. Give him ginger. Thrash the mongrel within an inch of his life. The cat o' nine tails. Gild him. Vivisect him. Bloom, shuddering, shrinking, 
joins his hands with hangdog mien. Oh, cold. Oh, shivery. It was your ambrosial beauty. Forget. Forgive. Kiss me. Let me off this once. He offers the other cheek. Mrs. Yelverton Barry severely... Don't do so on any account, Mrs. Tallboys. He should be soundly trounced. The Honourable Mrs. Mervyn Tallboys unbuttoning her gauntlet violently. I'll do no such thing. Pig dog, and always was, ever since he was pupped. To dare address me. I'll flog him black and blue in the public streets. I'll dig my spurs in him up to the rowel. He is a well-known cuckold. She swishes her hunting crop savagely in the air. Take down his trousers without loss of time. Come here, sir. Quick, ready. Bloom, trembling, beginning to obey. The weather has been so warm. Davy Stevens, ringleted, passes with a bevy of barefoot newsboys. Davy Stevens. Messenger of the Sacred Heart and Evening Telegraph with St. Patrick's Day supplement containing the new addresses of all the cuckoos in Dublin. The very reverend Canon O'Hanlon, in cloth of gold cope, elevates and exposes a marble timepiece. Before him, Father Conroy and the Reverend John Hughes, S.J., bend low. The timepiece, unportaling. The brass quoits of a bed are heard to jingle. The quoits. A panel of fog rolls back rapidly, revealing rapidly in the jury box the faces of Martin Cunningham, foreman, silk-hatted, Jack Parr, Simon Dedalus, Tom Kernan, Ned Lambert, John Henry Menton, Miles Crawford, Lenehan, Paddy Leonard, Nosey Flynn, McCoy, and the featureless face of a nameless one. The nameless one. Bareback riding. Wait for age. Gob, he organized her. The jurors, all their heads turned to his voice. Really? The nameless one snarls. Ass over chip. Hundred shillings to five. The jurors, all their heads lowered in assent. Most of us thought as much. First watch. He is a marked man. Another girl's plat cut. Wanted Jack the Ripper. A thousand pounds reward. Second watch. Awed whispers. And in black. A Mormon. Anarchist. The crier, loudly. Whereas Leopold Bloom of no fixed abode is a well-known dynamited forger, bigamist, bored and cuckold and a public nuisance to the citizens of Dublin, and whereas at this commission of assizes the most honourable... His Honour, Sir Frederick Faulkner, recorder of Dublin, in judicial garb of grey stone, rises from the bench, stone-bearded. He bears in his arms an umbrella scepter. From his forehead arise starkly the mosaic ram's horns. The recorder. I will put an end to this white slave traffic and rid Dublin of this odious pest... Scandalous. He dons the black cap. Let him be taken, Mr. Subsheriff, from the dock where he now stands and detained in custody in Mountjoy Prison during His Majesty's pleasure and there be hanged by the neck until he is dead and therein fail not at your peril or may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Remove him. A black skull cap descends upon his head. The sub-sheriff, Long John Fanning, appears, smoking a pungent Henry Clay. Long John Fanning scowls and calls with rich rolling utterance. Who'll hang Judas Iscariot? 
H. Rumbold, Master Barber, in a blood-coloured jerkin and Tanner's apron, a rope coiled over his shoulder, mounts the block. A life preserver and a nail-studded bludgeon are stuck in his belt. He rubs grimly his grappling hands, knobbed with knuckle dusters. Rumbled to the recorder with sinister familiarity. Hanging Harry, your majesty. The mare's terror. Five guineas a jugular. Neck or nothing. The bells of George's church toll slowly. Loud, dark iron. The bells. Bloom. Desperately. Wait! Stop! Gulls, good heart. I saw innocence. Girl in the monkey house. Zoo, lewd chimpanzees. Breathlessly. Pelvic basin. Her artless blush unmanned me. Overcome with emotion. I left the precincts. He turns to a figure in the crowd, appealing. Heinz! May I speak to you? You know me? That three shillings you can keep if you want a little more? Heinz, coldly. You are a perfect stranger. Second watch points to the corner. The bomb is here. First watch. Infernal machine with the time fuse. No, no. Pig's feet. I was at a funeral. First watch draws his truncheon. Liar. The beagle lifts his snout, showing the grey, scorbutic face of Paddy Dignam. He has gnawed all. He exhales a putrid, carcass-fed breath. He grows to human size and shape. His dachshund coat becomes a brown mortuary habit. His green eye flashes bloodshot. Half of one ear, all the nose and both thumbs are ghoul-eaten. Paddy Dignam in a hollow voice. It is true. It was my funeral. Dr. Fenucan pronounced life extinct when I succumbed to the disease from natural causes. He lifts his mutilated ashen face moonwards and bays lugubriously. Bloom in triumph. You hear? Bloom, I am Paddy Dignam's spirit. List, list, oh list. The voice is the voice of Esau. Second watch blesses himself. How is that possible? First watch. It is not in the penny catechism. By metempsychosis. Spooks. Oh, rocks. Paddy Dignam, earnestly. Once I was in the employ of Mr. J.H. Menton, solicitor, commissioner for roads and affidavits of 27 Bachelor's Walk. Now I am defunct. The wall of the heart hypertrophied. Hard lines. The poor wife was awfully cut up. How is she bearing it? Keep her off that bottle of sherry. He looks round him. A lamp. I must satisfy an animal need. That buttermilk didn't agree with me. The portly figure of John O'Connell, caretaker, stands forth, holding a bunch of keys tied with crepe. Beside him stands Father Coffey, chaplain, toad-bellied, wry-necked, in a surplus and bandana nightcap, holding sleepily a staff of twisted poppies. Father Coffey yawns, then chants with a hoarse croak. Jacob's War Biscuit Salmon! John O'Connell foghorns stormily through his megaphone. Dignam, Patrick T., deceased! Paddy Dignam, 
with pricked up ears, winces. Overtones. He wriggles forward, places an ear to the ground. My master's voice. John O'Connell. Burial docket, letter number UP. 85,000. Field 17. House of Keys. Plot 101. Paddy Dignam listens with visible effort, thinking, his tail stiff-pointed, his ears cocked. Pray for the repose of his soul. He worms down through a coal hole, his brown habit trailing its tether over rattling pebbles. After him toddles an obese grandfather rat on fungus turtle paws under a grey carapace. Dignam's voice, muffled, is heard baying underground. Dignam's dead and gone. Tom Rochford, Robin red-breasted, in cap and breeches, jumps from his two-columned machine. Tom Rochford, a hand to his breastbone, bows. Reuben J. A flirting, I find him. He fixes the manhole with a resolute stare. My turn now on. Follow me up to Carlo. He executes a daredevil salmon leap in the air and is engulfed in the coal hole. Two discs on the columns wobble eyes of naught. All recedes. Bloom plodges forward again. He stands before a lighted house, listening. The kisses, winging from their bowers, fly about him, twittering, warbling, cooing. The kisses, warbling, twittering. Cooing. Warbling. Twittering. Warbling. They rustle. Flutter upon his garments. A light, bright, giddy flicks. Silvery sequins. A man's touch. Sad music. Church music. Perhaps here. Zoe Higgins, a young whore in a sapphire slip, closed with three bronze buckles, a slim black velvet fillet round her throat, nods, trips down the steps, and accosts him. Are you looking for someone? He's inside with his friend. Is this uh, Mrs. Max? No, 81, Mrs. Goins. You might go farther and fare worse. Mother slipper slapper. Familiarly. She's on the job herself tonight with a vet, a tipster, that gives her all the winners and pays for her son in Oxford. Working overtime, but her luck's turn today. Suspiciously. You're not his father, are you? Not I. You're both in black. Has little Marcy any tickles tonight? His skin, alert, feels her fingertips approach. A hand slides over his left thigh. How's the nuts? Uh, offside. Curiously, they are on the right. Heavier, I suppose. One in a million, my tailor messiah says. Zoe, in sudden alarm. You've a hard shanker. Not likely. I feel it. Her hand slides into his left trouser pocket and brings out a hard, black, shriveled potato. She regards it and Bloom with dumb, moist lips. A talisman, heirloom. 
for Zoe, for keeps, for being so nice, eh? She puts the potato greedily into a pocket, then links his arm, cuddling him with supple warmth. He smiles uneasily. Slowly, note by note, oriental music is played. He gazes in the tawny crystal of her eyes, ringed with coal. His smile softens. You'll know me the next time. Bloom forlornly. I never loved a dear gazelle, but it was sure to... Gazelles are leaping, feeding on the mountains. Near are lakes. Round their shores file shadows black of cedar groves. Aroma rises, a strong hair growth of resin. It burns the Orient, a sky of sapphire, cleft by the bronze flight of eagles. Under it lies the woman city, nude, white, still, cool, in luxury. A fountain murmurs among damask roses. Mammoth roses murmur of scarlet wine grapes. A wine of shame, lust, blood exudes, strangely murmuring. Zoe, murmuring sing-song with the music, her odorless lips lusciously smeared with salve of swine fat and rose water. Bloom, fascinated. I thought you were of good stock by your accent. And you know what thought did? She bites his ear gently with little gold-stopped teeth, sending on him a cloying breath of stale garlic. The roses draw apart disclose a sepulchre of the gold of kings and their mouldering bones. Bloom draws back, mechanically caressing her right bub with a flat, awkward hand. Are you a Dublin girl? Zoe catches a stray hair deftly and twists it to her coil. <laughs> no bloody fear. I'm English. Have you a swagger root? Bloom, as before. Rarely smoke, dear. Cigar now and then. Childish device. Lewdly. The mouth can be better engaged than with a cylinder of rank weed. Go on, make a stump speech out of it. Bloom, in workman's corduroy overalls, black gansey, with red floating tie and a pash cap. Mankind is incorrigible. Sir Walter Raleigh brought from the New World that potato and that weed, the one a killer of pestilence by absorption, the other a poisoner of the ear, eye, heart, memory, will, understanding, all. That is to say, he brought the poison a hundred years before another person whose name I forget brought the food. Suicide, lies, all our habits. Why, look at our public life. Midnight chimes from distant steeples. Bloom, in alderman's gown and chain. Electors of Erinkey, Innskey, Rotunda, Mountjoy and North Dock, better run a tramline, I say, from the cattle market to the river. That's the music of the future. That's my programme, cui bono. But our buccaneering Vanderdeckens in their phantom ship of finance... An elector. Three times three for our future chief magistrate. The aurora borealis of the torchlight procession leaps. The torchbearers... Hooray! 
Several well-known burgesses, city magnates and freemen of the city shake hands with Bloom and congratulate him. Timothy Harrington, late thrice Lord Mayor of Dublin, imposing in mayoral scarlet, gold chain and white silk tie, confers with Councillor Lorcan Sherlock, locum tenens. They nod vigorously in agreement. Late Lord Mayor Harrington, in scarlet robe with mace, gold mayoral chain and large white silk scarf. That Alderman Sir Leo Bloom's speech be printed at the expense of the ratepayers. That the house in which he was born be ornamented with a commemorative tablet. And that the thoroughfare hitherto known as Cow Parlour off Cork Street be henceforth designated Boulevard Bloom. Councillor Lorcan Sherlock. Carried unanimously. Bloom, impassionedly. These flying Dutchmen, or lying Dutchmen, as they recline in their upholstered poop, casting dice, what wreck they? Machines is their cry, their chimera, their panacea. Labour-saving apparatuses, supplanters, bugbears, manufactured monsters for mutual murder. Hideous hobgoblins produced by a horde of capitalistic lusts upon our prostituted labour. The poor man starves while they are grassing their royal mountain stags or shooting peasants and fastridges in their purblind pomp of pelf and power. But their reign is rover forever and ever and ever. Prolonged applause. Venetian masts, maypoles and festal arches spring up. A streamer bearing the legends Cade Mila Folcher and Mahtob Meleg Israel spans the street. All the windows are thronged with sightseers, chiefly ladies. Along the route, the regiments of the Royal Dublin Fusiliers, the King's Own Scottish Borderers, the Cameron Highlanders and the Welsh Fusiliers, standing to attention, keep back the crowd. Boys from high school are perched on the lampposts, telegraph poles, windowsills, cornices, gutters, chimney pots, railings, rain spouts, whistling and cheering. The pillar of the cloud appears. A fife and drum band is heard in the distance, playing the Col Nidre. The beaters approach with imperial eagles hoisted, trailing banners and waving oriental palms. The Chryselephantine papal standard rises high, surrounded by pennons of the civic flag. The van of the procession appears, headed by John Howard Parnell, city marshal, in a chessboard tabard, the Athlone Pursuivant and Ulster King of Arms. They are followed by the Right Honourable Joseph Hutchinson, Lord Mayor of Dublin, the Lord Mayor of Cork, their worships the mayors of Limerick, Galway, Sligo and Waterford, 28 Irish representative peers, sirdars, grandees and maharajas, bearing the cloth of a state, the Dublin Metropolitan Fire Brigade, the chapter of the Saints of Finance, in their plutocratic order of precedence, the Bishop of Down and Connor, His Eminence Michael, Cardinal Logue, Archbishop of Armagh, Primate of all Ireland, His Grace, the Most Reverend Dr. William Alexander, Archbishop of Armagh, Primate of all Ireland, the Chief Rabbi, the Presbyterian Moderator, the heads of the Baptist, Anabaptist, Methodist and Moravian chapels, and the Honorary Secretary of the Society of Friends. After them march the guilds and trades and train bands with flying colours, coopers, bird fanciers, millwrights, newspaper canvassers, law scriveners, masseurs, vintners, truss makers, chimney sweeps, lard refiners, 
tabernet and poplin weavers, farriers, Italian warehousemen, church decorators, bootjack manufacturers, undertakers, silk mercers, lapidaries, salesmasters, cork cutters, assessors of fire losses, dyers and cleaners, export butlers, fellmongers, ticket writers, heraldic seal engravers, horse repository hands, bullion brokers, cricket and archery outfitters, riddle makers, egg and potato factors, hosiers and lovers, plumbing contractors. After them, march gentlemen of the bedchamber, black rod, deputy garter, gold stick, the master of horse, the lord great chamberlain, the earl marshal, the high constable carrying the sword of state, St. Stephen's iron crown, the chalice and bible. Four buglers on foot blow a senate. Beefeaters reply, winding clarions of welcome. Under an arch of triumph, Bloom appears, bareheaded, in a crimson velvet mantle trimmed with ermine, bearing St. Edward's staff, the orb and scepter, with the dove, the katana. He is seated on a milk-white horse with long, flowing crimson tail, richly caparisoned, with golden headstall. Wild excitement. The ladies from their balconies throw down rose petals. The air is perfumed with essences. The men cheer. Bloom's boys run amid the bystanders with branches of hawthorn and wren bushes. The wren, the wren, the king of all birds, St. Stephen's his day was caught in the first. A blacksmith murmurs. For the honor of God, and is that Bloom? He scarcely looks thirty-one. A pavior and flagger. That's the famous Bloom now, the world's greatest reformer. Hats off! All uncover their heads. Women whisper eagerly. A millionaireess, richly. Isn't he simply wonderful? A noblewoman, nobly. All that man has seen. A feminist, masculinely. And done. A bellhanger. A classic face. He has the forehead of a thinker. Bloom's weather. A sunburst appears in the northwest. The Bishop of Down and Connor. I here present your undoubted emperor, president, and king, chairman... The most serene and potent and very puissant ruler of this realm. God save Leopold I. God save Leopold I! Bloom, in dalmatic and purple mantle, to the Bishop of Down and Connor, with dignity. Thanks, somewhat eminent, sir. William, Archbishop of Armagh, in purple stock and shovel hat. Will you, to your power, cause law and mercy to be executed in all your judgments in Ireland and territories thereunto belonging? Bloom, placing his right hand on his testicles, swears. So may the Creator deal with me. All this I promise to do. Michael, Archbishop of Armagh, pours a cruise of hair oil over Bloom's head. Gaudium monumentio vobis Leopold, Patrick, Andrew, David, George, be thy anointed. Bloom assumes a mantle of cloth of gold and puts on a ruby ring. He ascends and stands on the stone of destiny. The representative peers put on at the same time their 28 crowns. Joy bells ring in Christchurch, St. Patrick's, George's and Gay Malahide. Myra's bizarre fireworks go up from all sides with symbolical fellow pyrotechnic designs. The peers do homage one by one, approaching and genuflecting. 
I do become your liege man of life and limb to earthly worship. I do become your liege man of life and limb to earthly worship. I do become your liege man of life and limb to earthly worship. I do become your liege man of life and limb to earthly worship. Bloom holds up his right hand, on which sparkles the Koh-i-Noor diamond. His palfrey neighs. Immediate silence. Wireless, intercontinental, and interplanetary transmitters are set for reception of message. My subjects, we hereby nominate our faithful charger, Copula Felix, hereditary Grand Vizier, and announce that we have this day repudiated our former spouse and have bestowed our royal hand upon the Princess Selene, the splendor of night. The former morganatic spouse of Bloom is hastily removed in the Black Mariah. The Princess Selene, in moon-blue robes, a silver crescent on her head, descends from a sedan chair, borne by two giants. An outburst of cheering. John Howard Parnell raises the royal standard. Illustrious Bloom, successor to my famous brother. Bloom embraces John Howard Parnell. We thank you from our heart, John, for this right royal welcome to Green Erin, the promised land of our common ancestors. The freedom of the city is presented to him, embodied in a charter. The keys of Dublin, crossed on a crimson cushion, are given to him. He shows all that he is wearing green socks. Tom Kernan. You deserve it, Your Honour. On this day, twenty years ago, we overcame the hereditary enemy at Ladysmith. Our howitzers and camel swivel guns played on his lines with telling effect. Half a league onward, they charge. All is lost now. Do we yield? No. We drive them headlong. Lo, we charge, deploying to the left our light horse swept across the heights of Plevna and uttering their war cry, Bona fide Sabbath, sabred the Saracen gunners to a man. The chapel of Freeman typesetters. John Wise Nolan. There's the man that got away, James Stevens. A blue-coat schoolboy. Bravo! An old resident. You're a credit to your country, sir, that's what you are. An apple woman. He's a man like Ireland once. My beloved subjects, a new era is about to dawn. I, Bloom, tell you verily it is even now at hand. Yea, on the word of a Bloom, ye shall ere long enter into the golden city which is to be the new Blue Muslim in the Nova Hibernia of the future. Thirty-two workmen wearing rosettes from all the counties of Ireland, under the guidance of Derwin, the builder, construct the new Blue Muslim. It is a colossal edifice, with crystal roof, built in the shape of a huge pork kidney, containing 40,000 rooms. In the course of its extension, several buildings and monuments are demolished. Government offices are temporarily transferred to railway sheds. Numerous houses are razed to the ground. The inhabitants are lodged in barrels and boxes, all marked in red with the letters L.B. Several paupers fall from a ladder. A part of the walls of Dublin, crowded with loyal sightseers, collapses. The sightseers, dying. They die. A man in a brown Macintosh springs up through a trapdoor. He points an elongated finger at Bloom. 
the man in the Macintosh. Don't you believe a word he says? That man is Leopold Macintosh, the notorious fire-raiser. His real name is Higgins! Shoot him, dog of a Christian. So much for Macintosh. A cannon shot. The man in the Macintosh disappears. Bloom, with his scepter, strikes down poppies. The instantaneous deaths of many powerful enemies, graziers, members of parliament, members of standing committees, are reported. Bloom's bodyguard distribute Maundy money, commemoration medals, loaves and fishes, temperance badges, expensive Henry Clay cigars, free cow bones for soup, rubber preservatives in sealed envelopes tied with gold thread, butterscotch, pineapple rock, B.A. do in the form of cocked hats, ready-made suits, porringers of toad-in-the-hole, bottles of Jay's fluid, purchase stamps, 40 days indulgences, spurious coins, dairy-fed pork sausages, theatre passes, season tickets available for all tram lines, coupons of the royal and privileged Hungarian lottery, penny dinner counters, cheap reprints of the world's 12 worst books, Froggy and Fritz, Politic, Care of the Baby, Infantilic, Fifty Meals for Seven and Six, Culinic, Was Jesus a Sun Myth, Historic, Expel That Pain, Medic, Infant's Compendium of the Universe, Cosmic, Let's All Chortle, Hilaric, Canvas's Vade Mecum, Journalic, Love Letters of Mother Assistant, Erotic, Who's Who in Space, Asterisk, Songs That Reached Our Heart, Melodic, Pennywise's Way to Wealth, Parsimonic. A general rush and scramble. Women press forward to touch the hem of Bloom's robe. The Lady Gwendolyn Dubedat bursts through the throng, leaps on his horse, and kisses him on both cheeks amid great acclamation. A magnesium flashlight photograph is taken. Babes and sucklings are held up. The women. Little father! Little father! The babes and sucklings. Bloom, bending down, pokes baby Boardman gently in the stomach. Baby Boardman, hiccups, curdled milk flowing from his mouth. Bloom, shaking hands with a blind stripling. My more than brother. Placing his arms round the shoulders of an old couple. Dear old friends. He plays pussy four corners with ragged boys and girls. Peep, bo peep. He wheels twins in a perambulator. Tack two, would you set a shoe? He performs juggler's tricks. Draws red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet silk handkerchiefs from his mouth. Roy begive, 32 feet per second. He consoles a widow. Absence makes the heart grow younger. He dances the Highland Fling with grotesque antics. Leg it, you devils! He kisses the bed sores of a palsied veteran. Honourable wounds. He trips up a fat policeman. You pee up! You pee up! He whispers in the ear of a blushing waitress and laughs kindly. Ah, naughty, naughty. He eats a raw turnip, offered him by Morris Butterley, farmer. Fine, splendid. He refuses to accept three shillings, offered him by Joseph Hines, journalist. My dear fellow, not at all. He gives his coat to a beggar. Please accept. He takes part in a stomach race with elderly male and female cripples. Come on, boys! Wiggle it, girls! The citizen, choked with emotion, 
brushes aside a tear in his emerald muffler. May the good God bless him. The ram's horns sound for silence. The standard of Zion is hoisted. Bloom uncloaks impressively, revealing obesity, unrolls a paper and reads solemnly, Aleph, Bet, Himmel, Dalet, Haggadah, Tefillim, Kosher, Yom Kippur, Hanukkah, Rosh Hashanah, Benne, Brit, Bar Mitzah, Matzot, Ashkenazim, Meshugatalit. An official translation is read by Jimmy Henry, assistant town clerk. The court of conscience is now open. His most Catholic majesty will now administer open-air justice, free medical and legal advice, solution of doubles and other problems, all cordially invited, given at this our loyal city of Dublin in the year one of the paradisiacal era. Paddy Leonard. What am I to do about my rates and taxes? Pay them, my friend. Thank you. Nosey Flynn. Can I raise a mortgage on my fire insurance? Bloom, obdurately. Sirs, take notice that by the law of torts you are bound over in your own recognizances for six months in the sum of five pounds. J.J. O'Malloy. A Daniel, did I say? Nay, a Peter O'Brien. Nosey Flynn. Where do I draw the five pounds? Pisser Burke. For bladder trouble. Acid nit, hydrochlordil, 20 minims, tinct nux vom, 4 minims, extra taraxal leak, 30 minims, actis terindiae. Chris Callanan. What is the parallax of the subsolar ecliptic of Alderbaran? Pleased to hear from you, Chris. K11. Joe Hines. Why hadn't you in uniform? When my progenitor of sainted memory wore the uniform of the Austrian despot in a dank prison, where was yours? Ben Dullard. Pansies? Embellish. Beautify suburban gardens. When twins arrive? Father, pater, dad, starts thinking. Larry O'Rourke. An eight-day license for my new premises. Uh, You remember me, Sir Leo, when you were in number seven. I'm sending around a dozen of stout for the missus. Bloom, coldly. You have the advantage of me. Lady Bloom accepts no presents. Crofton. This is indeed a festivity. Bloom, solemnly. You call it a festivity. I call it a sacrament. Alexander Keyes. When will we have our own house of keys? I stand for the reform of municipal morals and the plain Ten Commandments. New worlds for old. Union of all, Jew, Muslim, and Gentile. Three acres and a cow for all children of nature. Saloon motor hearses. Compulsory manual labour for all. All parks open to the public day and night. Electric dish scrubbers. Tuberculosis, lunacy, war and mendicancy must now cease. General amnesty, weekly carnival with masked licence. Bonuses for all. Esperanto, universal language with universal brotherhood. No more patriotism of bar spongers and dropsical impostors. Free money, free love, and a free lay church in a free lay state. O'Madden Burke. Free fox in a free henroost. Davy Byrne, yawning. Mixed races and mixed marriage. Lenahan. What about mixed bathing? Bloom explains to those near him his schemes for social regeneration. All agree with him. The keeper of the Kildare Street Museum appears, dragging a lorry on which are the shaking statues of several naked goddesses. Venus Calipige, Venus Pandemos, Venus Metempsychosis, and plaster figures, also naked, representing the new nine muses. Commerce, operatic music, 
Amour, publicity, manufacture, liberty of speech, plural voting, gastronomy, private hygiene, seaside concert entertainments, painless obstetrics, and astronomy for the people. Father Farley. He is an Episcopalian, an agnostic, an anythingarian, seeking to overthrow our holy faith. Mrs. Reardon tears up her will. I'm disappointed in you, you bad man. Mother Grogan removes her boot to throw it at Bloom. You beast, you abominable person. Nosy Flynn. Give us a tune, Bloom. One of the old sweet songs. Bloom, with rollicking humour. I vowed that I never would leave her. She turned out a cruel deceiver. With my tooraloom, 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 tooraloom. Hoppy Holohan. Good old Bloom. There's nobody like him after all. Paddy Lennon. Stage Irish man. What railway opera is like a tramline in Gibraltar? The Rose of Castile. (laughs) Lenahan. Plagiarist down with Bloom. The veiled Sibyl enthusiastically. I'm a Bloomite and I glory in it. I believe in him in spite of all. I'd give my life for him. The funniest man on earth. Bloom winks at the bystanders. I bet she's a bonny lassie. Theodore Purifoy in fishing cap and oilskin jacket. He employs a mechanical device to frustrate the sacred ends of nature. The veiled Sibyl stabs herself. My hero God! She dies. Many most attractive and enthusiastic women also commit suicide by stabbing, drowning, drinking prussic acid, aconite, arsenic, opening their veins, refusing food, casting themselves under steam rollers from the top of Nelson's pillar into the great vat of Guinness's brewery, asphyxiating themselves by placing their heads in gas ovens, hanging themselves in stylish garters, leaping from windows of different stories. Alexander J. Dowie, violently. Fellow Christians in anti-Bloomites, the man called Bloom is from the roots of hell, a disgraced to Christian man, a fiendish libertine from his earliest years, the stinking goat of Mendes, gave precocious signs of infantile debauchery, recalling the cities of the plain with a dissolute grandam. This vile hypocrite, frowns with infamy, is the white bull mentioned in the apocalypse. A worshipper of the scarlet woman, intrigue is the very breath of his nostrils. The steak faggots and the cauldron of boiling oil are for him, Caliban! The mob. Lynch him! Roast him! He's as bad as murder was, Mr. Fox! Mother Grogan throws her boot at Bloom. Several shopkeepers from Upper and Lower Dorset Street throw objects of little or no commercial value. Hand bones, condensed milk tins, unsaleable cabbage, stale bread, sheep's tails, odd pieces of fat. Bloom, excitedly. This is midsummer madness. Some ghastly joke again. By heaven, I am guiltless as the unsunned snow. It was my brother, Henry. He is my double. He lives in number two, Dolphin's Barn. Slander, the viper, has wrongfully accused me. Fellow countrymen, scalene, born botter, coastagon couple, I call on my old friend, Dr. Malachy Mulligan, sex specialist, to give medical testimony on my behalf. Dr. Mulligan, in motor jerkin, green motor goggles on his brow. Dr. Bloom is bisexually abnormal. He has recently escaped from Dr. Eustace's private asylum for demented gentlemen. Born out of bedlock, 
Hereditary epilepsy is present, the consequence of unbridled lust. Traces of elephantiasis have been discovered among his ascendants. There are marked symptoms of chronic exhibitionism. Ambidexterity is also latent. He is prematurely bald from self-abuse, perversely idealistic in consequence, a reformed rake, and has metal teeth. In consequence of a family complex, he has temporarily lost his memory, and I believe him to be more sinned against than sinning. I have made a pervaginal examination, and after application of the acid test to 5,427 anal, axillary, pectoral, and pubic hairs, I declare him to be Virgo Intacta. Bloom holds his high-grade hat over his genital organs. Dr. Madden. Hypospadia is also marked. In the interest of coming generations, I suggest that the parts affected should be preserved in spirits of wine in the National Territological Museum. Dr. Crothers. I have examined the patient's urine. It is albuminoid. Salivation is insufficient. The patellar reflex intermittent. Dr. Punch Costello. The feta eudiacus is most perceptible. Dr. Dixon reads a bill of health. Professor Bloom is a finished example of the new womanly man. His moral nature is simple and lovable. Many have found him a dear man, a dear person. He is a rather quaint fellow on the whole, coy though not feeble-minded in the medical sense. He has written a really beautiful letter, a poem in itself, to the court missionary of the Reformed Priests Protection Society, which clears up everything. He is practically a total abstainer, and I can affirm that he sleeps on a straw litter and eats the most Spartan food, cold-dried grocer's peas. He wears a hair shirt winter and summer and scourges himself every Saturday. He was, I understand, at one time a first-class misdemeanant in Glencree Reformatory. Another report states that he was a very posthumous child. I appeal for clemency in the name of the most sacred word our vocal organs have ever been called upon to speak. He is about to have a baby. General commotion and compassion. Women faint. A wealthy American makes a street collection for Bloom. Gold and silver coins, bank checks, banknotes, jewels, treasury bonds, maturing bills of exchange, IOUs, wedding rings, watch chains, lockets, necklaces and bracelets are rapidly collected. Oh, I so want to be a mother. Mrs Thornton in nurse tender's gown. Embrace me tight. You'll soon be over it tight, dear. Bloom embraces her tightly and bears eight male yellow and white children. They appear on a red carpeted staircase adorned with expensive plants. All are handsome, with valuable metallic faces, well-made, respectably dressed and well-conducted, speaking five modern languages fluently and interested in various arts and sciences. Each has his name printed in legible letters on his shirt front. Nazodoro, Goldfinger, Chrysostomus, Mandore, Silver Smile, Zilba Zelba, Vifargent, Panargyros. They are immediately appointed to positions of high public trust in several different countries, as managing directors of banks, traffic managers of railways, chairman of limited liability companies, vice chairman of hotel syndicates. A voice. Bloom, are you the Messiah Ben Joseph or Ben David? Bloom, darkly. You have said it. Brother Buzz. Then perform a miracle. Bantam Lions. Prophecy, who will win the Saint Ledger? Bloom walks on a net, covers his left eye with his left ear, passes through several walls, climbs Nelson's pillar, hangs from the top ledge by his eyelids, eats twelve dozen oysters, shells included. 
heals several sufferers from King's evil, contracts his face so as to resemble many historical personages. Lord Beaconsfield, Lord Byron, Watt Tyler, Moses of Egypt, Moses Maimonides, Moses Mendelssohn, Henry Irving, Rip Van Winkle, Kossuth, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Baron Leopold Rothschild, Robinson Crusoe, Sherlock Holmes, Pasteur, turns each foot simultaneously in different directions, bids the tide turn back. It clipses the sun by extending his little finger. Brini, papal nuncio, in papal zouave's uniform, steel cuirasses as breastplate, arm plates, thigh plates, leg plates, large profane moustaches and brown paper mitre. Leopoldi autem generatio. Moses begat Noah, and Noah begat Eunuch, and Eunuch begat O'Halloran, and O'Halloran begat Guggenheim, and Guggenheim begat Agendath, and Agendath begat Netaim, and Netaim begat Lahirs, and Lahirs begat Jesurum, and Jesurum begat Mackay, and Mackay begat Ostrolopsky, and Ostrolopsky begat Smerdos, and Smerdos begat Weiss, and Weiss begat Schwartz, and Schwartz begat Adrianopoli, and Adrianopoli begat Aranquith, and Aranquith begat Louis Lawson, and Louis Lawson begat Icoburnosaur, and Icoburnosaur begat O'Donnell Manius, and O'Donnell Manius begat Christbaum, and Christbaum begat Ben Maimoon, and Ben Maimoon begat Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty Rhodes begat Ben Amor, and Ben Amor begat Jones and Smith, and Jones and Smith begat Savonanovich, and Savonanovich begat Jasper Stone, and Jasper Stone begat Vante Uniem, and Vante Uniem begat Sombatele, and Sombatele begat Virag, and Virag begat Bloom, et vocabiter nomen eos, Emmanuel. A dead hand writes on the wall. Bloom is a cod. A crab in Bushranger's kit. What did you do in the cattle creep behind Kill Barrack? A female infant shakes a rattle. And on the Ballybock Bridge. A holly bush. And in the Devil's Glen. Bloom blushes furiously all over from Franz to Natis, three tears falling from his left eye. Spare my past. The Irish evicted tenants in body coats, knee breeches, with Donnybrook Fair shillelaghs. Shambock him. Bloom, with ass's ears, seats himself in the pillory with crossed arms his feet protruding. He whistles Don Giovanni, Achin Arteco. Artane orphans, joining hands, caper round him. Girls of the prison gate mission, joining hands, caper round in the opposite direction. The Artane orphans. You think you hug, you dirty dog, you think the ladies love you. The prison gate girls. If you see tell Hornblower, in ephod and hunting cap, announces, And he shall carry the sins of the people to Azazel, the spirit which is in the wilderness, and to Lilith, the night hag. And they shall stone him and defile him, yea, all from Agendath Netaim and from Mizraim, the land of Ham. All the people cast soft pantomime stones at Bloom. Many bona fide travellers and ownerless dogs come near him and defile him. Mastiansky and Citron approach in gabardines, wearing long earlocks. They wag their beards at Bloom. Mastiansky and Citron. Ben Lyle, Lemline of Istria, the false Messiah, Abu Lafia. George S. Messias, Bloom's tailor, appears, a tailor's goose under his arm, presenting a bill. Messias. 
Two alteration, one pair trousers. Eleven shillings. Bloom rubs his hands cheerfully. Just like old times, poor Bloom. Reuben J. Dodd, black-bearded Iscariot, bad shepherd, bearing on his shoulders the drowned corpse of his son, approaches the pillory. Reuben J. whispers hoarsely. The squeak is out. His belief is gone for the flatties. Nip the first rattler. The fire brigade. Flap. Brother Buzz invests Bloom in a yellow habit with embroidery of painted flames and high-pointed hat. He places a bag of gunpowder around his neck and hands him over to the civil power, saying, Forgive him his trespasses. Lieutenant Myers of the Dublin Fire Brigade, by general request, sets fire to Bloom. Lamentations. The citizen. Thank heaven! Bloom, in a seamless garment marked IHS, stands upright amid phoenix flames. Weep not for me, O daughters of Erin! He exhibits to Dublin reporters traces of burning. The daughters of Erin, in black garments with large prayer books and long lighted candles in their hands, kneel down and pray. The daughters of Erin. Kidney of Bloom. Pray us. Flower of the Bath. Pray us. Mentor of Menton. Pray us. Canvasser for the Freeman. Pray us. Charitable Mason. Pray us. Wandering Soap. Pray us. Sweets of Sin. Pray us. Music without words. Pray us. Reprover of the Citizen. Pray us. Friend of all Frillies. Pray us. Midwife most merciful. Pray us. Potato preservative against plague and pestilence. Pray us. A choir of 600 voices, conducted by Mr. Vincent O'Brien, sings the Alleluia Chorus, accompanied on the organ by Joseph Glynn. Bloom becomes mute, shrunken, carbonized. Zoe. Don't go away till you're black in the face. Bloom, in Corbeen, with clay pipe stuck in the band, dusty brogues, an emigrant's red handkerchief bundle in his hand, leading a black bog-oak pig by a sugon, with a smile in his eye. Let me be gone now, woman of the house, for by all the goats in Connemara I'm after having the father and mother of a baiting. With a tear in his eye. All insanity, patriotism, sorrow for the dead, music, future of the race. To be or not to be. Life's dream is o'er. End it peacefully. They can live on. He gazes far away mournfully. I am ruined. A few pastilles of aconite. The blinds drawn. A letter. Then lie back to rest. He breathes softly. No more. I have lived. Farewell. Zoe, stiffly, her finger in her neck fillet. Honest, till the next time. She sneers. (laughs) Suppose you'd got up the wrong side of the bed, or came too quick with your best girl. Oh, I can read your thoughts. Bloom, bitterly. Man and woman, love, what is it? A cork and bottle. Zoe, in sudden sulks. I hate a rotter that's insincere. Give a bleeding whore a chance. Bloom, repentantly. I'm very disagreeable. You are a necessary evil. Where are you from, London? Zoe, glibly. Hogsnorton, where the pigs play the organs. I'm Yorkshire-born. She holds his hand, which is feeling for her nipple. I say, tummy tittle mouse, stop that and begin worse. 
Have you cash for a short time? Ten shillings? Bloom smiles, nods slowly. More, hurry, more. And more's mother. She pats him off-handedly with velvet paws. Are you coming into the music room to see our new pianola? Come, and I'll peel off. Bloom, feeling his occiput dubiously, with the unparalleled embarrassment of a harassed peddler gauging the symmetry of her peeled pears. Somebody would be dreadfully jealous if she knew the green-eyed monster. Earnestly. You know how difficult it is, I needn't tell you. Zoe, flattered. What the eye can't see, that can't grieve for. She pats him. <laughs> Come. Laughing witch, the hand that rocks the cradle. Baby. Bloom, in baby linen and pelisse, big-headed, with a call of dark hair, fixes big eyes on her fluid slip and counts its bronze buckles with a chubby finger, his moist tongue tolling and lisping. One, two, three, three, three. The buckles. Love me, love me not, love me. Silent means consent. With little parted talons, she captures his hand, her forefinger giving to his palm the past touch of secret monitor, luring him to doom. Hot hands, gold gizzard. He hesitates amid scents, music, temptations. She leads him towards the steps drawing him by the odour of her armpits, the vice of her painted eyes, the rustle of her slip, in whose sinuous folds lurks the lion reek of all the male brutes that have possessed her. The male brutes, exhaling sulphur of rut and dung and ramping in their loose spots, faintly roaring, their drugged heads swaying to and fro. Don't! Zoe and Bloom reach the doorway where two sister whores are seated. They examine him curiously from under their penciled brows and smile to his hasty bow. He trips awkwardly. Zoe, her lucky hand instantly saving him. Oops! <laughs> Don't fall upstairs. The just man falls seven times. He stands aside at the threshold. After you is good manners. Ladies first, gentlemen after. She crosses the threshold. He hesitates. She turns and, holding out her hands, draws him over. He hops. On the antlered rack of the hall hang a man's hat and waterproof. Bloom uncovers himself, but seeing them, frowns, then smiles, preoccupied. A door on the return landing is thrown open. A man in purple shirt and grey trousers, brown-socked, passes with an ape's gait, his bald head and goatee beard upheld, hugging a full water-jug jar, his two-tailed black braces dangling at heels. Averting his face quickly, Bloom bends to examine on the hall table the spaniel eyes of a running fox. Then, his lifted head sniffing, follows Zoe into the music room. A shade of mauve tissue paper dims the light of the chandelier. Round and round, a moth flies, colliding, escaping. The floor is covered with an oilcloth mosaic of jade and azure and cinnabar rhomboids. Footmarks are stamped over it in all senses, heel to heel, heel to hollow, toe to toe, feet locked, a morris of shuffling feet without body, phantoms, all in a scrimmage, higgledy-piggledy. The walls are tapestried with a paper of yew fronds and clear glades. In the grate is spread a screen of peacock feathers. Lynch squats cross-legged on the hearthrug of matted hair, his cap back to the front. With a wand, he beats time slowly. Kitty Ricketts, a bony, pallid whore in navy costume, 
doe-skin gloves rolled back from a coral wristlet, a chain purse in her hand, sits perched on the edge of the table, swinging her leg and glancing at herself in the gilt mirror over the mantelpiece. A tag of her corset lace hangs slightly below her jacket. Lynch indicates mockingly the couple at the piano. Kitty coughs behind her hand. She's a bit imbecilic. She signs with a waggling forefinger. Lamp, lamp. Lynch lifts up her skirt and white petticoat with the wand. She settles them down quickly. Respect yourself. She hiccups, then bends quickly, her sailor hat under which her hair glows red with henna. Oh, excuse. Zoe. More line like Charlie. She goes to the chandelier and turns the gas full cock. Kitty peers at the gas jet. What ails it tonight? Lynch, deeply. Enter a ghost and hobgoblins. Clap on the back for Zoe. The wand in Lynch's hand flashes. A brass poker. Stephen stands at the pianola, on which sprawl his hat and ash plant. With two fingers, he repeats once more the series of empty fifths. Florrie Talbot, a blonde, feeble, goose-fat whore in a tatterdemalion gown of mildewed strawberry, lolls spread-eagle in the sofa corner, her limp forearm pendant over the bolster, listening. A heavy sty droops over her sleepy eyelid. Kitty hiccups again with a kick of her horsed foot. Oh, excuse. Zoe, promptly. Your boy's thinking of you. Tie a knot on your shift. Kitty Ricketts bends her head. Her boa uncoils, slides, glides over her shoulder, back, arm, chair to the ground. Lynch lifts the curled caterpillar on his wand. She snakes her neck, nestling. Stephen glances behind at the squatted figure, with its cap back to the front. As a matter of fact, it is of no importance whether Benedetto Marcello found it or made it. The right is the poet's rest. It may be an old hymn to Demeter, or also illustrate Cela and Arant Gloriam Domini. It is susceptible of nodes or modes as far apart as hyperphrygian and mixolydian, and of texts so divergent as priests high-hooping round David's, that is, Circe's, or, what am I saying, Ceres' altar, and David's tip from the stable to his chief bassoonist about his almightiness. Mais, non de non, that is another pair of trousers. Jetez la gomme. Faut que jeunesse se passe. He stops, points at Lynch's cap, smiles, laughs. <laughs> <laughs> Which side is your knowledge, Bump? The cap with saturnine spleen. Ah, it is because it is woman's reason. Jew, Greek is Greek, Jew. Extremes meet. Death is the highest form of life. Bah! You remember fairly accurately all my errors, boasts, mistakes? How long shall I continue to close my eyes to disloyalty, Whetstone? Bah! Here's another for you. He frowns. The reason is because the fundamental and the dominant are separated by the greatest possible interval, which... Which? Finish, you can't. Stephen, with an effort. Interval, which... is the greatest possible ellipse, consistent with... the ultimate return, the octave, which... Which? Outside, the gramophone begins to blare the holy city. Stephen, abruptly. What went forth to the ends of the world to traverse not itself? God, the sun, Shakespeare, a commercial traveller, having itself traversed in reality itself, becomes that self. Wait a moment. Wait a second. Damn that fellow's noise in the street. Self 
which it itself was ineluctably preconditioned to become. Echo. Lynch, with mocking whinny of laughter, <laughs> grins at Bloom and Zoe Higgins. What a learned speech, eh? Zoe, briskly. God help your head. He knows more than you have forgotten. With obese stupidity, Florrie Talbot regards Stephen. Florrie. They say the last day is coming this summer. Kitty. No! Zoe explodes in laughter. <laughs> Great unjust God! Flurry offended. Well, it was in the papers about Antichrist. Oh, my foot's tickling. Ragged, barefoot newsboys jogging a wagtail kite patter past, yelling. Stop press edition! Results of the rocking horse races! Sea serpent in the Royal Canal! Safe arrival of Antichrist! Stephen turns and sees Bloom. A time... Times and half a time. Reuben J. Antichrist, wandering Jew, a clutching hand open on his spine, stumps forward. Across his loins is slung a pilgrim's wallet from which protrude promissory notes and dishonoured bills. Aloft over his shoulder, he bears a long boat pole, from the hook of which the sudden huddled mass of his only son, saved from liffy waters, hangs from the slack of its breeches. A hobgoblin, in the image of Punch Costello, hip-shot, crook-backed, hydrocephalic, prognathic, with receding forehead and alley-sloper nose, tumbles in somersaults through the gathering darkness. All. What? The hobgoblin, his jaws chattering, capers to and fro, goggling his eyes, squeaking, kangaroo-hopping, with outstretched, clutching arms. Then, all at once, thrusts his lipless face through the fork of his thighs. Ilian! C'est moi, l'homme qui rit, l'homme primigène. He whirls round and round with dervish howls. Dieu et dame, faites vos He crouches, juggling. Tiny roulette planets fly from his hand. Je s'en fais. The planets rush together, uttering crepitant cracks. Rien à The planets, buoyant balloons, sail, swollen, up and away. He springs off into vacuum. Florrie, sinking into torpor, crosses herself secretly. The end of the world. A female tepid effluvium leaks out from her. Nebulous obscurity occupies space. Through the drifting fog without, the gramophone blares over cuffs and feet shuffling. Jerusalem, open your gates and sing. A rocket rushes up the sky and bursts. A white star falls from it, proclaiming the consummation of all things and second coming of Elijah. Along an infinite, invisible tightrope, taut from zenith to nadir, the end of the world, a two-headed octopus in Gilly's kilts, busby and tartan filibegs, whirls through the murk, head over heels in the form of the three legs of man. The end of the world, with a Scotch accent. Wall dance the keel, roll the keel, roll the keel, roll. Over the passing drift and choking breath coughs, Elijah's voice, harsh as a corncrake's, jars on high. Perspiring in a loose lawn surplus with funnel sleeves, he is seen, verger faced, above a rostrum about which the banner of old glory is draped. He thumps the parapet. No yapping, if you please, in this booth! Jake Crane, Creole Sue, Dave Campbell, Abe Kushner, 
Do your coughing with your mouth shut. Say I am operating all this trunk line. Boys, do it now. God's time is 1225. Tell mother you'll be there. Rush your order and you play a slick ace. Join on right here, but through to Eternity Junction, the non-stop run. Just one word more. Are you a god or a doggone clod? If the second advent came to Coney Island, are we ready? Flory Christ, Stephen Christ, Zoe Christ, Bloom Christ, Kitty Christ, Lynch Christ. It's up to you to sense that cosmic force. Have we cold feet about the cosmos? No. Be on the side of the angels. Be a prism. You have that something within. The higher self. You can rub shoulders with a Jesus, a Gautama, an Ingersoll. Are you all in this vibration? I say you are. You once nobbled that congregation and a buck joy ride to heaven becomes a back number. You got me? It's a life brightener, sure. The hottest stuff ever was. It's the whole pie with jamming. It's just the cutest, snappiest line out. It is immense, super sumptuous. It restores, it vibrates. I know, and I am some vibrator. Joking apart and getting down to bedrock, A.J. Christ Dowie and the Harmonial Philosophy, have you got that? Okay, 77 West 69th Street, got me? That's it. You call me up by sun phone any old time. Bumboozers, save your stamps. He shouts. Now then, our glory song. All join heartily in the singing encore. He sings. Jeru. The gramophone drowning his voice. Jerusalem in your eye. The disc rasps gratingly against the needle. The three whores covering their ears squawk. Elijah, in rolled-up shirt sleeves, black in the face, shouts at the top of his voice, his arms uplifted. Big brother up there, Mr. President! You hear what I done just been saying to you? Certainly I sort of believe strong in you, Mr. President. I certainly am thinking now Miss Higgins and Miss Ricketts got religion way inside them. Certainly seems to me I don't never see no worse a scared female than the way you been, Miss Flory, just now as I done seed you. Mr. President, you come long and help me save our sisters, dear. He winks at his audience. Our Mr. President, he twigged the whole lot, and he ain't saying nothing. Kitty Kate. I forgot myself. In a weak moment I erred and did what I did on Constitution Hill. I was confirmed by the bishop. My mother's sister married a Montmorency. It was a working plumber was my ruination when I was pure. Zoe Fanny. I let him larp it into me for the fun of it. Flory Teresa. It was in consequence of a port wine beverage on top of Hennessy's three stars. I was guilty with wheeling when he slipped into the bed. Stephen. In the beginning was the word. In the end, the world without end. Blessed be the eight Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, Dixon, Madden, Crothers, Costello, Lenehan, Bannon, Mulligan and Lynch. 
in white surgical students' gowns, four abreast, goose-stepping, tramp fast past in noisy marching. The Beatitudes, incoherently. Beer, teeth, battle out, Bible, wisdom, barnum, buggerum, bishop. Lister, in Quaker grey knee-breeches and broad-brimmed hat, says discreetly, He is our friend. I need not mention names. Seek thou the light. He corantos by. Best enters in hairdresser attire, shinily laundered, his locks in curl-papers. He leads John Eglinton, who wears a mandarin's kimono of nankeen yellow, lizard-lettered, and a high pagoda hat. Best, smiling, lifts the hat and displays a shaven pole, from the crown of which bristles a pigtailed toupee, tied with an orange topknot. I was just beautifying him, don't you know? A thing of beauty, don't you know? Yates says, or I mean Keats says... John Eglinton produces a green-capped dark lantern and flashes it towards a corner with carping accent. Aesthetics and cosmetics are for the boudoir. I am out for truth, plain truth for a plain man. Tantra Gee wants the facts and means to get them. In the cone of the searchlight behind the coal scuttle, olive, holy-eyed, the bearded figure of Mananon MacLear broods, chin on knees. He rises slowly. A cold sea wind blows from his druid mantle. About his head writhe eels and elvers. He is encrusted with weeds and shells. His right hand holds a bicycle pump. His left hand grasps a huge crayfish by its two talons. Mananon MacLear, with a voice of waves. of whistling sea wind. With a cry of storm birds. He smites with his bicycle pump the crayfish in his left hand. On its cooperative dial glow the twelve signs of the zodiac. He wails with the vehemence of the ocean. skeleton Judas hand strangles the light. The green light wanes to mauve. The gas jet wails, whistling. The gas jet. <laughs> Zoe runs to the chandelier and, crooking her leg, adjusts the mantle. Who is a fag, as I'm here? Lynch, tossing a cigarette onto the table. Here. Zoe, her head perched aside in mock pride. Is that the way to end the port to a lady? She stretches up to light the cigarette over the flame twirling it slowly, showing the brown tufts of her armpits. Lynch, with his poker, lifts boldly a side of her slip. Bare from her garters up, her flesh appears under the sapphire, 
and Nixie's green. She puffs calmly at her cigarette. Can you see the beauty spot of my behind? I'm not looking. Zoe makes sheep's eyes. No, you wouldn't do a less thing. Would you suck a lemon? Squinting in mock shame, she glances with sidelong meaning at Bloom, then twists round towards him, pulling her slip free of the poker. Blue fluid again flows over her flesh. Bloom stands, smiling desirously, twirling his thumbs. Kitty Ricketts licks her middle finger with her spittle and, gazing in the mirror, smooths both eyebrows. Lipoti Virag, basilicogramate, shoots rapidly down through the chimney flue and struts two steps to the left on gawky pink stilts. He is sausaged into several overcoats and wears a brown Macintosh under which he holds a roll of parchment. In his left eye flashes the monocle of Cashel Boyle O'Connor Fitzmaurice Tisdall Farrell. On his head is perched an Egyptian pshent. Two quills project over his ears. Virag, heels together, bows. My name is Virag Lipoti of Jean Battel. He coughs thoughtfully, dryly. <clears throat> Promiscuous nakedness is much in evidence hereabouts, eh? Inadvertently, her back view revealed the fact that she is not wearing those rather intimate garments of which you are a particular devotee. The injection mark on the thigh, I hope you perceived. Good? Grand Papachi. But number two, on the other hand, she of the cherry rouge and coiffeurs white, whose hair owes not a little to our tribal elixir of gopher wood, is in walking costume and tightly stazed by her seat, I should opine. Backbone in the front, so to say. Correct me, but I always understood that the act so performed by skittish humans with glimpses of lingerie appealed to you in virtue of its exhibitionist hysticity. In a word, hippogriff. Am I right? She is rather lean. Virag, not unpleasantly. Absolutely. Well observed. And those pannier pockets of the skirt and slightly peg-top effect are devised to suggest bunchiness of hip. A new purchase at some monster sale for which a gull has been mulcted. Meretricious finery to deceive the eye. Observe the attention to details of dust specks. And never put on you tomorrow what you can wear today. Parallax! With a nervous twitch of his head. Did you hear my brain go snap? Polysyllabax! Bloom, an elbow resting in a hand, a forefinger against his cheek. She seems sad. Virag. Cynically, his weasel teeth bared yellow, draws down his left eye with a finger and barks hoarsely. Hoax! Beware of the flapper on Bogus Mournful! Lily of the alley! All possess bachelor's buttons covered by ruinous Columbus. Tumble her? Columble her? Chameleon? <laughs> More genially. Well then, uh, permit me to draw your attention to item number three. There is plenty of her visible to the naked eye. Observe the mass of oxygenated vegetable matter on her skull. What oh she bumps the ugly duckling of the party, long casted and deep in keel. Bloom regretfully. When you come out without your gun. We can do you all brands, mild, medium and strong. Pay your money, take your choice. How happy could you be with either? With? Virag, his tongue up-curling. Lyum. Look. Her beam is broad. 
She is coated with quite a considerable layer of fat. Obviously mammal in weight of bosom, you remark that she has in front well to the fore two protuberances of very respectable dimensions, inclined to fall in the noonday soup plate, while on her rear, lower down, are two additional protuberances suggestive of potent rectum and tumescent for palpation, which leave nothing to be desired save compactness. Such fleshy parts are the product of careful nurture. When coop fattened, their livers reach an elephantine size. Pellets of new bread with fenugreek and gum benjamin swamped down by potions of green tea endow them during their brief existence with natural pincushions of quite colossal blubber. That suits your book, eh? Flesh hot pots of Egypt to hanker after? Wallow in it, lycopodium. His throat twitches. Slap bang! There he goes again. The sty I dislike. Virag arches his eyebrows. Contact with a gold ring, they say. Argumentum ad feminam, as we said in old Rome and ancient Greece, in the consulship of Diplodocus and Ichthyosaurus. For the rest, Eve's sovereign remedy. Not for sale, hire only. Huguenot. He twitches. It is a funny sound. He coughs encouragingly. <laughs> but possibly it is only a wart. I presume you shall have remembered what I will have taught you on that head. Wheaten meal with honey and nutmeg. Bloom, reflecting. Wheaten meal with lycopodium and syllabax. This searching ordeal, it has been an unusually fatiguing day. Chapter of accidents. Wait. I mean... What's blood spreads what's, you said? Virag, severely, his nose hard-humped, his side-eye winking. Stop twirling your thumbs and have a good old thunk. See, you have forgotten. Exercise your mnemotechnic. La causa e santa. Ta-ra, ta-ra. Aside. He will surely remember. Rosemary also, did I understand you to say, or willpower over parasitic tissues? Then nay, no, I have an inkling. The touch of a dead hand cures. Nemo? Virag excitedly. I say so, I say so. In so, technic. He taps his parchment roll energetically. This book tells you how to act with all descriptive particulars. Consult index for agitated fear of aconite, melancholy of muriatic, priapic pulsatilla. Virag is going to talk about amputation. Our old friend Caustic, they must be starved. Snip off with horsehair under the denned neck. But to change the venue to the Bulgar and the Basque, have you made up your mind whether you like or dislike women in male habiliments? With a dry snigger. <laughs> you intend to devote an entire year to the study of the religious problem and the summer months of 1882 to square the circle and win that million. Pomegranate. From the sublime to the ridiculous is but a step. Pyjamas, let us say. Or stuck in it gusseted knickers closed. Or put we the case those complicated combinations, cammy knickers? He crows derisively. Kikariki! Bloom surveys uncertainly the three whores, then gazes at the veiled mauve light, hearing the ever-flying moth. I wanted then to have now concluded. Nightdress was never. Hence... This. But tomorrow is a new day will be. Past was, is today. What now is will. 
Then tomorrow as now was, be past yester. Virag prompts into his ear in a pig's whisper. Insects of the day spend their brief existence in reiterated coition, lured by the smell of the inferiorly pulchritudinous female, possessing extendified pudental verve in dorsal region. Pretty Paul! His yellow parrot beak gabbles nasally. They had a proverb in the Carpathians in or about the year 5550 of our era. One tablespoonful of honey will attract friend Bruin more than half a dozen barrels of first-choice malt vinegar. Bears, buzz, bothers, bees. But of this apart, at another time we may resume. We were very pleased, we others. He coughs and, bending his brow, rubs his nose thoughtfully with a scooping hand. <coughs> you shall find that these night insects follow the light. An illusion for remember their complex, unadjustable eye. For all these knotty points, see the seventeenth book of my Fundamentals of Sexology, or the love passion which Dr. L.B. says is the book sensation of the year. Some, to example, there are again whose movements are automatic. Perceive, that is his appropriate son. Night bird, night sun, night town. Chase me, Charlie. Buzz! B. Or blue bottle, too, other day, butting shadow on wall, dazed self. Then me, wander dazed down shirt. Good jobber. Virag, his face impassive, laughs in a rich feminine key. <laughs> Splendid. Spanish fly in his fly or mustard plaster on his dibble. He gobbles gluttonously with turkey wattles. <laughs> bubbly jock, bubbly jock, where are we? Open sesame, cometh forth. He unrolls his parchment rapidly and reads, his glowworm's nose running backwards over the letters, which he claws. Day, good friend, I bring thee thy answer. Red bank oysters will shortly be upon us. I'm the best, O cook. Those succulent bivalves may help us, and the truffles of Perigord. Tubers dislodged through Mr. Omnivorous Porker were unsurpassed in cases of nervous debility or viragitis. Though they stink, yet they sting. He wags head with cackling raillery. <laughs> Jocular, with my eyeglass in my ocular. Bloom, absently. Ocularly, woman's bivalve case is worse. Always open sesame. The cloven sex. Why they fear vermin, creeping things. Yet Eve and the serpent contradict. Not a historical fact. Obvious analogy to my idea. Serpents, too, are gluttons for woman's milk. Wind their way through miles of omnivorous forest to suck succulent her breast dry. Like those bubbly jocular Roman matrons one reads of in Elephantiliasis. Virag, his mouth projected in hard wrinkles. Eyes stonily, forlornly closed. Psalms in outlandish monotone. That the cows with their vows distended others, that they have been the known... I'm going to scream. I beg your pardon, eh? So, he repeats. Spontaneously to seek out the Saurian's lair in order to entrust their teats to his avid suction. And milks aphis. Profoundly. Instinct rules the world in life, in death. Virag, head askew, arches his back and hunched wing shoulders, peers at the moth out of blear-bulged eyes, 
points a horning claw and cries, Who's Ger? Ger? Who's dear Gerald? Oh, I much fear he shall be most badly burned. Will some plish person not now impediment so catastrophic mit agitation of first-class table numpkin? He mews. Mm, Lass, puss, puss, puss. He sighs, draws back and stares sideways down with dropping under jaw. <sighs> well, well, he doth rest anon. I'm a tiny, tiny thing, ever flying in the spring, round and round, a ring, a ring. Long ago I was a king, now I do this kind of thing, on the wing, on the wing, bing! He rushes against the mauve shade, flapping noisily. Pretty, 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 pretty petticoats! From left upper entrance, with two sliding steps, Henry Flower comes forward to left front centre. He wears a dark mantle and drooping plumed sombrero. He carries a silver-stringed inlaid dulcimer and a long-stemmed bamboo Jacob's pipe, its clay bowl fashioned as a female head. He wears dark velvet hose and silver-buckled pumps. He has the romantic saviour's face, with flowing locks, thin beard and moustache. His spindle legs and sparrow feet are those of the tenor Mario, Prince of Candia. He settles down his goffered ruffs and moistens his lips with a passage of his amorous tongue. Henry, in a low, dulcet voice, touching the strings of his guitar. There is a flower that bloometh. Virag, truculent, his jowl set, stares at the lamp. Grave bloom regards Zoe's neck. Henry, gallant, turns with pendant dewlap to the piano. Stephen to himself. Play with your eyes shut. Imitate power. Filling my belly with husks of swine. Too much of this. I will arise and go to my... Expect this is the... Steve, thou art in a parlous way. Must visit old DC or telegraph. Our interview of this morning has left on me a deep impression, though our ages will write fully tomorrow. I'm partially drunk, by the way. He touches the keys again. Minor chord comes now. Yes, not much, however. Almidano Artifoni holds out a baton roll of music with vigorous moustache work. Artifoni. Non ci rifletta, lei rovina tutto. Flurry. Sing us something. Love's all sweet song. No voice. I am a most finished artist. Lynch, did I show you the letter about the lute? Flurry, smirking. The bird that can sing and won't sing. The Siamese twins, Philip drunk and Philip sober, two Oxford dons with lawnmowers, appear in the window embrasure. Both are masked with Matthew Arnold's face. Philip sober. Take a fool's advice. All is not well. Work it out with the butt-end of a pencil like a good young idiot. Three pounds twelve you got. Two notes, one sovereign, two crowns. If youth but knew. Moonies en ville, Moonies sur mer, the Moira, Larchais, Hollis Street Hospital, Burks, eh? I'm watching you. Philip drunk impatiently. Oh, bosh, man, go to hell. I paid my way. 
I could only find out about octaves. Reduplication of personality. Who was it told me his name? His lawnmower begins to purr. Ah, yes. Zoe Musasagapo. I have never said before. When was it not Atkinson? His card. I have somewhere. Mac somebody. Unmac. I have it. He told me about... Hold on. Swinburne, was it now? And the song? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Are you out of Minot? You're like someone I knew once. Out of it now. To himself. Clever. Philip drunk and Philip sober. Their lawnmowers purring with a rigadoon of grass horns. Clever ever. Out of it. Out of it. By the by, have you the book, the thing, the ash plant? Yes, there it. Yes. Clever ever. Out of it now. Keep in condition. Do like us. Zoe. There was a priest down here two nights ago to do his bit of business with his coat buttoned up. <laughs> you needn't try to hide, I says to him. I know you've a Roman collar. Virag. Perfectly logical from his standpoint. Fall of man. Harshly, his pupils waxing. To hell with the Pope. Nothing new under the sun. I am the Virag who disclosed the sex secrets of monks and maidens. Why I left the Church of Rome. Read the priest, the woman, and the confessional. Penrose. Flippity jippet. He wriggles. Woman, undoing with sweet pudor her belt of rush rope, offers her almost yoni to man's lingam. Short time after, man presents woman with pieces of jungle meat. Woman shows joy and covers herself with feather skins. Man loves her yoni fiercely with big lingam, the stiff one. He cries. Coactus volui! Then giddy woman will run about. Strong man grasps woman's wrist. Woman squeals, bites, spucks. Man, now fierce, angry, strikes woman's fat yadgana. He chases his tail. Piff, puff, popo. He stops, sneezes. <laughs> he worries his butt. Lynch. I hope you gave the good father a penance. Nine glorious for shooting a bishop. Zoe spouts walrus smoke through her nostrils. He couldn't get a connection. Only, you know, sensation. A dry rush. Poor man. Zoe, lightly. Only for what happened him. How? Virag, a diabolic rictus of black luminosity contracting his visage, cranes his scraggy neck forward. He lifts a mooncalf nozzle and howls. Verflichter goem! He had a father, forty fathers. He never existed. Pig God. He had two left feet. He was Judas Yacaius, a Libyan eunuch, the Pope's bastard. He leans out on tortured forepaws, elbows bent rigid, his eye agonizing in his flat skull neck, and yelps over the mute world. A son of a horror! Apocalypse! Kitty... And Mary Short, oh, that was in the luck with the pox she got from Jimmy Pigeon in the blue caps, had a child off him that couldn't swallow and was smothered with convulsions in the mattress, and we all subscribed for the funeral. Philip drunk, gravely. Qui vous a mis dans cette fichue position, Philippe? Philip sober, gaily. C'était le sacré pigeon, Philippe. Kitty unpins her hat and sets it down calmly, patting her henna hair. And a prettier, a daintier head of winsome curls was never seen on a horse's shoulders. Lynch puts on her hat. She whips it off. 
Lynch laughs. <laughs> and to such delights as Mechnikov inoculated anthropoid apes. Flory nods. Locomotor a taxi. Zoe gaily. <laughs> My dictionary. Three wise virgins. Virag. Ague shaken, profuse yellow spawn foaming over his bony epileptic lips. She sold love filters, white wax, orange flower, panther, the Roman centurion polluted her with his genitories. He sticks out a flickering, phosphorescent scorpion tongue, his hand on his fork. Messiah! He burst her tympanum. With gibbering baboon's cries, he jerks his hips in the cynical spasm. Hick, hick, hack, hock, hock, cock, cock. Ben Jumbo Dollard, rubicund, muscle-bound, hairy-nostrilled, huge-bearded, cabbage-eared, shaggy-chested, shock-maned, fat-papped, stands forth. His loins and genitals tightened into a pair of black bathing bag slops. Ben Dollard, knackering castanet bones in his huge padded paws, yodels jovially in bass barrel tone. When love absorbs my heart and soul. The virgins, Nurse Kellen and Nurse Quigley, burst through the ringkeepers and the ropes and mob him with open arms. The virgins, gushingly. Big Ben! Ben McCree! A voice. Hold that fellow with the bad breeches! Ben Dollard smites his thigh in abundant laughter. <laughs> Hold him now! <laughs> Henry, caressing on his breast a severed female head, murmurs, Thine heart, mine love. He plucks his lute strings. When first I saw. Virag, sloughing his skins, his multitudinous plumage molting. Rats! He yawns, showing a coal black throat and closes his jaws by an upward push of his parchment roll. After having said which, I took my departure. Farewell, fare thee well, Drek. Henry Flower combs his moustache and beard rapidly with a pocket comb and gives a cow's lick to his hair. Steered by his rapier, he glides to the door, his wild harp slung behind him. Virag reaches the door in two ungainly stilt-hops, his tail cocked, and deftly clapped sideways on the wall, a pus-yellow flybill, butting it with his head. The flybill. K-11. Post no bills. Strictly confidential. Dr. High Franks. Henry. All is lost now. Virag unscrews his head in a trice and holds it under his arm. Virag's head. Quack! Exeunt, severally. Stephen, over his shoulder to Zoe. You would have preferred the fighting parson who founded the Protestant error. But beware Antisthenes, the dog sage, and the last end of Aria Cerisiacus, the agony in the closet. Lynch. All one and the same God to her. Stephen, devoutly. And sovereign lord of all things. Flory to Stephen. I'm sure you are a spoiled priest. Or a monk. He is. A cardinal's son. Cardinal sin. Monks of the screw. His eminence, Simon Stephen Cardinal Dedalus, primate of all Ireland, appears in the doorway, dressed in red soutane, sandals and socks. Seven dwarf simian acolytes, also in red, cardinal sins, uphold his train, peeping under it. He wears a battered silk hat sideways on his head. His thumbs are stuck in his armpits and his palms outspread. Round his neck hangs a rosary of corks, ending on his breast in a corkscrew cross. Releasing his thumbs, he invokes grace from on high with large wave gestures and proclaims with bloated pomp. Conservio lies captured. 
He lies in the lowest dungeon with manacles and chains around his limbs, weighing upwards of three tons. He looks at all for a moment, his right eye closed tight, his left cheek puffed out. Then, unable to repress his merriment, he rocks to and fro, arms akimbo, and sings with broad, rollicking humour. Oh, the poor little fellow, he, 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 his legs, they were yellow. He was plump, fat and heavy, and brisk as a snake. But some bloody savage to graze his white cabbage. He murdered Nelflaert, his duck-loving drake. A multitude of midges swarms over his robe. He scratches himself with crossed arms at his ribs, grimacing, and exclaims, I'm suffering the agony of the damned by the hawky fiddle. Thanks be to Jesus. Those funny little chaps are not unanimous. If they were, they'd walk me off the face of the bloody globe. His head aslant, he blesses curtly with four and middle fingers, imparts the Easter kiss, and double shuffles off comically, swaying his hat from side to side, shrinking quickly to the size of his train bearers. The dwarf acolytes, giggling, peeping, nudging, ogling, Easter kissing, zigzag behind him. His voice is heard mellow from afar, merciful, male, melodious. Shall carry my heart to thee. Shall carry my heart to thee. And the breath of the balmy night shall carry my heart to thee. The trick door handle turns. The door handle. Zoe. The devil is in that door. A male form passes down the creaking staircase and is heard taking the waterproof and hat from the rack. Bloom starts forward involuntarily and half closing the door as he passes takes the chocolate from his pocket and offers it nervously to Zoe. Zoe sniffs his hair briskly. Thank you, Mother, for the rabbits. I'm very fond of what I like. Bloom, hearing a male voice in talk with the whores on the doorstep, pricks his ears. If it were he, after, or because not, or the double event. Zoe tears open the silver foil. Fingers was made before forks. She breaks off and nibbles a piece, gives a piece to Kitty Ricketts, and then turns kittenishly to Lynch. No objection to French lozenges. He nods. She taunts him. Have it now. Oh, wait till you get it. He opens his mouth, his head cocked. She whirls the prize in left circle. His head follows. She whirls it back in right circle. He eyes her. Catch. She tosses a piece. With an adroit snap, he catches it and bites it through with a crack. Kitty, chewing. The engineer I was with at the bazaar does have lovely ones, full of the best liqueurs. And the viceroy was there with his lady. The gas we had on the top toppy horses. I'm giddy still. Bloom, in Svengali's fur overcoat, with folded arms and Napoleonic forelock, frowns in ventriloquial exorcism, with piercing eagle glance towards the door. Then, rigid, with left foot advanced, he makes a swift pass with impelling fingers and gives the sign of past master, drawing his right arm downwards from his left shoulder. Go, 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 I conjure you, whoever you are. A male cough and tread are heard passing through the mist outside. Bloom's features relax. He places a hand in his waistcoat, posing calmly. Zoe offers him chocolate. 
Bloom solemnly. Thanks. Do as you bid. Here. A firm heel-clacking is heard on the stairs. Bloom takes the chocolate. Aphrodisiac? But I thought it... Vanilla calms, or... Memo, confused light confuses memory. Red influences lupus. Colours affect women's characters, any they have. This black makes me sad. Eat and be merry for tomorrow. He eats. Influence taste too, mauve. But it's so long since I... Seems new. Afro. That priest must come. Better late than never. Try truffles at Andrews. The door opens. Bella Cohen, a massive whore mistress, enters. She is dressed in a three-quarter ivory gown, fringed round the hem with tassel selvage, and cools herself, flirting a black horn fan like Minnie Hauk in Carmen. On her left hand are wedding and keeper rings. Her eyes are deeply carboned. She has a sprouting moustache. Her olive face is heavy, slightly sweated and full-nosed, with orange-tainted nostrils. She has large, pendant, beryl eardrops. Bella. My word. I'm all of a mock sweat. She glances around her at the couples. Then her eyes rest on Bloom with hard insistence. Her large fan winnows wind towards her heated face, neck, and embonpoint. Her falcon eyes glitter. The fan, flirting quickly, then slowly. Married, I see. Yes, partly. I have mislaid. The fan, half opening, then closing. And the missus is master. Petticoat government. Bloom looks down with a sheepish grin. That is so. The fan, folding together, rests against her eardrop. Have you forgotten me? Yes. Yo! The fan folded a kimbo against her waist. Is me her was you dreamed before? Was then she him you are since new? Am all them and the same now we? Bella approaches, gently tapping with the fan. Bloom wincing. Powerful being. In my eyes read that slumber which women love. The fan tapping. We have met. You are mine. It is fate. Bloom, cowed. Exuberant female. Enormously I desiderate your domination. I am exhausted, abandoned, no more young. I stand, so to speak, with an unposted letter bearing the extra regulation fee before the too late box of the General Post Office of Human Life. The door and window open at a right angle cause a draft of 32 feet per second according to the law of falling bodies. I have felt... This instant, a twinge of sciatica in my left gluteal muscle. It runs in our family. Poor dear Papa, a widower was a regular barometer from it. He believed in animal heat. A skin of tabby lined his winter waistcoat. Near the end, remembering King David and the Sunamite, he shared his bed with Athos, faithful after death. A dog spittle, as you probably... He winces. Ah, Richie Goulding. Bag-weighted, passes the door. Mocking his catch, best value in top, fit for a prince's liver and kidney. The fan, tapping. All things end, be mine, now. Bloom, undecided. All, now? I should not have parted with my talisman. Rain, exposure, a dewfall on the sea rocks, a peccadillo at my time of life. 
Every phenomenon has a natural cause. The fan points downwards slowly. You may. Bloom looks downwards and perceives her unfastened bootlace. We are observed. The fan points downwards quickly. You must. Bloom with desire, with reluctance. I can make a true black knot. Learned when I served my time and worked the mail order line for Kellett's. Experienced hand. Every knot says a lot. Let me, in courtesy. I knelt once before today. Ah. Bella raises her gown slightly and, steadying her pose, lifts to the edge of a chair a plump, buskined hoof and a full pastern, silk-socked. Bloom, stiff-legged, ageing, bends over her hoof and with gentle fingers draws out and in her laces. Bloom murmurs lovingly. To be a shoe-fitter in Mansfields was my love's young dream. The darling joys of sweet button-hooking... To lace up criss-cross to knee-length the dressy kid footwear satin-lined, so incredibly small, of Clyde Road ladies. Even their wax model Raymond I visited daily to admire her cobweb hose and stick of rhubarb toe, as worn in Paris. The hoof. Smell my hot goat hide. Feel my royal weight. Bloom cross-lacing. Too tight? If you bungle, Handy Andy, I'll kick your football for you. Not to lace the wrong eyelet as I did the night of the bizarre dance. Bad luck. Nook in the wrong tash of her. Person you mentioned that night she met. Now. He knots the lace. Bella places her foot on the floor. Bloom raises his head. Her heavy face, her eyes, strike him in mid-brow. His eyes grow dull, darker and pouched. His nose thickens. Bloom mumbles. Awaiting your further orders, we remain gentlemen. Bello, with a hard basilisk stare in a baritone voice. Hound of dishonor. Bloom infatuated. Empress. Bello, his heavy cheek chops sagging. Adorer of the adulterous rump. Bloom plaintively. Hugeness. Dung devourer. Bloom with sinews semi-flexed. Magnificence. Down. He taps her on the shoulder with his fan. Incline feet forward. Slide left foot one pace back. You will fall. You are falling on the hands. Down. Bloom, her eyes upturned in the sign of admiration, closing. Truffles. With a piercing epileptic cry, she sinks on all fours, grunting, snuffling, rooting at his feet, then lies, shamming dead with eyes shut tight, trembling eyelids, bowed upon the ground in the attitude of most excellent master. Bellow, with bobbed hair, Purple gills, fat moustache rings round his shaven mouth. In mountaineer's putties, green silver button coat, sport shirt, and alpine hat with moorcock's feather. His hands stuck deep in his breeches' pockets. Places his heel on her neck and grinds it in. Feel my entire weight. Bow, bond slave, before the throne of your despot's glorious heels. So glistening in that proud erectness. Bloom, enthralled, bleats. I promise never to disobey. Bello laughs loudly. <laughs> Holy smoke! You little know what's in store for you. I'm the tartar to settle your little lot and break you in. I'll bet Kentucky cocktails all round I shame it out of you, old son. Cheat me. I dare you. If you do tremble in anticipation of heel discipline to be inflicted in gym costume. Bloom creeps under the sofa and peers out through the fringe. 
Zoe, widening her slip to screen her. She's not here. Bloom, closing her eyes. She's not here. Florrie, hiding her with her gown. She didn't mean this, Mr. Bello. She'll be good, sir. Kitty. Don't be too hard on her, Mr. Bello. Sure you won't, ma'am, sir. Bello, coaxingly. Come, ducky dear. I want a word with you, darling, just to administer correction. Just a little heart-to-heart talk, sweetie. Bloom puts out her timid head. There's a good girly now. Bello grabs her hair violently and drags her forward. I only want to correct you for your own good on a soft, safe spot. How's that tender behind? Oh, ever so gently, pet. Begin to get ready. Bloom, fainting. Don't tear my... Bello, savagely. The nose ring, the pliers, the bastinado, the hanging hook. The knout I'll make you kiss while the flutes play like the Nubian slave of old. You're in for it this time. I'll make you remember me for the balance of your natural life. His forehead veins swollen, his face congested. I shall sit on your ottoman saddleback every morning after my thumping good breakfast of Madison's fat ham rashers and a bottle of Guinness's porter. He belches. And suck my thumping good stock exchange cigar while I read the licensed Vittler's Gazette. Very possibly I shall have you slaughtered and skewered in my stables and enjoy a slice of you with crisp crackling from the baking tin, basted and baked like sucking pig with rice and lemon or currant sauce. It will hurt you. He twists her arm. Bloom squeaks, turning turtle. Don't be cruel, nurse. Don't. Bellow, twisting. Another. Bloom screams. Oh, it's hell itself. Every nerve in my body aches like mad. Bello shouts. Good by the rumping, jumping general. That's the best bit of news I heard these six weeks. Here, don't keep me waiting, damn you. He slaps her face. Bloom whimpers. You're after hitting me, I'll tell. Hold him down, girls, till I squat on him. Zoe. Yes, walk on him. I will. Florrie. I will. Don't be greedy. Kitty. No, me. Lend him to me. The brothel cook, Mrs. Kyo, wrinkled, grey-bearded, in a greasy bib, men's grey and green socks and brogues, flowers smeared, a rolling pin stuck with raw pastry in her bare red arm and hand, appears at the door. Mrs. Kyo, ferociously. Can I help? They hold and pinion bloom. Bello squats with a grunt on Bloom's upturned face, puffing cigar smoke, nursing a fat leg. I see Keating Clay's elected chairman of the Richmond Asylum, and uh, by the by, Guinness's preference shares are at 16 three quarters. Curse me for a fool that I didn't buy that lot Craig and Gardner told me about. Just my infernal luck. Curse it. And that goddamned outsider throwaway at twenty to one. He quenches his cigar angrily on Bloom's ear. Where's that goddamned cursed ashtray? Bloom, goaded, buttock smothered. Oh, oh, monsters, cruel one! Ask for that every ten minutes. Beg, pray for it as you never prayed before. He thrusts out a figged fist and foul cigar. Here, kiss that. Both. Kiss. He throws a leg astride and, pressing with horseman's knees, calls in a hard voice. Gee up! A cock horse to Banbury Cross. I'll ride him for the Eclipse Stakes. He bends sideways and squeezes his mount's testicles roughly, shouting, Oh, off we pop! I'll nurse you in proper fashion. He horse rides cock horse, leaping in the saddle. 
The lady goes apace, apace, and the coachman goes a trot, a trot, and the gentleman goes a gallop, a gallop, a gallop, a gallop. Flory pulls at Bello. Let me on him now. You had enough. I asked before you. Zoe pulling at Flory. Me, me. I am not finished with him yet, succoress. Bloom stifling. Can't. Well, I'm not. Wait. He holds in his breath. Curse it. Here, this bung's about burst. He uncorks himself behind, then, contorting his features, farts loudly. Take that. He recorks himself. Yes, by jingo. Sixteen three quarters. Bloom, a sweat breaking out over him. Not man. He sniffs. Woman. Bello stands up. No more blow hot and cold. What you longed for has come to pass. Henceforth you are unmanned and mine in earnest, a thing under the yoke. Now for your punishment, frock. You will shed your male garments, you understand, Ruby Cohen, and don the shot silk luxuriously rustling over head and shoulders, and quickly too. Bloom shrinks. Silk, mistress said. Oh, crinkly, scrapey. Must I tip-touch it with my nails? Bello points to his whores. As they are now, so will you be. Wigged, singed, perfume-sprayed, rice-powdered, with smooth-shaven armpits. Tape measurements will be taken next to your skin. You will be laced with cruel force into vice-like corsets of soft dove coutille with whalebone busk to the diamond-trimmed pelvis, or the absolute outside edge, while your figure, plumper than when at large, will be restrained in net-tight frocks, pretty two-ounce petticoats and fringes, and things stamped, of course, with my house flag, creations of lovely lingerie for Alice, and nice scent for Alice. Alice will feel the pull-pull. Martha and Mary will be a little chilly at first in such delicate thigh-casing, but the frilly flimsiness of lace round your bare knees will remind you... Bloom, a charming soubrette with dauby cheeks, mustard hair, and large male hands and nose, leering mouth. I tried her things on only once a small prank in Hollis Street. When we were hard up, I washed them to save the laundry bill. My own shirts I turned. It was the purest thrift. Bello jeers. Little jobs that make mother pleased, eh? And showed off coquettishly on your domino at the mirror behind close-drawn blinds, your unskirted thighs and egoats' udders in various poses of surrender, eh? Ho, oh, ho, I have to laugh. That second-hand black opera top shift and short trunk-leg knot is all split up the stitches at her last rape that Mrs. Miriam Dandrade sold you from the Shelburne Hotel, eh? Miriam, black, demi-mondaine. Bello guffaws. <laughs> Christ almighty, it's too tickling, this. 
You were a nice-looking Miriam when you clipped off your backgate hairs and lay swooning in the thing across the bed as Mrs. Dandrade, about to be violated by Lieutenant Smythe Smythe, Mr. Philip Augustus Blockwell, MP, Senior Lachi Daremo, the robust tenor, Blue-Eyed Bert, the lift boy, Henry Flurry of Gordon Bennett fame, Sheridan, the quadroon Croesus, the varsity wet Bob Eight from Old Trinity, Ponto, her splendid Newfoundland and Bobs, Dowager Duchess of Manor Hamilton. He guffaws again. <laughs> Christ, wouldn't it make a Siamese cat laugh? Bloom, her hands and features working. It was Gerald converted me to be a true corset lover when I was female impersonator in the high school play Vice Versa. It was dear Gerald. He got that kink, fascinated by sister's stays. Now, dearest Gerald uses pinky grease paint and gills his eyelids. Cult of the beautiful. Bella with wicked glee. Beautiful. Give us a breather. When you took your seat with womanish care, lifting your billowy flounces on the smooth-worn throne. Science. To compare the various joys we each enjoy. Earnestly. And really, it's better the position, because I often used to wet. Bellow sternly. No insubordination. The sawdust is there in the corner for you. I gave you strict instructions, didn't I? Do it standing, sir. I'll teach you to behave like a gentleman if I catch a trace on your swaddles. Aha! By the ass of the Dorans, you'll find I'm a martinet. The sins of your past are rising against you. Many. Hundreds. The sins of the past in a medley of voices. He went through a form of clandestine marriage with at least one woman in the shadow of the black church. Unspeakable messages he telephoned mentally to Miss Dunn at an address in Delir Street while he presented himself indecently to the instrument in the call box. By word and deed, he encouraged a nocturnal strumpet to deposit faecal and other matter in an unsanitary outhouse attached to empty premises. In five public conveniences he wrote penciled messages offering his nuptial partner to all strong-membered males. And by the offensively smelling vitriol works, did he not pass night after night by loving courting couples to see if and what and how much he could say? Did he not lie in bed? The gross bore. Floating over a nauseous fragment of well-used toilet paper presented to him by a masculine harlot stimulated by gingerbread and a postal order. Bellow whistles loudly. Say, what was the most revolting piece of obscenity in all your career of crime? Go the whole hog. Puke it out. Be candid for once. Mute, inhuman faces throng forward, leering, vanishing, gibbering. Booloohoom, Poldy Cock, Bootlaces a Penny, Cassidy's Hag, Blind Stripling, Larry Rhinoceros, the girl, the woman, the whore, the other, the... Don't ask me. Our mutual faith. Pleasant Street, I only thought the half of the... I swear on my sacred oath. Bellow peremptorily. Answer, repugnant wretch. I insist on knowing... Tell me something to amuse me. Smut or a bloody good ghost story or a line of poetry. Quick, quick, quick. Where? How? What time? With how many? I give you just three seconds. One, 
too through. Docile, gurgled. I re-re-pug-nosed and re-re-repugnant. Bellow imperiously. Oh, get out, you skunk. Hold your tongue. Speak when you're spoken to. Bloom bows. Master, mistress, a man tamer. He lifts his arms. His bangle bracelets fall. Bellow satirically. By day, you will souse and bat our smelling underclothes. Also, when we ladies are unwell. And swab out our latrines with dress pinned up and a dishclout tied to your tail. Won't that be nice? He places a ruby ring on her finger. And there now. With his ring, I thee own. Say thank you, mistress. Thank you, mistress. You will make the beds. Get my tub ready. Empty the piss pots in the different rooms, including old Mrs. Kyo's, the cooks. A sandy one. Aye, and rinse the seven of them well, mind, or lap it up like champagne. Drink me piping hot. Hop. You will dance attendance, or I lecture you on your misdeeds, Miss Ruby, and spank your bare butt right well, Miss, with the hairbrush. You'll be taught the error of your ways. At night... Your well-creamed, braceleted hands will wear 43 buttoned gloves, new-powdered with talc and having delicately scented fingertips. For such favours knights of old laid down their lives. <laughs> he chuckles. My boys will be no end charmed to see you so ladylike. The colonel, above all. When they come here the night before the wedding to fondle my new attraction in gilded heels. First, I'll have a go at you myself. A man I know on the turf named Charles Alberta Marsh. I was in bed with him just now and another gentleman out of the Hannibal and Petty Bag office. is on the lookout for a maid of all work at a short knock. Swell the bust, smile, droop shoulders. What offers? He points. For that lot, trained by owner to fetch and carry, basket and mouth. He bears his arm and plunges it elbow deep in Bloom's vulva. <laughs> There's fine depth for you. What, boys? That give you a hard arm? He shoves his arm in a bidder's face. Here, wet the deck and wipe it round. A bidder. A florin. Dylan's lackey rings his handbell. A voice. One and eight pence too much. The lackey. Barang! Charles Alberta Mush. Must be virgin. Good breath. Clean. Bello gives a rap with his gavel. Two bar. Rock bottom figure and cheap at the price. Fourteen hands high. Touch and examine she's points. Handle for him. This downy skin, these soft muscles, this tender flesh... If I had only my gold piercer here. And quite easy to milk. Three new-laid gallons a day. A pure stock getter due to lay within the hour. His sire's milk record was a thousand gallons of whole milk in 40 weeks. Whoa, my jewel, beg up. Whoa. He brands his initial C on Bloom's croup. So, warranted Cohen. What advance on to Bob, gentlemen? A dark-visaged man in disguised accent. Hundred pound sterling. Voices subdued. For the caliph Harun al-Rashid. 
bellow gaily. Right, let them all come. The scanty, daringly short skirt, riding up at the knee to show a peep of white pantalette, is a potent weapon, and transparent stockings, emerald-gartered, with a long, straight seam trailing up beyond the knee, appeal to the better instincts of the blasé man about town. Learn the smooth, mincing walk on four-inch Louis Caz heels, the Grecian bend with provoking croup, the thighs fluorescent, knees modestly kissing. Bring all your power of fascination to bear on them. Pander to their Gomorrahan vices. Bloom bends his blushing face into his armpit and simpers with forefinger in mouth. Oh, I know what you're hinting at now. What else are you good for, an impotent thing like you? He stoops and Peering pokes with his fan rudely under the fat suet folds of Bloom's haunches. Up! Up, Manx cat! What have we here? Where's your curly teapot gone to, or who doctored on you, cocky Ollie? Sing, birdie, sing! It's as limp as a boy of sixes doing his pooly behind a cart. Buy a bucket or sell your pump. Loudly. Can you do a man's job? Eckless Street, bellow sarcastically. I wouldn't hurt your feelings for the world, but there's a man of brawn in possession there. The tables are turned, my gay young fellow. He is something like a full-grown outdoor man. Well for you, you muff, if you have that weapon with knobs and lumps and warts all over it. He shot his bolt, I can tell you. Foot to foot, knee to knee, belly to belly, bobs to breast. He's no eunuch. A shock of red hair he has sticking out of him behind like a furze bush. Wait for nine months, my lad. Holy ginger, it's kicking and coughing up and down on our guts already. That makes you wild, don't it? Touches the spot. He spits in contempt. Spittoon! I was indecently treated. I informed the police. Hundred pounds. Unmentionable. I... What if you could, lame duck? A downpour we want, not your drizzle. To drive me mad. Moll, I forgot. Forgive, Moll. We still... Bellow, ruthlessly. No, Leopold Bloom. All is changed by woman's will since you slept horizontal in Sleepy Hollow your night of twenty years. Return and see... Old Sleepy Hollow calls over the world. Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle. Bloom in tattered moccasins with a rusty fowling piece, tiptoeing, finger-tipping, his haggard, bony, bearded face peering through the diamond panes, cries out, I see her. It's she. The first night at Matt Dillon's. But that dress, the green, and her hair is dyed gold, and he... Bellow, laughs mockingly. <laughs> That's your daughter, you owl, with a Mullingar student. Millie Bloom, fair-haired, green-vested, slim-sandaled, her blue scarf in the sea wind simply swirling, breaks from the arms of her lover and calls, her young eyes wonder-wide. You've grown. 
changed, eh? Our whatnot, our writing table where we never wrote, and Hegarty's armchair, our classic reprints of old masters. A man and his men friends are living there in clover. The cuckoo's rest. Why not? How many women had you, say? Following them up dark streets, flatfoot, exciting them by your smothered grunts. What? You male prostitute? Blameless dames with parcels of groceries. Turn about. Sauce for the goose, my gander, oh. They, I... Bellow cuttingly. Their heel marks will stamp the brusselette carpet you bought at Wren's auction. In their horseplay with Mull the Romp to find the buck flea in our breeches, they will deface the little statue you carried home in the rain for art, for art's sake. They will violate the secrets of your bottom drawer. Pages will be torn from your handbook of astronomy to make them pipe spills. And they will spit in your ten-shilling brass fender from Hampton Leedums. Ten and six. The act of low scoundrels. Let me go. I will return. I will prove. A voice. Swear! Bloom clenches his fists and crawls forward, a bowie knife between his teeth. As a paying guest or a kept man? Too late. You have made your second best bed and others must lie in it. Your epitaph is written. You are down and out, and don't you forget it, old Bean. Justice. All Ireland versus one has nobody. He bites his thumb. Die and be damned to you if you have any sense of decency or grace about you. I can give you a rare old wine that'll send you skipping to hell and back. Sign a will and leave us any coin you have. If you have none, see you damn well get it. Steal it. Rub it. We'll bury you in our shrubbery jakes, for you'll be dead and dirty with old Cock Cohen, my stepnephew I married, the bloody old gouty procurator and sodomite with a crick in his neck, and my other ten or eleven husbands, whatever the buggers' names were, suffocated in the one cesspool. He explodes in a loud, phlegmy laugh. <laughs> we'll manure you, Mr. Flower. He pipes scoffingly. Bye-bye, Paldy. Bye-bye, Papley. Bloom clasps his head. My willpower, memory, I have sinned, I have suffered. He weeps tearlessly. Bellow sneers. Cry, Babby. Crocodile tears. Bloom, broken, closely veiled for the sacrifice, sobs, his face to the earth. The passing bell is heard. Dark-shawled figures of the circumcised, in sackcloth and ashes, stand by the wailing wall. M. Sholomovitz, Joseph Goldwater, Moses Herzog, Harris Rosenberg, M. Moisel, J. Citron, Minnie Watchman, O. Mastiansky, the Reverend Leopold Abramovitz, Chazen. With swaying arms, they wail in numa over the recreant bloom. The circumcised in a dark, guttural chant as they cast dead sea fruit upon him. No flowers. Voices sighing. 
He's gone. Ah, yes, yes, indeed. Bloom, never heard of him. No. Queer kind of chap. There's the widow. That's so. Ah, yes. From the sati pyre, the flame of gum campfire ascends. The pall of incense smoke screens and disperses. Out of her oak frame, a nymph with hair unbound, lightly clad in tea-brown art colours, descends from her grotto, and passing under interlacing yews, stands over bloom. The yews, their leaves whispering. The nymph, softly. Mortal. Kindly. Nay, dost not weepest. Bloom crawls jellily forward under the boughs, streaked by sunlight, with dignity. This position, I felt it was expected of me. Force of habit. Mortal, you found me in evil company. High kickers, coster picnic makers, pugilists, popular generals. Immoral panto boys in flesh tights and the nifty shimmy dancers, La Aurora and Carini, musical act, the hit of the century. I was hidden in cheap pink paper that smelt of rock oil. I was surrounded by the stale smut of club men, stories to disturb callow youth, ads for transparencies, trued-up dice and bust pads, proprietary articles and why wear a truss with testimonial from ruptured gentlemen, useful hints to the married... Bloom lifts a turtle head towards her lap. We have met before, on another star. The nymph, sadly. Rubber goods, never rip. Brand are supplied to the aristocracy. Corsets for men. I cure fits or money refunded. Unsolicited testimonials for Professor Waldman's wonderful chest exuber. My bust developed four inches in three weeks, reports Mrs. Gus Rublin with photo. You mean photo bits? I do. You bore me away, framed me in oak and tinsel, set me above your marriage couch. Unseen, one summer eve, you kissed me in four places, and with loving pencil you shaded my eyes, my bosom, and my shame. Bloom humbly kisses her long hair. Your classic curves, beautiful immortal. I was glad to look on you, to praise you, a thing of beauty, almost to pray. During dark nights I heard your praise. Bloom, quickly. Yes, yes. You mean that I... Sleep reveals the worst side of everyone, children perhaps accepted. I know I fell out of my bed, or rather was pushed. Steel wine is said to cure snoring. For the rest, there is that English invention, pamphlet of which I received some days ago, incorrectly addressed... It claims to afford a noiseless, inoffensive vent. He sighs. Twas ever thus. Frailty, thy name is marriage. The nymph, her fingers in her ears. And words, they are not in my dictionary. You understood them? The use. The nymph covers her face with her hand. What have I not seen in that chamber? What must my eyes look down on? Bloom, apologetically. I know. Soiled personal linen, wrong side up with care. The quoits are loose. From Gibraltar by long sea, long ago. The nymph bends her head. Worse. Worse. Bloom reflects precautiously. That antiquated commode. It wasn't her weight. She scaled just eleven stone nine. She put on nine pounds after weaning. It was a crack and want of glue. Eh? 
and that absurd orange-keyed utensil which has only one handle. The sound of a waterfall is heard in bright cascade. The waterfall. The ewes mingling their bows. John Wise Nolan, in the background, in Irish National Forester's uniform, doffs his plumed hat. Prosper! Give shade on languorous days, trees of Ireland. The ewes murmuring. Bloom, pigeon-breasted, bottle-shouldered, padded, in nondescript juvenile grey and black striped suit, too small for him, white tennis shoes, bordered stockings with turnover tops, and a red school cap with badge. I was in my teens, a growing boy. A little then sufficed, a jolting car, the mingling odours of the ladies' cloakroom and lavatory, the throng penned tight on the old royal stairs, for they love crushes, instincts of the herd and the dark, sex-smelling theatre on bridal's vice, even a price list of their hosiery, and then the heat. There were sunspots that summer, end of school and tipsy cake, halcyon days. Halcyon days. High school boys in blue and white football jerseys and shorts. Master Donald Turnbull, Master Abraham Chatterton, Master Owen Goldberg... Master Jack Meredith, Master Percy Apjohn, stand in a clearing of the trees and shout to Master Leopold Bloom. The Halcyon Days. Mackerel, live us again! They cheer. Bloom, hobbledy-hoy, warm-loved, mama-muffled, stunned with spent snowballs, struggles to rise. Again? I feel sixteen. What a lark. Let's ring all the bells in Montague Street. He cheers feebly. Hooray for the high school! The echo. The ewes rustling. Whispered kisses are heard in all the wood. Faces of hammer dryads peep out from the bowls and among the leaves and break blossoming into bloom. The nymph, coyly, through parting fingers. There, in the open air. The ewes, sweeping downward. Sister, yes, and on our virgin sword. The waterfall. The nymph, with wide fingers. Oh, infamy. I was precocious. Youth, the fawns, I sacrificed to the god of the forest. The flowers that bloom in the spring. It was pairing time. Capillary attraction is a natural phenomenon. Lottie Clark, flaxen-haired, I saw at her night toilette through ill-closed curtains with poor Papa's opera glasses. 
The wanton ate grass wildly. She rolled downhill at Rialto Bridge to tempt me with her flow of animal spirits. She climbed their crooked tree, and I... A saint couldn't resist it. The demon possessed me. Besides, who saw? Staggering Bob, a white-poled calf, thrusts a ruminating head with humid nostrils through the foliage. Staggering Bob. Me... Me see. Simply satisfying a need. With pathos. No girl would when I went girling. Too ugly, they wouldn't play. High on Ben Hoth, through rhododendrons, a nanny goat passes, plump-uddered, butty-tailed, dropping currants. The nanny goat bleats. Me gag nanny Bloom. Hatless, flushed, covered with burrs of thistledown and gorse pine. Regularly engaged. Circumstances alter cases. He gazes intently downwards on the water. Thirty-two head over heels per second. Press nightmare. Giddy Elijah. Fall from cliff. Sad end of government printer's clerk. Through silver silent summer air, the dummy of Bloom, rolled in a mummy, rolls rotatingly from the lion's head cliff into the purple waiting waters. The dummy mummy. <laughs> Far out in the bay, between Bailey and Kish lights, the Erin's king sails, sending a broadening plume of coal smoke from her funnel towards the land. Councillor Nanetti, alone on deck, in dark alpaca, yellow, kite-faced, his hand in his waistcoat opening, Declaims. When my country takes her place among the nations of the earth, then, and not till then, let my epitaph be written. I have done. Proof. The nymph loftily. We immortals, as you saw today, have not such a place and no hair there either. We are stone cold and pure. We eat electric light. She arches her body in lascivious crispation, placing her forefinger in her mouth. Spoke to me, heard from behind. How then could you... Bloom, pacing the heather abjectly. Oh, I have been a perfect pig. Enemas, too, I have administered. One third of a pint of quassia, to which add a tablespoonful of rock salt. Up the fundament with Hamilton Long syringe, the lady's friend. In my presence, the powder puff. She blushes and makes a knee. And the rest. Bloom, dejected. Yes, Peccavi. I have paid homage on that living altar where the back changes name. With sudden fervour. For why should the dainty scented jewelled hand, the hand that rules... Figures wind, serpenting in slow woodland pattern around the tree stems, cooeying. The voice of Kitty in the thicket. Shows one of them cushions. The voice of Flurry. Here? A grouse wings clumsily through the underwood. The voice of Lynch in the thicket. Phew, piping hot. The voice of Zoe from the thicket. Came from a hot place. The voice of Virag, a bird chief, blue-streaked and feathered in war panoply with his assegai, striding through a crackling canebrake over beechmast and acorns. Hot, hot, rare-sitting bull. It overpowers me. The warm impress of her warm form. Even to sit where a woman has sat 
especially with devaricated thighs, as though to grant the last favours, most especially with previously well-uplifted white sateen coat-pans. So womanly full, it fills me full. The waterfall. The ewes. The nymph, eyeless, in nun's white habit, coif and huge winged wimple, softly with remote eyes. Tranquilla convent, Sister Agatha, Mount Carmel, the apparitions of knock and lure, no more desire. She reclines her head, sighing. Only the ethereal, where dreamy, creamy gull waves o'er the waters dull. Bloom half rises. His back trousers button snaps. The button. Two sluts of the coom dance rainily by, shawled, yelling flatly. The sluts. Bloom, coldly. You have broken the spell. The last draw. If there were only ethereal, where would you all be? Postulants and novices? Shy but willing, like an ass pissing. The ewes, their silver foil of leaves precipitating, their skinny arms aging and swaying. Sacrilege to attempt my virtue. A large, moist stain appears on her robe. Sully my innocence. You are not fit to touch the garment of a pure woman. She clutches in her robe. Wait, Satan, you'll sing no more love songs. Amen, 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 amen. She draws a poniard and, clad in the sheath mail of an elected knight of nine, strikes at his loins. Neckum! Bloom starts up, seizes her hand. Hoy, Nebracada, cat of nine lives. Fair play, madam. No pruning knife. The fox and the grapes, is it? What do we lack with your barbed wire? Crucifix not thick enough? He clutches her veil. A holy abbot you want, or Brophy, the lame gardener, or the spoutless statue of the water carrier, or good Mother Alphonsus, hey, Reynard? The nymph, with a cry, flees from him, unveiled, her plaster cast cracking, a cloud of stench escaping from the cracks. Bloom calls after her. As if you didn't get it on the double yourselves? No jerks and multiple mucosities all over you? I tried it. Your strength, our weakness. What's our stud fee? What will you pay on the nail? You fee-men dancers on the Riviera, I read. The fleeing nymph raises a keen. Eh, I have sixteen years of black slave labor behind me, and would a jury give me five shillings alimony tomorrow, eh? Fool someone else, not me. He sniffs. But onions, stale, sulphur. Greece. The figure of Bella Cohen stands before him. You'll know me the next time. Bloom, composed, regards her. Passé. Mutton dressed as lamb. Long in the tooth and superfluous hairs. A raw onion the last thing at night would benefit your complexion. And take some double chin drill. Your eyes are as vapid as the glass eyes of your stuffed fox. They have the dimensions of your other features, that's all. I'm not a triple-screw propeller. Bella, contemptuously. You're not game, in fact. 
A sow-cunt barks. Flat! Bloom contemptuously. Clean your nailless middle finger first. The cold spunk of your bully is dripping from your coxcomb. Take a handful of hay and wipe yourself. I know you, canvasser. Dead cod. I saw him, kip-keeper, pox and gleet vendor. Bella turns to the piano. Which of you is playing the dead march from Saul? Zoe. Me. Mind your cornflowers. She darts to the piano and bangs chords on it with crossed arms. The cats ramble through the slag. She glances back. Hey, who's making love to my sweeties? She darts back to the table. What's yours is mine and what's mine is my own. Kitty, disconcerted, coats her teeth with the silver paper. Bloom approaches Zoe. Bloom, gently. Give me back that potato, will you? Forfeits. A fine thing and a super fine thing. Bloom with feeling. It is nothing, but still a relic of poor mamma. Give a thing and take it back. God'll ask you, where is that? You'll say you don't know. God'll send you down below. There is a memory attached to it. I should like to have it. Stephen. To have or not to have, that is the question. Here. She hauls up a reef of her slip, revealing her bare thigh, and unrolls the potato from the top of her stocking. Those that hides knows where to find. Bella frowns. Here. This isn't a musical peep show. And don't you smash that piano. Who's paying here? She goes to the pianola. Stephen fumbles in his pocket and, taking out a banknote by its corner, hands it to her. Stephen, with exaggerated politeness. This silken purse I made out of the sow's ear of the public. Madam, excuse me. If you allow me... He indicates vaguely Lynch and Bloom. We are all in the same sweepstake, Kinch and Lynch. Dans ce bordel ou tenons notre état. Lynch calls from the hearth. Daedalus, give her your blessing for me. Stephen hands Bella a coin. Gold. She has it. Bella looks at the money, then at Zoe, Florrie and Kitty. Do you want three girls? It's ten shillings here. Stephen, delightedly. A hundred thousand apologies. He fumbles again and takes out and hands her two crowns. Permit, brevi manu, my sight is somewhat troubled. Bella goes to the table to count the money while Stephen talks to himself in monosyllables. Zoe bounds over to the table. Kitty leans over Zoe's neck. Lynch gets up, writes his cap and clasping Kitty's waist, adds his head to the group. Florrie strives heavily to rise. Oh, my foot's asleep. She limps over to the table. Bloom approaches. Bella, Zoe, Kitty, Lynch, Bloom, chattering and squabbling. The gentleman... Ten shillings. Paying for the three. Allow me a moment. This gentleman pays separate. Who's touching it? I'll mind you your pension. Are you staying the night or a short time? Who did? You're a liar, excuse me. The gentleman paid down like a gentleman. Drink. It's long after eleven. Stephen, at the pianola, making a gesture of abhorrence. No bottles. What, eleven? A riddle. Zoe, lifting up her petty gown and folding a half-sovereign into the top of her stocking. Hard-earned on the flat of my back. Lynch, lifting Kitty from the table. Come. Wait. She clutches the two crowns. And me? Hoopla. He lifts her, carries her and bumps her down on the sofa. The fox crew, the cocks flew, the bells in heaven were striking eleven. Tis time for her, poor soul, to get out of heaven. Bloom quietly lays a half-sovereign on the table between Bella and Florrie. So, allow me. He takes up the pound note. Three times ten, we square. Bella, admiringly. 
You're such a sly boot, so cocky. I could kiss you. Zoe points. Tom, deep as a draw well. Lynch bends Kitty back over the sofa and kisses her. Bloom goes with the pound note to Stephen. This is yours. How is that? Le distrait, your absent-minded beggar. He fumbles again in his pocket and draws out a handful of coins. An object falls. Oh, that fell. Bloom, stooping, picks up and hands a box of matches. This? Lucifer. Thanks. Bloom, quietly. You had better hand over that cash to me to take care of. Why pay more? Stephen hands him all his coins. Be just before you are generous. I will, but is it wise? He counts. One, seven, eleven and five. Six, eleven. I don't answer for what you may have lost. Why striking eleven? Proper oxyton. Moment before the next lesson says... Thirsty fox? He laughs loudly. <laughs> Burying his grandmother. Probably he killed her. That is one pound six and eleven. One pound seven, say. Doesn't matter a rambling damn. No, but... Stephen comes to the table. Cigarette, please. Lynch tosses a cigarette from the sofa to the table. And so Georgina Johnson is dead and married. A cigarette appears on the table. Stephen looks at it. Wonder! Parlour magic! Married. Hmm? He strikes a match and proceeds to light the cigarette with enigmatic melancholy. Lynch, watching him. You would have a better chance of lighting it if you held a match nearer. Stephen brings the match nearer his eye. Link's eye. Must get glasses. Broke them yesterday. Sixteen years ago. Distance. The eye sees all flat. He draws the match away. It goes out. Brain thinks near, far... Ineluctable modality of the visible. He frowns mysteriously. Hmm. Sphinx. The beast that has two backs at midnight. Married. It was a commercial traveller married her and took her away with him. Flory nods. Mr. Lamb from London. Lamb of London, who take us away the sins of our world. Lynch, embracing Kitty on the sofa, chants deeply. Dona nobis pacem. The cigarette slips from Stephen's fingers. Bloom picks it up and throws it into the grate. Don't smoke. You ought to eat. Cursed dog, I met. To Zoe. You have nothing. Is he hungry? Stephen extends his hand to her, smiling, and chants to the air of the blood oath in the dusk of the gods. Hangende hunger, fragende Frau, macht uns alle kaputt. Zoe, tragically. Hamlet, I am thy father's gimlet. She takes his hand. Blue-eyed beauty, I'll read your hand. She points to his forehead. No wit, no wrinkles. She counts. Two, three, Mars. That's courage. Stephen shakes his head. No kid. Lynch. Sheet lightning courage, a youth who could not shiver and shake. To Zoe. Who taught you palmistry? Zoe turns. Ask my bollocks that I haven't got. To Stephen. I see it in your face. The eye. Like that. She frowns with lowered head. Lynch, laughing, <laughs> slaps Kitty behind twice. Like that. Pandybat. Twice, loudly, a pandybat cracks. The coffin of the pianola flies open. 
The bald little round jack-in-the-box head of Father Dolan springs up. Any boy want flogging? Broke his glasses? Lazy, idle little schemer? See it in your eye? Mild, benign, rectorial, reproving. The head of Don John Conmey rises from the pianola coffin. Now, Father Dolan, now. I'm sure that Stephen is a very good little boy. Zoe, examining Stephen's palm. Woman's hand. Stephen murmurs. Continue. Lie. Hold me. Caress. I never could read his handwriting except his criminal thumbprint on the haddock. What day were you born? Thursday. Today. Thursday's child is far to go. She traces lines on his hand. Line of fate. Influential friends. Flory pointing. Imagination. Mount of the moon. You'll meet with a... She peers at his hands abruptly. I won't tell you what's not good for you. What do you want to know? Bloom detaches her fingers and offers his palm. Uh, more harm than good. Here, read mine. Show. She turns up Bloom's hand. I thought so. Nobby knuckles for the women. Zoe, peering at Bloom's palm. Gridiron. Travels beyond the sea... And marry money? Wrong. Zoe, quickly. Oh, I see. Short little finger. Enpecked husband. That wrong? Black Liz, a huge rooster, hatching in a chalked circle, rises, stretches her wings and clucks. <coughs> she sidles from her new laid egg and waddles off. Bloom points to his hand. That wheel there is an accident. Fell and cut it 22 years ago. I was 16. I see, says the blind man. Tell us news. See? Moves to one great goal. I am 22 too. 16 years ago, I, 22, tumbled. 22 years ago, he, 16, fell off his hobby horse. He winces. Oh, hurt my hand somewhere. Must see a dentist. Money? Zoe whispers to Flurry. They giggle. <laughs> Bloom releases his hand and writes idly on the table in backhand, penciling slow curves. Flory. What? A hackney car, number 324, with a gallant buttocked mare, driven by James Barton, Harmony Avenue, Donnybrook, trots past. Blazes Boylan and Lenehan sprawl, swaying on the side seats. The Ormond Boots crouches behind on the axle. Sadly over the cross-blind, Lydia Douce and Mina Kennedy gaze. The Boots, jogging, Mocks them with thumb and wriggling worm fingers. Ha ha, have you the horn? Bronze by gold, they whisper. Zoe to Flory. Whisper. They whisper again. Over the well of the car, Blazes Boylan leans. His boater straw set sideways, a red flower in his mouth. Lenehan, in a yachtsman's cap and white shoes, officiously detaches a long hair from Blazes Boylan's shoulder. Lenehan. Oh, what do I hear behold? Were you brushing the cobwebs off a few quims? Boylan, seated, smiles. Plucking a turkey. A good night's work. Boylan, holding up four thick, blunt ungulated fingers, winks. Blazers, Kate. Up to sample of your money back. He holds out a forefinger. Smell that. Lenehan smells gleefully. Ah, lobster and mayonnaise. Oh. Zoe and Flory laugh together. Boylan jumps surely from the car and calls loudly for all to hear. Hello, 
Bloom. Mrs. Bloom up yet? Bloom, in a flunky's plum plush coat and knee breeches, buff stockings and powdered wig. I'm afraid not, sir. The last articles... Boylan tosses him sixpence. Here, to buy yourself a gin and splash. He hangs his hat smartly on a peg of Bloom's antlered head. Show me in. I have a little private business with your wife. You understand? Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Madame Tweedy is in her bath, sir. Marion. He ought to feel himself highly honoured. She plops, splashing out of the water. Raoul, darling, come and dry me. I'm in my pelt. Only my new hat and a carriage sponge. Boylan, a merry twinkle in his eye. Topping. Bella. What? What is this? Zoe whispers to her. Let him look, the pishogue. Pimp and scourge himself. I'll write to a powerful prostitute or Bartholomew the bearded woman to raise wheels out on him an inch thick and make him bring me back a sided stamped receipt. Bella laughing. <laughs> Boylan to Bloom over his shoulder. You can apply your eye to the keyhole and play with yourself while I just go through her a few times. Thank you, sir. I will, sir. May I bring two men chums to witness the deed and take a snapshot? He holds an ointment jar. Vaseline, sir. Orange flower. Lukewarm water. Kitty from the sofa. Tell us, Flory. Tell us what. Flory whispers to her. Whispering love words murmur, lip-lapping loudly. Papismic plop-slop. Mina Kennedy, her eyes upturned. Oh, it must be like the scent of geraniums and lovely peaches. Oh! Simply idolises every bit of her, stuck together, covered with kisses. Lydia Deuce, her mouth opening. Yum, yum. Oh, he's carrying her round the room doing it. Ride a cock horse. You could hear them in Paris and New York, like mouthfuls of strawberries and cream. Kitty, laughing. <laughs> Boylan's voice. Sweetly, hoarsely, in the pit of his stomach. Ah, Gubler's crook. Brookarch crashed. Marion's voice, hoarsely, sweetly, rising to her throat. Oh, wish, wish to kiss him a boo, is him a boo. Bloom, his eyes wildly dilated, clasps himself. Show, hide, show, plower, more, shoot. Bella, Zoe, Flory, Kitty. Lynch points. The mirror up to nature. He laughs. <laughs> Stephen and Bloom gaze in the mirror. The face of William Shakespeare, beardless, appears there, rigid in facial paralysis, crowned by the reflection of the reindeer antlered hat rack in the hall. Shakespeare, in dignified ventriloquy. Tis the loud laugh bespeaks the vacant mind. To Bloom. Thou thoughtest us how thou wastest invisible gaze. He crows with a black capon's laugh. <laughs> Iago-go, how my old fellow choked at his Thursday moment. Iago-go-go. Bloom smiles yellowly at the whores. When will I hear the joke? Zoe. Before you're twice married and once a widower. Lapses are condoned. Even the great Napoleon, when measurements were taken near the skin after his death. Mrs. Dignam. Widow woman, her snub nose and cheeks flushed with death talk, tears and Tunny's tawny sherry, hurries by in her weeds, her bonnet awry, rouging and powdering her cheeks, lips and nose, 
a pen chivying her brood of signets. Beneath her skirt appear her late husband's everyday trousers and turned-up boots, large eights. She holds a Scottish widow's insurance policy and large marquee umbrella, under which her brood runs with her. Patsy, hopping on one short foot, his collar loose, a hank of pork steaks dangling, Freddy, whimpering, Susie, with a crying cod's mouth, Alice, struggling with the baby. She cuffs them on, her streamers flaunting aloft. Freddy. Mama, you're dragging me along. Susie. Mama, the big tea is bathing over. Shakespeare, with paralytic rage. Well, a sucker, who kill her fast? The face of Martin Cunningham, bearded, refeatures Shakespeare's beardless face. The marquee umbrella sways drunkenly, the children run aside. Under the umbrella appears Mrs. Cunningham in merry widow hat and kimono gown. She glides, sidling and bowing, twisting Japaneseily. Mrs. Cunningham sings. And they call me the jewel of Asia. Martin Cunningham gazes on her, impassive. Immense. Most bloody awful demi-rep. Stephen. Et exalta bontor cornua justi. Queens lay with prize bulls. Remember Pasiphae, for whose lust my grand old gross father made the first confession box. Forget not Madame Grisel Stevens, nor the suine scions of the House of Lambert. And Noah was drunk with wine, and his ark was open. Bella. None of that here. Come to the wrong shop. Lynch. Let him alone. He's back from Paris. Zoe runs to Stephen and links him. Oh, go on. Give us some parley-voo. Stephen claps hat on head and leaps over to the fireplace, where he stands with shrugged shoulders. Finny hands outspread, a painted smile on his face. Lynch, pommeling on the sofa. Rum, 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 rum! Stephen gabbles with marionette jerks. Thousand places of entertainment. Two expenses your evenings with lovely ladies. Sailing, gloves and other things. Perhaps her heart. Beer chops. Perfect fashionable house. Very eccentric. Well, lots cocottes, beautiful dressed. Much about princesses like our dancing can-can and walking there. Parisian clowner is extra foolish for bachelors. Foreign's the same of talking a poor English. How much smart they are on things, love and sensations voluptuous. Misters, very selects for his pleasure must to visit heaven and hell show with mortuary candles and they tear silver which occur every night. Perfectly shocking, terrific of religion's things, mockery seen in universal world. All chic womans, which arrive full of modesty, then disrobe and squeal loud to see vampire man, debauch nun, very fresh young with dessous troublant. He clacks his tongue loudly. Oh la la, ce pif Lynch. Vive le vampire! The whores. Bravo, bravo! Stephen, grimacing with head back, laughs loudly, clapping himself. <laughs> Great success of laughing! Angels, much prostitutes like, and holy apostles, big damn ruffians. Demi mondaine, nicely handsome, sparkling of diamonds, very amiable, costumed. Or do you are fond better what belongs the modern pleasure, turpitude of old man? He points about him with grotesque gestures, which Lynch and the whores reply to. Cow chuck statue woman reversible. Or life-size toppy toms. Virgins, nudities, very lesbic, the kiss five, ten times. Enter, gentlemen, to see in mirrors every position's trapezes, all that machine there. Besides, also, if desire act awfully bestial, butcher's boy pollutes in warm veal liver omelette on the belly pièce de Shakespeare. Bella, clapping her belly, sinks back on the sofa with a shout of laughter. Anomalous on the... 
Stephen mincingly. I love you, sir, darling. Speak you Englishman tongue for double entente cordiale. Oh, yes, mon loup. How much cost? Waterloo water closet? He ceases suddenly and holds up a forefinger. Bella laughing. Omelette! The whores laughing. Mark me. I dreamt of a watermelon. Zoe. Go abroad and love a foreign lady. Lynch. Across the world for a wife. Flory. Dreams go by contraries. Stephen, extending his arms. It was here, Street of Harlots. In Serpentine Avenue, Beelzebub showed me her, a fubsy widow. Where's the red carpet spread? Bloom, approaching Stephen. Look. No, I flew, my foes beneath me. And ever shall be world without end. He cries. Potter, free! I say, look. Break my spirit, will he? Oh, mad alor! He cries, his vulture talons sharpened. Hola! Hilly ho! Simon Diddles' voice hillows in answer, somewhat sleepy but ready. That's all right! He swoops uncertainly through the air, wheeling, uttering cries of heartening. On strong, ponderous, buzzard wings. Oh, boy! Are you going to win? Whoop! Pichette! Stable with those half-castes! Wouldn't let them within the ball of an ass! Head up! Keep our flag flying! An eagle ghouls volant in a field argent displayed! Ulster king in arms! Hi! Whoop! He makes the beagle's call, giving tongue. The fronds and spaces of the wallpaper file rapidly across country. A stout fox, drawn from covert, brush-pointed, having buried his grandmother, runs swift for the open, bright-eyed, seeking badger earth under the leaves. The pack of staghounds follows, nose to the ground, sniffing their quarry, beagle-baying, burble-bribbling to be blooded. Ward Union huntsmen and huntswomen live with them, hot for a kill. From six-mile point, flathouse, nine-mile stone... Follow the foot people with knotty sticks, salmon gaffs, lassoes, flock masters with stock whips, bear baiters with tom toms, toreadors with bull swords, grey negroes waving torches. The crowd balls of dicers, crown and anchor players, thimble riggers, broadsmen. Crows and touts, horse bookies in high wizard hats clamour deafeningly. The crowd. Ten to one bar one. Tell the monkey boy, sell the monkey. I'll give ten to one. Ten to one bar one. A dark horse, riderless, bolts like a phantom past the winning post, his mane moon foaming, his eyeballs stars. The field follows a bunch of bucking mounts, skeleton horses. Scepter, Maximum the Second, Zinfandel, the Duke of Westminster's Shotover, Repulse, the Duke of Beaufort's Salon, Prix de Paris. Dwarfs ride them, rusty armoured, leaping, leaping in their saddles. Last, in a drizzle of rain, on a broken-winded Isabel nag, Cock of the North, the favourite, honey cap, green jacket, orange sleeves, Garrett DC up, gripping the reins, a hockey stick at the ready. His nag, stumbling on white-gaitered feet, jogs along the rocky road. The orange lodgers, jeering. Get down and push, master! Last laugh! You 
I'll be home the night. Garrett DC, bolt upright, his nail-scraped face plastered with postage stamps, brandishes his hockey stick, his blue eyes flashing in the prism of the chandelier as his mount lopes by at a schooling gallop. Pervious rectus. A yoke of buckets leopards all over him and his rearing nag. A torrent of mutton broth with dancing coins of carrots, barley, onions, turnips, potatoes. The green lodges. Soft day, Sir John. Soft day, Your Honor. Private Carr, Private Compton, and Sissy Caffrey pass beneath the windows, singing in discord. Stephen. Hark! Our friend, noise in the street. Zoe holds up her hand. Stop! Private Carr, Private Compton, and Sissy Caffrey. She claps her hands. Dance! Dance! She runs to the pianola. Who is Tuppence? Hool! Lynch, handing her coins. Here. Stephen, cracking his fingers impatiently. Quick, quick! Where's my auger's rod? He runs to the piano and takes his ash plant, beating his foot in tripudium. Zoe turns the drum handle. There! She drops two pennies in the slot. Gold, pink and violet lights start forth. The drum turns purring in low-hesitation waltz. Professor Goodwin, in a bow-knotted periwig, in court dress, wearing a stained Inverness cape, bent in two from incredible age, totters across the room, his hands fluttering. He sits tinily on the piano stool and lifts and beats handless sticks of arms on the keyboard, nodding with damsel's grace, his bow-knot bobbing. Zoe twirls around herself, heel-tapping. The pianola, with changing lights, plays in waltz time the prelude to My Girl's a Yorkshire Girl. Stephen throws his ash plant on the table and seizes Zoe around the waist. Florrie and Bella push the table towards the fireplace. Stephen, arming Zoe with exaggerated grace, begins to waltz her around the room. Her sleeve, falling from gracing arms, reveals a white flesh flower of vaccination. Bloom stands aside. Between the curtains, Professor McGuinney inserts a leg on the toe point of which spins a silk hat. With a deft kick, he sends it spinning to his crown, and jaunty-hatted, skates in. He wears a slate frock coat with claret silk lapels, a gorget of cream tulle, a green low-cut waistcoat, stock collar with white kerchief, tight lavender trousers, patent pumps and canary gloves. In his buttonhole is a dahlia. He twirls in reverse directions a clouded cane, then wedges it tight in his oxter. He places a hand limply on his breast bone, bows, and fondles his flower and buttons. McGuinney. The poetry of motion, art of calisthenics. No connection with Madame Leggett Burns or Livingstone's. Fancy dress balls arranged, deportment, the catty Lara steps. So, watch me. My clips of Korean abilities. He minuets forward three paces on tripping bee's feet. Tout le monde, en avant. The prelude ceases. Professor Goodwin, beating vague arms, shrivels, shrinks, his live cape falling about the stool. The air, in firmer waltz time, pounds. Stephen and Zoe circle freely. The lights change, glow, fade. Gold, rose, violet. The pianola. From a corner, the morning hours run out. Gold-haired, slim, in girlish blue, 
wasp wasted, with innocent hands. Nimbly they dance, twirling their skipping ropes. The hours of noon follow in amber gold, laughing, linked. High hair combs flashing, they catch the sun in mocking mirrors, lifting their arms. McGuinney, clip claps, love silent hands. Carré! Avant Dieu! Breathe evenly! Bowels! The morning and noon hours waltz in their places, turning, advancing to each other, shaping their curves, bowing vis-à-vis. Cavaliers behind them arch and suspend their arms, with hands descending to, touching, rising from their shoulders. Hours. Cavaliers. May I touch your... Hours. Oh, lightly. Cavaliers. Oh, so lightly. The pianola. My little shy little lass has a waist. Zoe and Stephen turn boldly with looser swing. The twilight hours advance from long land shadows. Dispersed, lagging, languid-eyed, their cheeks delicate with cypria and false faint bloom. They are in grey gauze with dark bat sleeves that flutter in the land breeze. McGuinney. Avant! Oui! Traversez! Salut! Cours demain! Croisez! The night hours steal to the last place. Morning, noon and twilight hours retreat before them. They are masked with daggered hair and bracelets of dull bells. Weary, they kerchy-kerchy under veils. The bracelets... Zoe, twisting her hand to her brow. Oh. McGuinney. Le tireur! Shindidum! La corbeille! Do ado! Arabesquing wearily, they weave a pattern on the floor, weaving, unweaving, curtsying, twisting, simply swirling. I'm goody! She frees herself, droops on a chair. Stephen seizes Florrie and turns with her. McGuinney. Boulanger! Les gros! Les ponts! Chevaux de bois! Escargot! Twining, receding, with interchanging hands, the night hours link, each with arching arms in a mosaic of movements. Stephen and Florrie turn cumbrously. McGuinney. Dansez avec vos dames. Changez de dames. Donnez le petit bouquet à votre dame. Un merci. The pianola. Est, est, Kitty jumps up. She runs to Stephen. He leaves Florrie brusquely and seizes Kitty. A screaming bittern's harsh eye whistle shrieks. Grown grouse gurgling, Toth's cumbersome whirligig turns. Slowly the room, right round about the room. The pianola. She seizes Florrie and waltzes her. Stephen. He wheels Kitty into Lynch's arms, snatches up his ash plant from the table, and takes the floor. All wheel, whirl, waltz, twirl. Bloom Bella, Kitty Lynch, Florrie Zoe, Jujube women. Stephen with hat, ash plant, frog splits in middle, high kicks with sky kicking, mouth shut, hand clasp part under thigh, with clang, tinkle, boom hammer, tally-ho, horn blower, blue-green-yellow flashes. Toft's cumbersome turns with hobby horse riders, from gilded snakes dangled, bowels fandango leaping, spurn soil, foot and fall again. The pianola. Blue, she's a fat, she has and wears blue 
close clutched, swift, swifter, with glare, glare, flare, scudding, they scot loot shoot lumbering by. Balabum, tutti. Simon, think of your mother's people. Dance of death! Bang, fresh barang bang of lackey's bell. Horse, nag, steer, piglings, con me on Christ ass, lame crutch and leg sailor in cockboat, arm folded, rope pulling, hitching, stamp. Hornpipe through and through, bada boom! On nags, hogs, bell horses, gathering swine corny in coffin. Steel shark, stone one-handled Nelson, two trickies flowered zimmer, plum stain from pram, falling, bawling, gum he's a champion, fused blue pier from barrel, rare even song, love on hackney jaunt, blazes blind, cod doubled bicyclers, dilly with snow cake, no fancy clothes, then in last wispitch back, lumbering up and down, bump, mash tub sort of viceroy in rain, relish for tub lumber. Bumpshire rose, bada boom! The couples fall aside. Stephen whirls giddily. Room whirls back. Eyes closed, he totters. Red rails fly spacewards. Stars all around. Suns turn roundabout. Bright midges dance on wall. He stops dead. Stephen. Oh! Stephen's mother, emaciated. Rises stark through the floor in leper grey, with a wreath of faded orange blossoms and a torn bridal veil, her face worn and noseless, green with grave mould. Her hair is scant and lank. She fixes her blue-circled, hollow eye sockets on Stephen and opens her toothless mouth, uttering a silent word. A choir of virgins and confessors sing voicelessly. From the top of a tower, Buck Mulligan, in party-coloured jester's dress of puce and yellow, and clown's cap with curling bell, stands gaping at her, a smoking, buttered, split scone in his hand. Buck Mulligan. She's beastly dead, the pity of it. Mulligan meets the afflicted mother. He upturns his eyes. Mercurial Malachy. The mother, with the subtle smile of death's madness. I was once the beautiful May Goulding. I am dead. Stephen, horror-struck. Lima, who are you? What bogeyman's trick is this? Buck Mulligan shakes his curling cap bell. The mockery of it. Kinch killed her dog's body, bitch body. She kicked the bucket. Tears of molten butter fall from his eyes into the scum. Our great sweet mother, Epi Oinopa Ponton. The mother comes nearer, breathing upon him softly, her breath of wetted ashes. All must go through it, Stephen. More women than men in the world. You too. Time will come. Stephen, choking with fright, remorse and horror. They said I killed your mother. He offended your memory. Cancer did it, not I. Destiny. The mother, a green rill of bile trickling from the side of her mouth. You sang that song to me. Love's bitter mystery. Stephen, eagerly. 
Tell me the word, mother, if you know now, the word known to all men. Who saved you the night you jumped into the train at Dorky with Paddy Who had pity for you when you were sad among the strangers? Prayer is all Prayer for the suffering souls in the Ursuline Manual and 40 days indulgence. Repent, Stephen. The ghoul, hyena. I pray for you in my other word. Get Dilly to make you that boiled rice every night after your brain work. Years and years I loved you, oh, my son, my firstborn. When you lay in my womb. Zoe, fanning herself with the great fan. I'm melting. Florrie points to Stephen. Look, he's white. Bloom goes to the window to open it more. Giddy. The mother with smouldering eyes. Repent, oh, the fire of hell. Stephen, panting. The corpse chewer. Raw head and bloody bones. The mother, her face drawing nearer and nearer, sending out an ashen breath. She raises her blackened, withered right arm slowly towards Stephen's breast with outstretched fingers. A green crab with malignant red eyes sticks deep its grinning claws in Stephen's heart. Stephen, strangled with rage. His features grow drawn and grey and old. Bloom at the window. What? Anon, for example. The intellectual imagination. With me, all or not at all. Non serviam! Flory. Give him some cold water. Wait. She rushes out. The mother wrings her hands slowly, moaning desperately. can. I'll bring you all to heal. The mother, in the agony of her death rattle. Have mercy on Stephen, Lord, for my sake. Inexpressible was my anguish when expiring with love, grief, and agony on Mount Calvary. No He lifts his ash plant high with both hands and smashes the chandelier. Time's livid final flame leaps, and in the following darkness, ruin of all space, shattered glass and toppling masonry, the gas jet. Stop! Lynch rushes forward and seizes Stephen's hand. Here, hold on! Don't run a mock! Bella. Police! Stephen, abandoning his ash plant, his head and arms thrown back stark, beats the ground and flees from the room, past the halls at the door. Bella screams. The two whores rush to the hall doors. Lynch and Kitty and Zoe stampede from the room. They talk excitedly. Bloom follows, returns. The whores jammed in the doorway, pointing. Down there! Zoe, pointing. There! There's something up! Bella. Who pays for the lamp? She seizes Bloom's coattail. There, you are with him. The lamp's broken. Bloom rushes to the hall, rushes back. What lamp, woman? A whore. He tore his coat. Bella, her eyes hard with anger and cupidity, points. Who's to pay for that? 
Ten shillings. You're a witness. Bloom snatches up Stephen's ash plant. Me? Ten shillings? Haven't you lifted enough of him? Didn't he? Bella, loudly. Here, none of your tall talk. This isn't a brothel. A ten shilling house. Bloom, his hand under the lamp, pulls the chain. Paling, the gas jet lights up. A crushed mauve purple shade. He raises the ash plant. Only the chimney's broken. Here is all he... Bella shrinks back and screams. Jesus, don't! Bloom warding off a blow. To show you how he hit the paper. There's not a sixpence worth of damage done. Ten shillings. Florrie, with a glass of water, enters. Where is he? Bella. Do you want me to call the police? Oh, I know. Bulldog on the premises. But he's a Trinity student. Patrons of your establishment. Gentlemen that pay the rent. He makes a Masonic sign. Know what I mean? Nephew of the vice-chancellor. You don't want a scandal. Bella, angrily. Trinity. Coming down here, ragging after the boat races and paying nothing. Are you my commander here? Where is he? I'll charge him. Disgrace him, I will. She shouts. Zoe! Zoe! Bloom, urgently. And if it were your own son in Oxford? Warningly. I know. Bella, almost speechless. Who are you? Incog? Zoe, in the doorway. There's a row on! What? Where? He throws a shilling on the table and shouts. That's for the chimney. Where? I need mountain air. He hurries out through the hall. The hall's point. Florrie follows, spilling water from her tilted tumbler. On the doorstep, all the halls clustered talk volubly, pointing to the right where the fog has cleared off. From the left arrives a jingling hackney car. It slows to in front of the house. Bloom at the hall door perceives Corny Kelleher, who is about to dismount from the car with two silent lechers. He averts his face. Bella, from within the hall, urges on her whores. They blow icky, licky, sticky, yum-yum kisses. Corny Kelleher replies with a ghostly, lewd smile. The silent lechers turn to pay the jarvy. Zoe and Kitty still point right. Bloom, parting them swiftly, draws his caliph's hood and poncho and hurries down the steps with sideways face. In Cog Harun al-Rashid, he flits behind the silent lechers and hastens on by the railings with fleet step of a pard strewing the drag behind him, torn envelopes drenched in aniseed. The ash plant marks his stride. A pack of bloodhounds, led by Hornblower of Trinity, brandishing a dog whip in tally-ho cap and an old pair of grey trousers, follows from far, picking up the scent. Nearer, baying, panting, at fault, breaking away, throwing their tongues, biting his heels, leaping at his tail. He walks, runs, zigzags, gallops, lugs laid back. He is pelted with gravel, cabbage stumps, biscuit boxes, eggs, potatoes, dead codfish, woman's slipper-slappers. After him, fresh found, the hue and cry zigzag gallops in hot pursuit of follow my leader. 65C, 66C, Night Watch, John Henry Menton, Wisdom Healy, V.B. Dillon, Councillor Nanetti, Alexander Keyes, Larry O'Rourke, Joe Cuff, Mrs. O'Dowd, Pisser Burke, the nameless one, Mrs. Reardon, the citizen, Gary Owen, what do you call him, strange face, fellow that's like, saw him before, chap with, Chris Callanan, Sir Charles Cameron, Benjamin Dollard, Lenehan, Bartle Darcy, Joe Hines, Red Murray, Editor Braden, T.M. Healy, Mr. Justice Fitzgibbon, John Howard Parnell, the Reverend Tin Salmon, Professor Jolie, Mrs. Breen, Dennis Breen, Theodore Purifoy, Mina Purifoy, the Western Row Postmistress, C.P. McCoy, Friend of Lyons, Hoppy Holohan, Man in the Street, Other Man in the Street, Football Boots, Pug-Nosed Driver, Rich Protestant Lady, 
Davy Byrne, Mrs. Ellen McGuinness, Mrs. Joe Gallagher, George Lidwell, Jemmy Henry on corns, Superintendent Laracy, Father Cowley, Crofton out of the Collector Generals, Dan Dawson, Dental Surgeon Bloom with tweezers, Mrs. Bob Doran, Mrs. Kennevick, Mrs. Wise Nolan, John Wise Nolan, Handsome Married Woman Rubbed Against Wide Behind in Tlonsky Tram, The Bookseller of Sweets of Sin, Miss Dubedat, and she did be dad, Maydam Gerald and Stanislaus Moran of Roebuck, The Managing Clerk of Drimmies, Colonel Hayes, Mastiansky, Citron, Penrose, Aaron Figertner, Moses Herzog, Michael E. Geraghty, Inspector Troy, Mrs. Galbraith, the constable off Eccles Street Corner, old Dr. Brady with stethoscope, the mystery man on the beach, a retriever, Mrs. Miriam Dandrade and all her lovers. The hue and cry, helter skelter, pelter welter. At the corner of Beaver Street, beneath the scaffolding, Bloom, panting, stops on the fringe of the noisy, quarrelling knot. A lot, not knowing a jot, what? Hi, hi, row and wrangle round the who, what, brawl altogether. Stephen, with elaborate gestures, breathing deeply and slowly. You are my guests, the uninvited by virtue of the 5th of George and 7th of Edward. History to blame, fabled by mothers of memory. Private car to Sissy Caffrey. Was he insulting you? Addressed her invocative feminine, probably neuter, ungenitive. Voices. No, he didn't. The girls tell it lies. He wasn't Mrs. Cohen. Hey, what's up? Soldiers and civilians. Sissy Caffrey. I was in company with the soldiers and they left me to do, you know, and the young man ran up behind me. But I'm faithful to the man that's treating me, though I'm only a shilling whore. Stephen catches sight of Kitty's and Lynch's heads. Hail, Sisyphus! He points to himself and the others. Poetic. <laughs> Neo-poetic. Voices. She's faithful, the man! Sissy Caffrey. Yes, to go with him and me with a soldier friend. Private Compton. He doesn't half want the thick ear, the blighter. Biff him on, Harry. Private Carr to Sissy. Was he insulting you? While me and him was having a piss. Lord Tennyson, in Union Jack blazer and cricket flannels, bareheaded, flowing bearded. There's not two reason why. Private Compton. Biffy Mary. Stephen to Private Compton. I don't know your name, but you're quite right. Dr. Swift says one man in armour will be ten men in their shirts. Shirt is synecdoche, part for the whole. Sissy Caffrey to the crowd. No! I was with the privates. Stephen, amiably. Why not? The bold soldier boy. In my opinion, every lady, for example. Private Carr, his cap awry, advancing to Stephen. Say, how would it be, Governor, if I was to bash in your jaw? Stephen looks up in the sky. How? Very unpleasant. Noble art of self-pretense. Personally, I detest action. He waves his hand. The hand hurts me slightly. Enfin... To Sissy Caffrey. Some trouble is on here. What is it precisely? Dolly Gray, from her balcony, waves her handkerchief, giving the sign of the heroine of Jericho. Rahab, Cook's son, goodbye. Safe home to Dolly. Dream of the girl you left behind, and she will dream of you. The soldiers turn their swimming eyes. Bloom, elbowing through the crowd. Pluck Stephen's sleeve vigorously. Come now, Professor. That car man is waiting. Stephen turns. Eh? He disengages himself. 
Why should I not speak to him, or to any human being who walks upright upon this oblate orange? He points his finger. I'm not afraid of what I can talk to if I see his eye, retaining the perpendicular. He staggers a pace back, Bloom propping him. Retain your own. Stephen laughs emptily. <laughs> uh, my centre of gravity is displaced. I have forgotten the trick. Let us sit down somewhere and discuss. Struggle for life is the law of existence. But modern philirenists, notably the Tsar and the King of England, have invented arbitration. He taps his brow. But in here it is, I must kill the priest and the king. Biddy the clap. Did you hear what the professor said? He's a professor out of the college. Cunty Kate. I did, I heard that. Biddy the clap. He expresses himself with much marked refinement of phraseology. Cunty Kate. Indeed, yes. And at the same time with such... Apposite transiency. Private Carr pulls himself free and comes forward. What's that you're saying about my king? Edward VII appears in an archway. He wears a white jersey on which an image of the Sacred Heart is stitched with the insignia of garter and thistle, golden fleece, elephant of Denmark, Skinner's and Probin's horse, Lincoln's Inn bencher and ancient and honourable artillery company of Massachusetts. He sucks a red jujube he is robed as a grand, elect, perfect and sublime mason, with trowel and apron, marked Made in Germany. In his left hand, he holds a plasterer's bucket on which is printed Défense du Riné. A roar of welcome greets him. <laughs> Edward VII, slowly, solemnly, but indistinctly. Peace, perfect peace, for identification, bucket in my hand. Cheerio, boys. He turns to his subjects. We have come here to witness a clean, straight fight, and we heartily wish both men the best of good luck. Mahak, Makar, Abak. He shakes hands with Private Carr, Private Compton, Stephen, Bloom, and Lynch. General applause. <laughs> Edward VII lifts the bucket graciously in acknowledgement. Private Carr to Stephen. Say it again. Stephen, nervous, friendly, pulls himself up. Uh, I understand your point of view, though I have no king myself for the moment. This is the age of patent medicine. A discussion is difficult down here, but this is the point. You die for your country, suppose. He places his arm on Private Carr's sleeve. Not that I wish it for you, but I say, let my country die for me. Up to the present, it has done so. I don't want it to die. Damn death. Long live life. Edward VII levitates over heaps of slain in the garb and with the halo of joking Jesus, a white jujube in his phosphorescent face. My methods are new and are causing surprise To make the blind see I throw dust in their eyes. Stephen. Kings and unicorns. He falls back a pace. Come somewhere and we'll... What was that girl saying? Private Compton. Aye, Harry, give him a kick in the knackers. Stick one into Jerry. Bloom to the private, softly. He doesn't know what he's saying. Taking a little more than is good for him. Absinthe, the green-eyed monster. I know him. He's a gentleman, a poet. It's all right. Stephen nods, smiling and laughing. <laughs> gentleman, <laughs> patriot, scholar, and judge of impostors. Private Carr. I don't give a bugger who he is. Private Compton. We don't give a bugger who he is. Stephen. I seem to annoy them. Green rag to a bull. 
Kevin Egan of Paris, in black, Spanish-tasseled shirt and People Day Boy's hat, signs to Stephen. Kevin Egan. Hello. Bonjour. The vieille anglaise with the donjon. Patrice Egan peeps from behind, his rabbit face nibbling a quince leaf. Patrice. Socialist. Don Emile, Patrizio, France, Rupert, Pope Hennessy. In medieval hauberk, two wild geese volant on his helm, with noble indignation, points a mailed hand against the privates. Have those ikes to put Borden, big grand porcos of Janielos todos covered of gravy. Bloom to Stephen. Come home, you'll get into trouble. Stephen, swaying. I don't avoid it. He provokes my intelligence. Biddy the clap. One immediately observes that he is of patrician lineage. The virago. Green above the red, is he? Wolf torn. The board. The red's as good as the green, and better. Up the soldiers, up King Edward. A rough laughs. Aye, hands up to the west. The citizen with a huge emerald muffler and shillelagh calls. May the god above send down a dove with teeth as sharp as razors to slit the throat of the English dogs that hanged all Irish leaders. The croppy boy, the rope noose round his neck, gripes in his issuing bowels with both hands. I bear no hate to a living thing, but love my country beyond the king. Rumbled, demon barber, accompanied by two black-masked assistants, advances with a Gladstone bag which he opens. Ladies and gents, Cleaver purchased by Mrs. Percy to slay Morg. Knife with which Vazar dismembered the wife of a compatriot and hid remains in a sheet in the cellar. The unfortunate female's throat being cut from ear to ear. File containing arsenic retrieved from the body of Miss Farrow, which sent Seddon to the gallows. He jerks the rope. The assistants leap at the victim's legs and drag him downward, grunting. The croppy boy's tongue protrudes violently. The croppy boy... He gives up the ghost. A violent erection of the hanged sends guts of sperm spouting through his death clothes onto the cobblestones. Mrs. Bellingham, Mrs. Yelverton Barry and the Honourable Mrs. Mervyn Tallboys rush forward with their handkerchiefs to sop it up. Rumbold. I'm near it myself. He undoes the noose. Rope, which hanged the awful rebel. Ten shillings a time as applied to his royal highness. He plunges his head into the gaping belly of the hanged and draws out his head again, clotted with coiled and smoking entrails. My painful duty has now been done. God save the king. Edward VII dances slowly, solemnly, rattling his bucket and sings with soft contentment. On coronation day, on coronation day, Oh, won't we have a merry time Drinking whiskey, beer and wine Private car Here, what are you saying about my king? Stephen throws up his hands Ah, oh, this is too monotonous Nothing He wants my money and my life The want must be his master For some brutish empire of his Money I haven't He searches his pockets vaguely G- Gave it to someone Private car Who wants your bleeding money? Stephen tries to move off. Will someone tell me where I am least likely to meet these necessary evils? Sars of what à Paris? Not that I... But by St. Patrick... The women's heads coalesce. Old gummy granny in sugarloaf hat appears, seated on a toadstool, the death flower of the potato blight on her breast. 
Stephen. Aha! I know you, Grammar. Hamlet. Revenge. The old sow that eats her farrow. Old gummy granny rocking to and fro. And then sweetheart, the king of Spain, daughter of Lana. Strangers in my house, bad manners to them. She keens with banshee woe. Achon, achon, silk of the kine. She wails. You met with poor old Ireland, and how does she stand? Stephen. How do I stand you? The hat trick. Where's the third person of the blessed trinity? Sogger the rune. The reverend Carrion Crow. Sissy Caffrey, shrill. Stop them from fighting! A rough. Our man retreated! Private Carr tugging at his belt. I'll ring the nick if any bugger says a word against my fucking king! Bloom, terrified. He said nothing, not a word, a pure misunderstanding. The citizen. Aaron Gabra! Major Tweedy and the citizen exhibit to each other medals, decorations, trophies of war, wounds. Both salute with fierce hostility. Private Compton. Go it, Harry! Do him one in the eye. He's a pro boar. Stephen. Did I? When? Bloom to the redcoats. We fought for you in South Africa. Irish missile troops. Isn't that history? Royal Dublin Fusiliers, honoured by our monarch. The navvy staggering past. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, make the quarrel a crow war. Oh, oh. <coughs> Casked halberdiers in armour thrust forward a pentis of gutted spear points. Major Tweedy, moustached like Turco the Terrible in bearskin cap with hackle plume and accoutrements, with epaulette, gilt chevrons and sabotage, his breast bright with medals, toes the line. He gives the pilgrim warriors sign of the Knights Templars. Major Tweedy growls gruffly. Rock stripped. That guards, madam. Mahal, shalal, hashfal. Private car. All do we mean? Private Compton waves the crowd back. Fair play here. Make a bleeding butcher shop with a bugger. Masked bands, Blair, Gary Owen and God Save the King. Sissy Caffrey. They're going to fight for me. Cunty Kate. The play of the fair. Billy the Clap. Me thinks John save a nice with justice with the best. Cunty Kate, blushing deeply. Hey, madam, the gills doublet and Mary St. George for me. Stephen. All its cry from street to street shall weave old Ireland's winding sheet. Private car, loosening his belt, shouts. I'll wring the neck of any fucking bastard says a word against my bleeding fucking king. Bloom shakes Sissy Caffrey's shoulders. Speak, you. Are you struck dumb? You are the link between nations and generations. Speak, woman, sacred life giver. Sissy Caffrey, alarmed, seizes Private Carr's sleeve. Haven't I with you? Haven't I your girl? Sissy's your girl? She cries. Please! Stephen ecstatically to Sissy Caffrey. White thy fambles, red thy gan, and thy quarrens dainty is. Voices. Police! Distant voices. Brimstone fires spring up. Dense clouds roll past. Heavy Gatling guns boom. Pandemonium. Troops deploy. Gallop of hoofs. Artillery. Horse commands. Bells clang. Backers shout. Drunkards bawl. Whores screech. Foghorns hoot. Cries of valor. Shrieks of dying. Pikes clash on cuirasses. 
thieves rob the slain. Birds of prey winging from the sea, rising from marshlands, swooping from Ares, hover screaming, gannets, cormorants, vultures, goshawks, climbing woodcocks, peregrines, merlins, black grouse, sea eagles, gulls, albatrosses, barnacle geese. The midnight sun is darkened. The earth trembles. The dead of Dublin, from Prospect and Mount Jerome, in white sheepskin overcoats and black goatfell cloaks, arise and appear to many. A chasm opens with a noiseless yawn. Tom Rochford, winner in athlete singlet and breeches, arrives at the head of the national hurdle handicap and leaps into the void. He is followed by a race of runners and leapers. In wild attitudes, they spring from the brink. Their bodies plunge. Factory lasses with fancy clothes toss red-hot Yorkshire barra bombs. Society ladies lift their skirts above their heads to protect themselves. Laughing witches in red cutty socks ride through the air on broomsticks. Quaker lister plasters blisters. It rains dragon's teeth. Armed heroes spring up from furrows. They exchange in amity the pass of Knights of the Red Cross and fight duels with cavalry sabers. Wolf Tone against Henry Grattan, Smith O'Brien against Daniel O'Connell, Michael Davitt against Isaac Butt, Justin McCarthy against Parnell, Arthur Griffith against John Redmond, John O'Leary against Lero Johnny, Lord Edward Fitzgerald against Lord Gerald Fitzedward, the O'Donoghue of the Glens against the Glens of the Donoghue. On an eminence, the centre of the earth, rises the field altar of St. Barbara. Black candles rise from its gospel and epistle horns. From the high barbicans of the tower, two shafts of light fall on the smoke-palled altar stone. On the altar stone, Mrs. Mina Purifoy, goddess of unreason, lies naked, fettered, a chalice resting on her swollen belly. Father Malachi O'Flynn, in a long petticoat and reverse chasuble, his two left feet back to the front, celebrates camp mass. The Reverend Mr. Hugh C. Haynes Love M.A., in a plain cassock and mortarboard, his head and collar back to the front, holds over the celebrant's head an open umbrella. Father Malachi O'Flynn. Introibo ad altare diaboli. The Reverend Mr. Haynes Love. To the devil which hath made glad my young days. Father Malachi O'Flynn takes from the chalice and elevates a blood-dripping host. Opus meum. The Reverend Mr. Haynes Love raises high behind the celebrant's petticoats, revealing his grey, bare, hairy buttocks, between which a carrot is stuck. My body! The voice of all the damned. voice of Adonai calls. The voice of all the blessed. Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth! From on high, the voice of Adonai calls. God! In strident discord, peasants and townsmen of orange and green factions sing and and 
private car with ferocious articulation. I'll do him in, so help me fucking Christ! I'll ring the bastard fucker's bleeding blasted fucking windpipe! Old Gummy Granny thrust the dagger towards Stephen's hand. Remove him, Akushla! At 8.35am you will be in heaven and Ireland will be free! She prays. Oh, good God, take him! Bloom runs to Lynch. Can't you get him away? Lynch. He likes dialectic, the universal language. Kitty! To Bloom. Get him away, you. He won't listen to me. He drags Kitty away. Stephen points. Exit, Judas! But like we all say, suspend it. Bloom runs to Stephen. Come along with me now before worse happens. Here's your stick. Stick, no. Reason. This feast of pure reason. Sissy Caffrey, pulling private car. Come on, you're boozed. He insulted me, but I forgive him. Shouting in his ear. I forgive him for insulting me. Bloom, over Stephen's shoulder. Yes, go. You see he's incapable. Private car breaks loose. I'll insult him. He rushes towards Stephen, fists outstretched, and strikes him in the face. (coughs) Stephen totters, collapses, falls, stunned. He lies prone, his face to the sky, his hat rolling to the wall. Bloom follows and picks it up. Major Tweedy, loudly. Come on, in bucket. Cease fire. Salute. The retriever, barking furiously. Out, out, out. Out, out, out. Out, out. The crowd. Let him up. Don't strike him when he's down. Here. Who? The soldier hit him. He's a professor. Is he hurt? Don't my hand, me the retriever, nosing on the fringe of the crowd, barks noisily. Row, row, row. A hag. One call the red coat to strike the gentleman, and he under the influence. Let him go and fight the boars. The board. Listen to who's talking. Hasn't the soldier a right to go with his girl? He gave him the coward's blow. They grab at each other's hair, claw at each other, and spit. The retriever, barking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bloom shoves them back loudly. Get back! Stand back! Private Compton, tugging his comrade. Here, bugger off, Harry. There's the cops. Two rain-caped watch, tall, stand in the group. First watch. What's wrong here? Private Compton. We were with this lady, and he insulted us and assaulted my chum. The retriever bucks. Who owns the bleeding tyke? Sissy Caffrey with expectation. Is he bleeding? A man rising from his knees. No, gone off. He'll come to, all right. Bloom glances sharply at the man. Leave him to me. I can easily... Second watch. Uh, who are you? Do you know him? Private car lurches towards the watch. He insulted my lady friend. Bloom, angrily. You hit him without provocation. I'm a witness. Constable, take his regimental number. Second watch. I don't want your instructions in the discharge of my duty. Private Compton pulling his comrade. Here, bugger off, Harry. Oh, Bennett will have you in the lock-up. Private car staggering as he has pulled away. God fuck old Bennett. He's a white-ass bugger. I don't give a shit for him. First watch, taking out his notebook. What's his name? Bloom, peering over the crowd. I just see a car there. If you give me a hand, a second sergeant. First watch. Name and address. Corny Kelleher, weepers round his hat, a death wreath in his hand, appears among the bystanders. Bloom, quickly. Oh, the very man. He whispers. Simon Dedalus' son, a bit sprung. Get those policemen to move those loafers back. Second watch. Night, Mr. Kelleher. Corny Kelleher, to the watch, with drawling eye. That's all right, I know him. Won a bit on the races. Gold cop, throw away. He laughs. <laughs> Twenty to one, do you follow me? First watch turns to the crowd. Here, what are you all gaping at? Move on out of that. The crowd disperses slowly, muttering down the lane. Corny Kelleher. 
Leave it to me, Sergeant. That'll be all right. He laughs, shaking his head. <laughs> we were awful as bad ourselves. Aye, or worse. What? Hey, what? First watch laughs. I suppose so. Corny Kelleher nudges the second watch. Come and wipe your name off the slate. He lilts, wagging his head. With my tooraloom, 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 tooraloom. What, eh? Do you follow me? Second watch, genially. Ah, uh, sure we were too. Corny Kelleher winking. Boys will be boys. I have a car around there. Second watch. All right, Mr. Kelleher, good night. I'll see to that. Bloom shakes hands with both of the watch in turn. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen, thank you. He mumbles confidentially. Uh, we don't want any scandal, you understand. Father is a well-known, highly respected citizen... Just a little wild oats, you understand. First watch. Oh, I understand, sir. Second watch. That's all right, sir. First watch. It was only in case of corporal injuries. I'd have had to report it at the station. Bloom nods rapidly. Naturally. Quite right. Only your bounden duty. Second watch. It's our duty. Good night, men. The watch saluting together. Night, night gentlemen. They move off with slow, heavy tread. Bloom blows. <sighs> Providential, you came on the scene. You have a car? Corny Kelleher laughs, <laughs> pointing his thumb over his right shoulder to the car brought up against the scaffolding. Two commercials that were standing fizz in jammies, like Prince's fate. One of them lost two quid on the race, drowning his grief, and we're on for a go with the jolly girls. So I landed them up on Behan's car and down to Night Town. I was just going home by Gardiner Street when I happened to... Corny Kelleher laughs. <laughs> Should they wanted me to join in with the moths? No, by God, says I. Not for old stages like myself and yourself. He laughs again and <laughs> leers with lacklustre eye. Thanks be to God, we have it in the house. What, eh? Do you follow me? <laughs> Bloom tries to laugh. He, he, he. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, I was just visiting an old friend of mine there, Virag. You don't know him. Poor fellow, he's laid up for the past week. We had a liquor together, and I was just making my way home. The horse neighs. Sure, it was Behan R. Jarby there that told me, after we left the two commercials in Mrs. Cohen's, and I told him to pull up and got off to see. He laughs. <laughs> Sober hearse driver's a speciality. Will I give him a lift home? Where does he hang out? Somewhere in Cabra, what? No, in Sandy Cove, I believe, from what he let drop. Stephen, prone. Breathes to the stars. Corny Kelleher, a squint, draws at the horse. Bloom in loom, looms down. Corny Kelleher scratches his nape. Sandy Cove. He bends down and calls to Stephen. Hey. He calls again. Hey. He's covered with shavings, anyhow. Take care they didn't lift anything off him. No, no, no. I have his money and his hat here and stick. Ah, well, he'll get over it. No bones broken. Well, I'll shove along. He laughs. <laughs> I've a rendezvous in the morning. Burying the dead. Safe home. The horse neighs. Good night. I'll just wait and take him along in a few... Corny Kelleher returns to the outside car and mounts it. The horse harness jingles. Corny Kelleher from the car, standing. Night. Night. The Jarvie chucks the reins and raises his whip encouragingly. The car and horse back slowly, awkwardly, and turn. Corny Kelleher on the side seat sways his head to and fro in sign of mirth at Bloom's plight. The Jarvie joins in the mute pantomimic merriment, nodding from the father's seat. Bloom shakes his head in mute, mirthful reply. With thumb and palm, Corny Kelleher reassures that the two bobbies will allow the sleep to continue, for what else is to be done? 
With a slow nod, Bloom conveys his gratitude, as that is exactly what Stephen needs. The car jingles Touraloom round the corner of the Touraloom lane. Corny Kelleher again reassurelooms with his hand. Bloom, with his hand, assurelooms Corny Kelleher that he is reassurelumte. The tinkling hoofs and jingling harness grow fainter with their Touraloo-loo-loo-loo-lay. Bloom, holding in his hand Stephen's hat festooned with shavings and ash plant, stands irresolute. Then he bends to him and shakes him by the shoulder. Eh? Hey. Oh. There is no answer. He bends again. Mr. Dedalus. There is no answer. The name, if you call. Somnambulist. He bends again, and hesitating, brings his mouth near the face of the prostrate form. Stephen. There is no answer. He calls again. Stephen. Stephen groans. Ooh. Black Panther Vampire. He sighs and stretches himself, then murmurs thickly with prolonged vowels. Who drive Fergus now and pierce wood's woven shade? He turns on his left side, sighing, doubling himself together. Poetry. Well-educated. Pity. He bends again and undoes the buttons of Stephen's waistcoat. To breathe. He brushes the wood shavings from Stephen's clothes with light hands and fingers. One pound seven. Not hurt anyhow. He listens. What? Stephen murmurs. Shadows. The woods. White breast. Dim. He stretches out his arms, sighs again and curls his body. Bloom... Holding his hat and ash plant, stands erect. A dog barks in the distance. Bloom tightens and loosens his grip on the ash plant. He looks down on Stephen's face and form. Bloom communes with the night. Face reminds me of his poor mother. In the shady wood, the deep white breast. Ferguson, I think I caught a girl, some girl. Best thing could happen him. He murmurs. Swear that I will always hail, ever conceal, never reveal any part or parts, art or arts. He murmurs. In the rough sands of the sea, a cable toes length from the shore, where the tide ebbs and flows. Silent, thoughtful, alert, he stands on guard, his fingers at his lips in the attitude of secret master. Against the dark wall, a figure appears slowly, a fairy boy of eleven, a changeling, kidnapped, dressed in an eaten suit, with glass shoes and a little bronze helmet, holding a book in his hand. He reads from right to left, inaudibly, smiling, kissing the page. Bloom, wonderstruck, calls inaudibly. Rudy gazes unseeing into Bloom's eyes and goes on reading, kissing, smiling. He has a delicate mauve face. On his suit, he has diamond and ruby buttons. In his free left hand, he holds a slim ivory cane with a violet bow knot. A white lambkin peeps out of his waistcoat pocket. <laughs> 